Hey, this is Tom from Third Rail Design Lab. And this is Blake Simmons, sci-fi fan at large. No, that's incorrect. You're begin again, Blake. And it's time to... Release the... Kraken! Again, Blake. How are you doing? minimum legitimate. Hey, T Bill, how are you doing? T-Bill. I'm doing well. <laughs> You're not doing so well. No, I'm a little underweather, but I'm hanging in there. You've been thoroughly poisoned. Yes. Um, I'm concerned for your health and safety. However, I'm also concerned for the quality of this podcast if you're not drinking hard grain alcohol. I'm having a I'm having a lovely spritzer of lemon lime Gatorade with a the lovely rosé. <laughs> I'd like to remind listeners about what Begin Again Blake here described in our last recording as the heinous anus that I was drinking. Do you think anyone noticed or subtle edits? No, the subtle edits were subtle. Let us proceed. Which was <laughs> Amsterdam gin and South Korean melon soda. And here you are rolling up with rosé and Gatorade. Yep, I call it the Singapore sphincter. <laughs> Singapore sphincter. So we've slipped right into our sucking the monkey segment, just like that. Uh, I'm sucking on what I call, I'm going to show it up for the camera. I'm I'm sucking on what I call the hound's tooth. And that's a, basically it's a greyhound with a little bit of an Italian grapefruit soda as well as the fresh grapefruit juice and the vodka. So there you go. I nice for a salty dog, I'm, so, I'm short on salt. So there you go. What's your perfect uh, varietal of vodka that you put in those lovely beverages? Tonight, it's Sky. Okay. Uh, but it's I'm nearing the end of the Sky and approaching the beginning of the Kettle One. So we'll see how this goes. Hey. Uh, you know, actually, uh, when we were trimming, well, I understand from the East Coast people, it's trimming the tree. When we were setting up our Christmas tree. I was wondering where you're going to take that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> when I was trimming. So anyway, B-Money, when I was preparing my cocktails for preparing the tree, this is, of course, a very West Coast type thing. Uh, I was making margaritas while preparing the Christmas tree, as as one does in a temperate climate. Indeed. And I chose to supplement my margarita with a uh, chili liqueur that I bought, which is smooth, but has a really sharp spice. And it was interesting because it it was a little, made the margarita a little sweeter than I, than I normally go for, but the kick would come in on the back end, which was great. It was just a variation on instead of just putting in the cayenne pepper and jalapenos like I usually do. Well, and, and then it really goes well with the pine needles that you just put on top and the, you know, oh, yeah. for, you know, terpene extract. That's right. As the kids launch onto the tree because they saw it in Elf. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, your living room is set up with a couch so that those cushions are perfect launching pads into the tree. Um, much like Elf. Yes. <laughs> it's all about geography, geometry, and inertia. That's all. <laughs> yes, yes. Principle of mass. I have a concern. Listeners may detect that this recording session may or may not have been captured during the holiday season of last year. Nonsense. Your fears are unfounded. Please proceed. So, um, I have a question for you, man. How far try. into the Sweet Sweet Punisher series have you gotten since we last talked and I told you you should watch it? I have gotten nary a whisper into the depths of that conversation. I haven't watched one iota of it whatsoever. 
it's because you've been so busy watching Star Trek Discovery, right? No, I have not watched that either. The last time we talked, you said that the reason you couldn't catch up on all the sweet, sweet stuff was that you didn't know how to process it so that you could take it with you. That is still correct. So I need to help you with that. You do. I need to give you things and then you can watch it. I need but Netflix, give... so you could download it. You could offline it to your iPad and do it that way. You just got to take yeah. a minute to do it. I know theoretically that is very possible. This is a sneak preview of planned plundering, but I'm telling you right now, the Punisher series makes up for the crimes of Defenders, Iron Fist, and even the back half of Luke Cage. It's I tell you, that, that's really good. Big, that's a pretty big check. Uh, you're writing. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know if you're going to be able to cash that out. With thermal ink, right? I just kind of, yeah. and it's gone. You, you might have to liquidate your Bitcoin inventory to, to manifest your Ripcoin destiny on that one. I don't know. <laughs> Um, well, listen, man, it's free and you'll love it. And the thing is, after you watch it, you're going to feel like this was, it, it was surprising that they managed to pull off this, you know, they, they filmed this before the recent, uh, controversy with gun violence. Well, it's every day here in the United States, unfortunately, yeah. but the most recent, right as they were about to launch the series, another big shooting. And I was concerned, well, they're never going to be able to air this because it's going to be unpalatable. But I have to say... Uh, even in the wake of that, they found a way to make this story much more uh, compelling in terms of the way we treat our veterans than about the overt vigilantism that he's doing and whether that's right or wrong. I mean, they touch on it, but it's they've op- they've, they've 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 widened the net into talking about other like copycats and other things, mm-hmm. how different people with these who come back from their tours and struggle, how they deal with it. And it's very interesting to me. Well, as a vet, I would like to see that. All right. Well, you're behind schedule. Now. I'll help you get there. I have to cut in for a minute. Well, it's fun to splice together these session recordings across different uh, periods of time. Um, all jackassery aside, these comments about the content of the Punisher series and the time in which it was uh, released to Netflix are... A little bit disturbing considering what has happened since then these initial recording um, parts were done in December and we've had not only another school shooting but also a veteran related shooting in the three months between the recording time and this release so um, apologies uh, to any veterans who are listening or people who are affected by uh, these incidences are similar ones. Uh, no offense intended. Uh, we don't mean to sound cavalier about it at all. Anyway, so on with it. Um, okay, so, man, I have a question. Have you been catching up with the news of the day? As much as I am able. Uh, I am I, I am kind of uh, fixated on the, the train wreck that is our daily lives in political circles uh, because of my day job, but... The disaster uh, artist? <laughs> <laughs> when will James Franco stop? He's taking over the world. Um, <laughs> but, but yes, I have been paying attention to uh, the entertainment threads as well. Did you happen to see the Avengers trailer? Uh, I happened to see that perhaps um, 120 times. <laughs> I told myself I'd watch it once, just once, get a taste of it, and then I would put it down. Probably seen it 33 times. Yeah, no, I um, I can't get enough 
like I, I was posting on all social media, like take my money now. Yes. <laughs> Can we see it now? And then the government did, which is unfortunate. Yes. Well, you know. <laughs> they took your take, took your income your tax credits. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. You know the, those Pentagon screenings. Yes. Cost a lot. Uh-huh. So, um, uh, I'll tell you what I liked. Uh, Cap with a beard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that he, he looks like a, you know. A rack of ribs, doesn't he? I mean, he looks good. Chris, Chris Evans looks good in pretty much anything he does. He I does, think. but the hair poof, and then with the beard, and yeah. then the mute, sort of like the weird, uh, distressed version of his uh, Winter Soldier costume. Yeah, yeah it's Captain Lumberjack. Captain Lumberjack. Uh, I, I do have one criticism, and I fought uh, our friend Blair about this quite a bit before he accepted my position, maybe. Um, my my one struggle with it is that they, sh- that they, in the, in the, in the mock-up, they do that horrible thing where they mock up uh, photographs of the different players and then they kind of stitch it all together in Photoshop, yeah. which I hate. Um, and the shot that they've prepared for him in that this you know, sort of old, old man cap look, his sleeves are, are rolled, are not rolled, they're bunched up to the upper part of his mighty Popeye forearms, right? Mm-hmm. And it drives me nuts because you know they would just flop down immediately as soon as he's running around in combat, and then he would get really agitated because they would fall on his arm. You know, he would no, get really the, floppy. When he's touching back his hairspray, oh yes, it, it goes up his forearms and just kind of seals it in place, lacks everything. Yeah. If it had been rolled up, I could handle it because yeah. he's getting I, down to business. But it was like a bunch up. It's like he's preparing to shuck muscles, you know, <laughs> on the yacht. <laughs> <sighs> puts uh, down his puts down his Chardonnay, yeah. bunches up his cashmere sleeves. Hold my rosé. I've got to go. Rose. I've got to go tie my sweater off. Mm-hmm. But, that uh, sounds like a Rule Thirty Four kind of thing. But yes, it is. But I I love the uh, the whole thing of Black Panther. Like, hey, get this man a shield. <laughs> that was great. And then you never see him with a shield. <laughs> no, of course not. Well, it's interesting though. Uh, people have pointed out that over the last few, um, as they've gotten really confident about what they show how much of it and how much work they're doing in advance with projects that are filming it. You know, there's always something filming with Marvel. Now um, they've pointed out how three or four films. Now Marvel have released uh, trailers where they have digitally removed content from yep. the scenes that is, you later see in the film. So it'll be interesting to see how some of these scenes look when you actually see it in the full you know, in you know, full movie experience, it's really choppy now. There's so much guesswork. We've already picked the thing to death a million times about what, who's seen when and where and where's Hawkeye and what's going on. But, uh, but I'm interested in what we're not seeing because they digitally edited it out, and that's that's the part that's trippy to me, like Ultron wow. was. Yeah, I think they're just doing a whole misdirection campaign, and oh yeah, also stuff like the the Doctor Strange and Iron Man standing in the street looking dumbfounded, just with their thumbs up their butts. Um, but uh, I did like the one with uh, Vision, with the alien probe going right at his picking his thing gem. out like a gem coming out of an old timey pirate skull, right? To pop it right off, like a blood diamond. Yep. <laughs> one of one of uh, one of his black black guard or whatever his bat, his little crew is called in the comics. I can't remember, but anyway, one of them has a has a spear that has the ability to do that. It's like yep. a spear designed for picking. Uh, infinity gems out of people's skulls. So there you go. He's pr- perfectly prepared. Yep. Um, yeah. So did you note that he's in human form in some of those scenes? 
Yeah, I didn't like that at all. Hmm. <laughs> one one thought I had was that he's because he can change his appearance as he was doing that to make himself more palatable to her. Yeah. On the other hand, the other thought was just to blend in. Well, okay. So, okay. So here's the thing we see banner hanging out and we also see Hulk running around. Mm-hmm. Um, we see Stark looking uh, mortified once again at the death of something like a bloody hand or whatever. Um, we see a number of, 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 examples in the footage in that they've given us where it makes me wonder if Thanos has used one of the gems to seduce people into giving them what they want, preying on their weakness, giving them what they want in exchange for getting what he wants. Because Uh if you parallel that, like, you know, it, at least the way, I mean, the way it's framed in the, in the, in the trailer, who knows, but it's been a theme in the comics for decades that Banner and Hulk want to be separated from each other. And after Ragnarok, which we'll talk about, his big fear was turning back into the Hulk. And now we see Hulk running around in Wakanda. And that appears to be, and it could be at a different time in the movie, but you see Hulk in Wakanda and then you see Banner with Banner in New York, yep. Banner in New York with totally di- with people that are never seen in the Wakanda footage. And yes, later they could just fork out into different themes and I mean, mm-hmm. it could mean nothing, but that, interested me because yep. uh marvel you know marvel has been about vulnerability and bad decisions and people being human and uh and in parallel look at loki his whole storyline has been about somewhat redeeming and then just shitting the bed again and then you know yeah he he, he always pulls the defeat out of the jaws of victory that's right every time so who do you think's in the hulkbuster armor when he is tearing it up. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think it might be Rhodey. That's interesting. Um, I think Rhodey's going to make a full comeback, obviously. But um, my initial read was that it was uh, that it was Hulk, actually Hulk or Banner. But Banner and the Hulkbuster. The problem is, it was because it looks kind of gorilla-like when it lands. And that made me think of it made me think of Hulk when he lands from the jumps. But there's mm-hmm. no way he would retrofit the Hulkbuster armor to fit around a Hulk. So that doesn't really make sense. Well, why would a Hulk need a Hulkbuster armor? Well, yeah, unless there's some other reason for it. Yeah, right. Or it's Banner. In, but oh. if it was Banner in the Hulkbuster armor, why would he be running around like a Hulk in the Hulk form? So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Who knows? Um, I've heard a couple of people um, uh, postulate that it's Pepper Potts coming in to try to save Spider-Man who's first on the scene when Thanos lands and is getting smashed around. She shows up to try to defend gets basically torn to bits. And that's what he's, he's either sobbing about that or he's sobbing about Spider-Man or who knows what. I just find it even knowing that they could reset everything with the time gem. I, I just find it difficult to imagine that they would throw Spider-Man under the bus this quickly. I don't know, man. I think the, if I was going to wager, I bet Stage one is going to be a bloodbath, and then stage two yes. is the time gem. They're going to hit the reset and go back. Everything's hunky dory. It's all a dream. Well, but I think that that's the that's the. I think that if they're going to do that, it's going to be at the end of the Infinity War movie, and that Avengers four is them shunting back through because they've been a lot. They've had a lot of stories like that in the comics, usually around Kang. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's that same concept. Avengers, ha- there's a storied tradition in Avengers comics of them going back through time and fighting a time-based villain 
and revisiting earlier times in their story and then combining it with alter, different versions of the Avengers, right? Yeah. So yeah. that's kind of where I think it's. Ex- I think I'm excited for the potential for Avengers four because if because we've seen them do we've seen sp- stuff that they're they're shooting the reshooting scenes from the original Avengers movie. I think something from Thor. I think even something from Iron Man. So they're definitely going back and looking at all these earlier incidents from a new perspective. And I'm hoping that we're going to see some multiverse hopping around and some, you know, mm-hmm. changing, changing things in the attempt to go backwards and, you know, fix the problem. I don't know. And, and, it, and it has a tendency to make it worse. It does. That's, that's, that's what's great. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, okay. And then, so, and then what's interesting is to me, DC is already rushing into Flashpoint with the Flash, but they haven't earned any of it. Whereas, you know, 20 movies in, Marvel's ready if they want to do multiverse to expand the line and deal with aging actors and all that. They can. Right. They we're there now, right? Well, and, and they already kind of set the stage for that with uh, Strange. That's right. The time travel, time more, getting caught in the loop, um, all that stuff. Well, so also the- Ant-Man. Yep. Right? His microverse, his, his microverse jump went quantum right and they've they've talked a lot about how yeah, yeah. well no, I, i'll agree i agree that they went quantum but they didn't do a good job of explaining about what that meant right and uh well they're talking about it now in interviews which is could be misdirection but. yeah because then then you get the quantum effect and then time travel and then that's why ant-man is so important in the infinity war because he can actually go down and change things that no one else can and go places where no one else can and It'll be interesting to see how they play that out. I agree. So um, how did you feel about the fact that Thanos looks different? That was the one thing that kind of looked goofy. Um, I'm I'm not going to say. Yeah. And I don't know why they changed it other than for some cinematic overtone. But it's the same thing that I just, um, I'm not going to put it there, but it kind of looked x-men apocalypsis and uh that terrifies me uh yeah you're high as a kite so no no dude he looks really i think he looks as far as a cgi construct over a over an actor i think he looks incredibly realistic however uh, uh, planet of the apes uh you okay. want to talk about cgi right. over a human character okay okay real? i mean right, come I on it, i take it back give me a break but, <laughs> but compared to the other thing, because I have a, a a thing, I posted it to the Robot Kraken site, but uh, a shot of the four times we've seen Thanos, and he gets progressively better looking as we go. The first one looks like a cartoon, but the one thing is, the first two or three, he's in armor, and now he's not, and they've said that he just feels like he doesn't even need it <laughs> coming in. Yep. So that's why he's got the work the workout tank top and stuff on. But what what I found, huh? Got the gauntlet. Yeah. Well, the thing that I found um, curious is that he appears to have lightened in skin tone from that's that really dark purple to this sort of weird fuchsia. And I wonder if that's the lighting of that scene or whether that was an intentional thing, because I liked him more purple, but purple. And see, that's, that's what I responded to. The point. <clears throat> he, he, he looked, he looked, I mean, before it was kind of over the top cartoonish, but this time it kind of looked waxy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I, so this is sort of an unfair um, fast forward into our next, our future co- uh, discussion about justice league. But you look at photos of him versus uh, um, Steppenwolf 
Oh, don't and even. the the levels of quality and re, and the way that designs are realized, and 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 I say that as someone who was an apologist for the Steppenwolf design, which I liked better than I think anybody else did. <laughs> so, anyway, anyway, anything else on this trailer? Do you know? Do you have any theories on where the uh, is it the Soul Gem is? No, the last gem. I, I think I it's Wakanda. It, it may be Wakanda, but we. I mean, we're all in agreement that uh, Warlock is going to. I'm not in agreement. I don't think Warnock's going to show up. Okay. I think he, I think he might be on the table for either the next Guardians or post Guardians, but I, but I don't. But do you, do you think the Soul Gem is with Warlock or not? No, I think the Soul Gem is in Wakanda, in the Black Panther trailer. He has a dream sequence or a vision sequence where he's in a purple landscape of like a of a like of the of the savannah at night, but it's purple tones and he's in yep. a white long coat and he's looking up in the tree and there's the Panther God in the tree and all that. The color, I mean, everything I've seen him in the black Panther trailers is all some of the, some of the best uh, color blocking since Coco, right? Everything mm-hmm. is very deliberate in the way that they're constructing that film. So soul gems purple. Yeah, I know, but it's going to black Panther is important. I know, but it's going to fly in the face of the cannon that it was, it was warlock. Well, right. <clears throat> it just all depends on what Warlock is in this world. Agreed, agreed. But uh, so we haven't even talked about the the final little snippet in that trailer with Thor and Guardians. Oh, where Thor lands on the. Who the hell are you guys? <laughs> <laughs> and again, it kind of it trades on you having seen Ragnarok, but that was. Uh... It, it actually says volumes about what happens after the end of Ragnarok and the beginning of this, right? Yeah, <clears throat> so again, we're just we're gonna we're gonna go into the haunted valley. The way that Marvel has set these things up and these interconnecting tales and all the layers upon layers and and um, storytelling, it is a beauty to behold. Right? It just it is it is just incredible that they pulled it off to this extent for this long so successfully and then we have the other (laughs) (laughs) the other well i think i think um as exciting as it is for fans like us what's most impressive is how it works for the mainstream audience yes whereas the competitors that you're describing managed to take their pantheon characters that kids in non-english speaking children in third world countries who own no possessions know the names of and managed to make a movie that no one saw. And you can contrast that with 20 movies in Marvel taking chances with really fringe properties. They're all interwoven in a way that super fans are seeing all the parallels. Yep. But at the same time, the mainstream audience who just want to take the kids to the mall. And, you know, those people that don't know the different don't know that, you know, Spider-Man's a Marvel and Batman's a DC and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles aren't showing up. Do you know what I mean? This is the yep. mainstream families that go like them just fine. They don't feel like they're missing something. And that's something critical about how each of these Marvel films in the recent era have done. There's something for us, but there's something for the mainstream too. And they don't feel like they're missing something. Cause they're taking their time. They're doing it right. And they're telling great stories. I agree. <clears throat> right. I and, do. and, uh, and as opposed to the other, the other, the other, which is, which is doing the opposite of all of that, um, and, and it and it's showing in spectacular, spectacular fashion. <laughs> you know what's sad about 
well, it's a long list, but you know what's sad about the DC stuff? When Marvel produces a teaser or an early look or something, there's something there. It always mm-hmm. leads you to have more hype than you had before, such as, you know, very early snaps of Evangeline Lily in her wasp costume mm-hmm. or Infinity Stone hints or whatever it happens to be. Whenever there's a little hint or first look or something, it always tells a story beyond what you're seeing to get people excited. Well, like Black Widow. In the, well, yeah. Right. And, and that whole character development, the little snippet of uh, the romance with her and Banner, it's that uh, they do such a better job of conveying the humanity and the superhuman than the other. I agree. <laughs> but what I'm getting at is the Marvel side, when they do teasers and sneaks and first looks, there's more, there's a photo or a, a little bit of Im, a video and there's something there to excite people. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then they take it and they bloom it into something bigger than it is and get everyone hyped. That's the point of a teaser. That's the mm-hmm. point of a first look is to get people excited. Whenever I see a teaser or some sort of early prom, early promo material that doesn't tell a story, um, it, it baffles me. And now, you know, when they were dealing, uh, preparing for BVS, we saw a couple of early, dark, grainy, watery photos of Batman. And that was exciting because it was a Batman that looked like Batman. And we're like, wow, that's great. Um, but every, but the only other images in the lead up to Justice League that were little promos or little little sneaky little things that people saw didn't even make it into the film. Right. Uh, and then in the wake of the of the fairly disastrous opening of Justice League, the very next promo item that DCWB roll out is a dark image of Aquaman storming our submarine, just looking the same as he did. And there's no new information. Uh-huh. It's like they just took a, it's, it reminds me of someone that just took a screenshot of dailies or they just kind of threw their phone up during filming and then just posted it. Yep. There's no there there in terms of the strategy. And that's because they, endemic. Cause they don't have one. Yeah. <laughs> that's just, I, but I think that's, and, we, and we're going to talk about it, but man, that is the biggest disappointment about something like Justice League. How do you have so many, to, so many big toys and make, and set yourself up in a situation that the people, even your fan base, don't even have the enthusiasm to come out and support it? Mm-hmm. How do you make a movie like this with those characters and it doesn't just make billions on name alone? Two words Zack Snyder. All right, we're going to get into that because uh, I'm not sure that's entirely. I'm not sure that's the entirety of the problem. But mm-hmm. uh, well, the, uh, the, other, the other two words I'd say that the DCEU doesn't have is Adam Page. That's right. That's right. right. And and to ext- by extension, and this is relevant to the other thing I want to talk about right now. Um, that's also what both Sony and Fox have not had, mm-hmm. and Fox had the chance because he was laying out a framework for them for the X Men films, which they ignored. Yep. So, and oh, he may still have his chance. <laughs> he may, but I, but I will also point out that, I, okay, this is a little tangent. The new Mutants trailer, it looks like something from a slasher film. Right, by design. Is yeah. that a good thing or a bad thing for you? It doesn't resonate with me at all. I think the problem I'm having is that when I read that, is it Derrickson? No. Whoever it is that's doing the new Mutants film. When I read that they were taking the New Mutants and making it a horror film, I thought, great, they're taking chances. Like Legion, they took mm-hmm. chances and made an interesting thing. Like Deadpool. Okay. New Mutants, kind of a... 
I, I had trouble understanding how New Mutants would be a viable concept in a film when X-Men First Class stole New Mutants and and changed it. Yep. <clears throat> when they say they're going to make a horror film, I thought, this is exciting. And then they go and they produce a bunch of imagery that looks like it's a parody of horror movies done in a fourth in a fourth wall story about making horror movies. Like it's yeah, even to the stretching of the, the screen and the fingers yeah. and all that. Cabin in the Woods. It looked like Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. The, the whole spoof is that it's a high tech subversion of the horror story motif to appease some dark backroom ideology and theology. And this is all a machination to beat the beast. It didn't even have that. It was just. So I shouldn't watch Cabin in the Woods then at this point. Cause... No, you, it, it's brilliant. It's one of my favorite Joss films ever. I've been waiting. I've been trying to get it to. Uh, I've been trying to get to a point where I don't remember all the things people have spoiled for me as I oh, laid and seen like it. Like I just did. Yeah, well, sure. no, but you're not the only one. I mean, it, my problem is I, I, I wasn't initially interested because I don't watch horror movies really. And then when I started to find out that there was something interesting happening with it, I saw a, a snippet of the guys in the control room and I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. And uh, and then by then it was too late. People were talking about it, and I missed my window. It's like, and I've said about. I know I've talked about this before on the podcast, but I remember years and years ago when we read magazines that were made on paper, with paper, right? What and paper? I read Dead Deadline or something. It was Deadline or one of those cinema based ones, production magazines, and the it was the end of the year editorial from the editor in chief of the magazine, and he made a reference made a reference to the punchline of the crying game and i instantly was like well i guess i'll just wait until i don't remember that anymore and guess what for all my memory problems certain things just won't go away you can't (laughs) something you can't unread yeah so um okay so here okay so uh the the next thing in the news briefly that i I thought we would touch on because because we stopped doing sort of hot button new stuff because of the more monthly uh, release format of this podcast. But these are big things, man. And we did this last time. We talked about stuff and I think it's about Ryan Johnson last time. Yes. And the new trilogy. Yeah. Um, and by the way, holy shit, man, everyone, everyone comes out with, with all of these, like it's the end of the world. This is the most amazing thing ever. Every time a new star Wars film comes out, but this time even more than like, I, I was expecting a backlash because the way things turned against force awakens afterwards, like six months later, people were like, well, maybe, Oh, and, the, and the whole Adam Driver ridicule and everything that was <clears throat> so so totally misplaced and unwarranted. I agree, but people are talking. People are coming out of that early because they can't do any detailed discussions and the reviews. But everyone, all the press and the people who went to that early screening the other night, the kinds of things that excite me is they say things like this is complex and surprising, and it's a journey and all this. So they're they're using words to suggest that it was a profound experience to them. Which is different than the nostalgia fueled fanboy reaction that you get at the beginning of a Star Wars film, or right? the Force Awakens with JJ. Yeah, <clears throat> well, right? I actually really still love that film, but yeah. you know, going back to Clone Wars, someone they were freaking out. They were all freaking out about how wonderful it was the first week because no, people were excited. I wasn't. Well, people were. I wasn't. Those people. I saw it. The I, other people. Not good. Flamethrower territory. I can't even get my kids to get through Clone Wars. You realize that? Is it, not clone, is it Clone Wars? Is it the second one? Is that what yeah. they called it? Clone Wars? Yeah. Attack of the Clones. Attack of the Clones. I, at 10 minutes in and my kids fall asleep and I haven't gotten them to. It's like watching a GOP national convention. The disaster. <laughs> with, but with more, with more bare midriffs. All right. Well, so 
Anyway. Hey, middle-aged centers from Ohio look pretty good in midriffs. <laughs> Brian Johnson. So it sounds like he really hit it out of the park. Yeah. And, I, and now I understand why. They just, I'm sure when they were watching this process and what he was doing with it, they're like, okay, this is our guy to go out and do a beachhead movie for something else and just gave him the keys of the kingdom. When why? we talked last time, we said, well, why did they give Ryan Johnson the three, the three movie, Do What You Want? Whereas, why not JJ? Why not want someone else? And, and, we, and the sort of the general tone was, well, it's because he probably plays really nice with Disney. And they've been very, they've been very upfront about, we're going to let you experiment, but if we don't like the experiment, we'll, kill, we'll cut you off. And apparently they liked his experiment. But I think now we're seeing more that it's not just that he plays nice, but he's got a vision that he can tell a compelling story with these, with these toys. And that's, that's something, right? Yeah. Well, and the other thing I really like that on some of the feedback coming out is that what, what people weren't expecting from him was that his cinematography and his like directing skills within the scene and conveying the, the action impact and still conveying the, the characters within that context. That's what really blew, caught them by surprise. Right. Cause they didn't think, he was going to be that kind of level of detail right. cinematographer influencing the, and really stitching together a really compelling um, context for the entire plot line to manifest itself. So I'm really excited to see that because JJ and I love JJ, JJ is those like smash him up, like boom, boom, like body flying and, uh, and not a master of what I would say um, nuance in his uh, filmmaking approach. I, I'm really hoping that that is something uh, that we see in this film. And I will also say that people are saying this is the funniest Star Wars film ever. Right. Which, and, they're, and they're ranking it right behind Empire. Yeah. Which is which, pretty interesting. Bing, 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 bing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's just like, just like to uh, uh, Taika in yeah. uh, Ragnarok, that that was probably the funniest Marvel film I've ever seen in my life. Easy, and, easily. and it was one of the best. It was one of the that absolutely. Yeah. Easily. Knocked it out the park. Well, it's interesting you talk about the the cinematography angle because <laughs> cinematography angle—that's a thing I said. So uh, it's well, so you know, you and I both are people who like uh, directors and their cinematographers when the art form of the film is as engaging as the film. And there's a whole other side of of you know, I wouldn't say we're movie critics, but there's a whole other side of the critical viewing of movies, which says that the most, the more nuanced, the more successful filmmaker is the one that makes you forget the film, right? The immersive nature of certain films, everything that's in the indie circuit, you know, all these films that are heavily, you know, immersive and emotionally explosive. It's because you're not, you don't feel like you're watching a movie. You've gotten sucked into someone's world. You're in it, but you and I like, but you and I like, the Coen brothers and Wes Anderson and these kinds of creators who then vendors, the, yeah, yeah. Who create stylized environments and they create a kit of parts with that. And then they play with it and you like the moves that they make when they do it. And you are aware of the story, but you're also aware of the crafting of the story. Wes Anderson is one of the best examples of this because he actually oh, yeah. builds the crafting into the movie. So you're yeah. watching them make a set in the movie, even if it's not part of the storyline. Right. And and, um, and and then see it come alive yeah. within within that flow of the scene, and it's just brilliant. And Chris Nolan yeah. is another just wunderkind about stitching together the aesthetic in the scene and, and the blocking of it and the choreography of it, and then 
and then the, the the actual words as well and then the characters within it i mean i think to me the best dc movies ever made were his trilogy of batman i mean i don't think that i don't think it's even close well and we've talked before about the fact that if you actually think back on it critically yeah there are a lot of valid criticisms of the nolan verse particularly the last film and bale was never a particularly compelling batman compared to ben affleck well but <laughs> you look back on it well it's like you know it's like the four drinks in remembering an old girlfriend everything seems great right you think back on the nolan verse and it's like this is cinematic history because well, it's you, because it's overpowered <clears throat> it's overpowered its weaknesses with what's last, what lasts with you, which is all the the good stuff, right? Well, especially when your current lunch tray is a hot bucket of feces with you know cucumbers sticking out of it, um, it really makes you harken back to the good old days of turkey sandwiches. I really hope that's not a relationship reference because you'll be murdered. <laughs> no. no, no, no. Okay. I'm just saying. I'm just saying that when, when, you, when your hot lunch is really a steaming hot lunch, it makes you recall the past a little differently. <laughs> This is a dark, dark, dark metaphor, man. And you haven't even got me started yet in Justice League. I, I know. I know. But I'm, but I'm a butterfly. Going, going to Force Awakens, though. <laughs> speak, this is why I mentioned this about the stylized directing. I think I really like Force Awakens. I don't mind the cyclical nature of it. I don't mind that it was a recap. I thought it was actually a well a well reasoned recapture of everything about the the main three movies that we nostalgically loved. They repackaged it in a way that sets us up for the future. And I thought that was a that was the point. And yeah. a lot of people backlashed on it and said, "Well, they have nothing to bring to the table." And I think that that's a reactionary response to it. But I, I, but I think I also think that that was just, that's pure hogslop because I think a lot of the things that were left unanswered are what is going to be explored and sure. in a very deep way. Because this is this isn't a standalone one and done thing, right? If it was, those critiques would have merit. This is an arc, right? Just because you don't understand the full arc when you see, you know, one third of it, doesn't mean that it doesn't have merit and it doesn't have power and it doesn't have impact. Well, and also, the conceit that a cyclical well, we've applied a lot retroactively. Ring theory was applied to Lucas in a way that well went well beyond his intentions, I think. But but Lucas was an art student. He did understand ring theory when it comes to uh, myth and story. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so to some extent, that's legit. And I certainly think that Abrams's world, when he built Force Awakens, was very deliberately doing cycles. Mm -hmm. Our criticisms that are valid, I think, are that it was so literal in the sense of it's a bigger Death Star and it has a bigger this and a bigger that version of the exact same thing instead of metaphorically related, but different version of those things but mm -hmm. in, but going back to the the directing style thing i think if if anything has created a backlash against abram's directing style to make it seem like he's less um uh daring and more of the safe bet for disney as as has been brought up again now that he's taken over a nine mm -hmm. i think it's that his most awesome cinematic shots his most interesting choices were used in the trailers and that means that, like any project, when the most when the most memorable scenes are in the trailers, you feel like there's nothing else there. <clears throat> and that's not true with Force Awakens. But if you think about his his more direct storytelling 
mm-hmm. the majority of the film. And his edgier stuff is what you saw in the trailers, like the long pan of her shooting across the surface of Jakku on the speeder. And yeah. then as you pan out, you realize there's this crash star destroyer behind her. Or um, the remember in the first trailer for Force Awakens when the the orchestral score hits you with that punch and and uh, um, what's his name? Finn? Burst, yeah. like bursts up having woken up from having yeah. crashed it's, and it's he's sweaty, sweaty and he's in a stormtrooper yeah. armor. Yep. It was like it was like that was a masterclass in telling a metric ton of story in one single scene. Well, I mean, look, look at look at the um, the reaction to the African American stormtrooper that mm-hmm. that that elicited right, which is a telling story on the American you know uh, psyche, but um, I guess. And I love and, the Poe and, and Finn also, shipping too, by the way. And then also the, the swoop of the Millennium Falcon tying, covering down and coming through the TIE fighters, right? And yep. then Huey were home, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, to me, that, that was the most compelling thing because you're like, to me, The Force Awakens was a palate cleanser. It really was. That, that, that got rid of Jar Jar from the back of my tongue <laughs> and my bile duct. That was, <laughs> That's Senator Jar Jar to you, man. That is that is Jar Jar Jerky to me. <laughs> There's only only one good thing. Like, I'll see you in hell. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so. so, All right. But I'm sorry, the cyclical nature of it, I think the the telling narrative here that gets lost sometimes is that it's really proving out the edge is that if you don't remember your history, you're doomed to repeat it. And so I can actually get into the thing with the Death Star becoming the bigger Death Star because, well, if that one didn't work, it's because it wasn't big enough. And, um, and the whole yeah. kind of Arthurian archetype, uh, tragic family bloodlines uh, element to it, which I think will become manifest in episode eight and nine, I think is uh, it's compelling. Well, in, uh, in a way, though, Force Awakens felt to me, and we talked about it, I think you and I at the time that came out, it felt to me like it was a soft reboot mm-hmm. um, or, a re- or a remake. Right, because it had all of the elements of the original stuff, but was designed in a different st- in a different tone, but still had the callbacks. And by making it thirty years later, and the and the younger generation worshiping their version of their parents and their predecessors, and worshiping them in a in a in a fanatical way, that's a very realistic. And it's and it's I mean it's a very realistic notion, and we see it in in U.S. in uh, sorry world history here, right? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. the I mean, w- w- unfortunately, we're seeing it on the streets of Poland now, right? This oh, romanticized fascist version. We're seeing it in the streets of Charlottesville. It's not that's right. Right. Poland. Right. So to me, at you know, at its at a minimum, it reminded me of all that stuff that we're nostalgic about from our childhood, but at the same time, it made you know the stormtroopers look cooler and the, and the equipment looks familiar, but cooler and mm-hmm. the concepts look familiar, but bigger stakes. Um, and as long as you avoid the trappings of trying to figure out the logic of how it's supposed to suck the energy out of a star, killing its own solar system in order to shoot a thing at another solar system, we're fine. And, and it's a warp missile or whatever. Um, <laughs> But it is a warp missile, right? But but you can still see it streaking across the sky. (laughs) You know, 
I haven't checked my solar maps in Star Wars lately, but I don't think that they were in the, you know, <laughs> it just, they weren't, you know, one million kilometers from Coruscant or whatever. Right, I know. It's like, <laughs> it didn't make any sense. It didn't matter, though. It didn't matter. It worked. We can send shadow lamp signals to each other, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know. But even that, even when it didn't hold water and repeat viewings, it still, it still worked well enough. Because yeah. how else? Well, I mean, it was shorthand. What else are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, it just it's that little... old Aqua Teen Hunger Force thing, right? They shoot the quad laser. It'll take a while, you know. Yeah. But it's the same thing in the original trilogy, right? The, the the Death Star blew up across Endor. Yeah, like the, the planet would be on fire, and the Ewoks would be bacon. Right. Uh, <laughs> Those those car, those like comics and stuff that they draw of, of, of like yub yub and then the thing crashes on them. This is fine. <laughs> this is fine. Totally. <laughs> hey man, the one thing I have trepidations about with Last Jedi is, and I love the industrial design work, just as I, and just with the like with the prequels, I loved a lot of it, but then there were certain things that I questioned. From yeah, everything we're seeing out of Last Jedi. I'm not super thrilled about the design of the new post at at with the gorilla arms and the club, the, feet. Yeah. The club feet and the like this the sort of more angular head. Um, you're messing with success. Well, but the, you know maybe it serves a tactical purpose. Maybe the environment is kind of swampish and moorish, and they need that to kind of wedge through. Sure didn't look we'll like see. it. Sure we'll look like dusty red planet. But we don't know what the dusty red is, right? Yeah. yeah okay. It could be Turkish delight, like Turkish delight. Um, yeah. So anyway, there's a few things like that that I see, um, and then also they've taken an approach with the first order ships to make them really angular, really long and angular, and then have stubby sort of, um, sort of Buick front ends or something. And I don't know, it that's not reading too well to me. But I'll tell you this, I wasn't a super fan of uh, Kylo Ren's shuttle with all of its weird facets and things and the geometries of it that I saw, like, in the models and the Legos and things. I thought, eh. But when it was on film, I was like, that's fine. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it worked. And another thing, people don't give – people are backlashing like hell on on Rogue One. And that is the most visually arresting of all of the Star Wars films. Yes. To me, that to me that that was a, an immaculate piece of filmmaking that existed within and without the the canon. And 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 to me, I, I told you this before. It's like Rogue One to me, after Empire Strikes Back, is the is the best Star Wars movie ever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's it was just brilliant. And listen, I have to tell you, I put it above Empire Strikes Back, and I'll tell you why. I have nostalgic memories of Empire Strikes Back being the best. But when I look back at repeat viewings, like with my kids and, and later in my life, I want to see the beginning and I want to see the end and I want to chop out. I appreciate all the, the 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 narrative about Dagobah and all this. And I understand how important it was to the story and everything else bores the shit out of me. Not even the whacking away at R2-D2 because he stole his fucking Twix. Not even that can get me no, through no, the no, Dagobah no. scenes. That was a salted nut roll. A salted nut roll. It was a salted nut roll. It was a payday bar. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the best thing that could have ever happened with the middle act of Empire Strikes Back is that wonderful Seagulls music video that we watched a million times. 
To me, rocking and rolling. <laughs> well, at least it's, it beats the Ewok Christmas special. It sure like, does. But, uh, the um, <laughs> with Chewbacca and his family just like having a, a oh, history yeah. with the Ewoks. You know, I what the hell? Um, Did you know though? I have yeah. in my drawing queue the the version of Boba Fett, the first appearance of him in that Christmas oh, yeah. special where he's got the brown yeah. and the blue and all that. Yeah. I wonder if it's the same actor. That looks like he's a uh, British tea merchant. That <laughs> <laughs> hey, do you want to know side side tangent on our side tangent? This is all a side tangent about how Last Jedi is going to be amazing, and I'm going to see it this weekend. Uh, and that was a side tangent to the next thing, which was about Kevin Feige. But do you want to hear my my is it idea? Kevin or Kevin Feige? I'm sorry, doesn't matter. I say Feige, you say Feige. Okay. Between the two of us, we'll get it. There's a biological phenomenon phage viral capsid thing that I'll that's why I have an affinity to that pronunciation. But you're talking science again. So mm-hmm. I have an idea. So uh we know that they've well, the rumor mill has begun again that the the Ben Kenobi solo film is supposed to start production in two thousand nineteen and be ready for release in two thousand twenty. And if ever there was a Star Wars answer to the unasked question beyond the Han Solo film, which I still am optimistic will be enjoyable but we did not need it's a Obi-Wan Kenobi solo film and everything you ever hear about it or read about it or anything just assumes it's going to be him wandering around tattooing, getting into adventures. I don't think so. And that's the very last thing I want to ever see again, ever is more action on tattooing. But I had an idea and I'll tell you what it is. Okay. It's a gem. Here it is. They do a film post return of the Jedi. No, sorry. Post, Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. And it is Kenobi on the run after Vader has taken his form and the Empire has taken over and all that stuff. It's Kenobi on the run being hunted by the galaxy's greatest bounty hunter. Direct tie into the Boba Fett film. Mm -hmm. It's him on the run going through different planets and different worlds with this bounty hunter on his ass. And he's outsmarting Boba Fett, who is then in turn figuring it out so they're almost parody of each other until they finally reach Tatooine where somehow he finds a way to you know put the the head you know the bank robber's headquarters next to the police station right he mm-hmm. manages to ingratiate himself in, into that world of Tatooine just as Boba Fett is tangled up with the huts and no, doesn't know he's right under his own nose gets the directive to come to you know get Han Solo at the Cloud City and there you go. You see what I mean? Yeah, I do. But to me, the the, the, the one failing with the storyline is they currently have it and it's not it's not associated with that timeline. I think that'd be a great plot line. Is that if they know Anakin's family is still on Tatooine. Yeah, I know. I'm the name Skywalker. <laughs> I, I mean, what? Yeah, but that's just the... But unfortunately, the first, that's a... That's a th- you know, that's just a casualty of retconning. Yeah. That you just can't get around it, right? No, no, it's a cognitive fracture plane. You can't. But so the the question to you is, when Obi-Wan is doing this, does he have Luke in tow? That is an amazing idea. It could be like, okay, wait. Oh, no, no, no. Here it is. It's like Lone Wolf and Cub. He's got a baby Luke on his back. Right. And so... so Disney, it's free. Right there for you. Yep. Or, Or it could be kind of a, a, a Logan 
and X23. Yeah. And the last thing that Obi-Wan does is kind, that's of, awesome. it's just kind of blank Luke's memory so that he forgets him and stashes him with the aunt and uncle. So we basically just solved the future of the franchise. <laughs> You're welcome, Kennedy. And, and that's why Obi-Wan says to Yoda, he's not too old to become a Jedi because during this process of running from Boba and the, the whole bad guys and everything, he's actually trained him and exposed him a little bit to the force. Right. Yeah. And, and that, that explains part of the longing that Luke has. To but get he'd have to be, but that, but that further means that he has to be lone wolf and cub style. He has to be an infant because Keegan Jinn's critical misstep, according to the council was bringing someone who was a tween. Yeah. Well, not even a tween a whatever he was seven year old or eight year old and saying hey let's start the training and they're like it's too late and he did it anyway but, but it was so ridiculous because i mean luke i mean ugh. i know i know that, that whole, and, and then the midichlorians was like oh for fuck's sake yeah but the one argument i can make about i mean it is retconning but yeah midichlorians has no face in anything but the one argument i would make about the fact that luke was trained older than anakin was is that the rules of the jedi council were considered too rigid it was they were establishing that the Jedi Council had become stagnant and bureaucratic. And that's what Kigon Jin was was railing against. And then of course that's later what led to their undoing mm-hmm. in the rise of the Empire. And by the time Luke is being trained with some resistance, everyone's dead. Right. So Yoda's training a guy that might have a chance at doing something important. So it doesn't matter anymore. But again, there's just these fundamental flaws in the cognitive reasoning that gets expressed in the in the narrative. That uh, when Luke runs off to go battle Darth at the end of uh, Empire, and Yoda says, uh, that "Ben says this is our last chance," and Yoda says, "No, there's another." But she's as old, and she, yeah, <laughs> what? So all this, all this uh, objection to age and you know malleability and the Force and everything else. Is a tog slop. There's still people who believe. There are still Star Wars fanatics who believe there is wasn't another, talking like about another. Right. There's a third. Yeah. And it's Finn, or or it's Poe, or it's no. I mean, <laughs> a time jumping. Yeah. Well, it could, it could be. Maybe it's Boba Fett. Maybe it's baby Boba. Can you even imagine? Okay, so here's the thing. What I was asking but I, but about. But I love it with Boba T. Have you noticed that? Like Boba T is like the big thing now. And it's a, to me, every time I hear Boba Tia, I just think that's Boba Fett. That's what he drinks. I'm not going to argue with you because I love Boba Teas. Uh, but the, what I wanted to talk to you about. <laughs> now I just want a Boba Tea. Like I like the, the deflected move. Just like, uh, I just, well. the problem is now you make me really want a Boba Tea. I really, it makes me remember when 1000 Van S first opened and you could get the Boba Tea downstairs and take it up to the theater and put your adult beverage in it. Uh, I wish I had, man. So. Black tea uh, the, combo. The other, <laughs> yes, the other. It beats the uh, it beats the Korean melon soda. I can tell you that. Oh, the, um, the heinous, heinous, yeah. So the other thing I was trying to to, to raise was uh, fan reaction versus what's good for cinema. What do you think about the imminent merger, or rather, the buying of Fox by Disney? Because there's. Because the fan reaction to that, of course, is yeah, X Men, X Men Avengers. Here we go. Let's start doing the doing justice to more of these Marvel properties. But on the other hand, 
the bigger picture people who are less invested as fans say this is a hell of a monopoly. Mm-hmm. So what do you where do you fall on that? I follow. I'm coming at it from a completely different perspective. That if uh, Disney um, fires everybody at Fox News, yeah, Fox News. I, oh, yeah. oh, I get it. I think uh, that would be a very good merger. I'd be willing to take any monolithic hegemony uh, <laughs> filmmaking enterprise that you want to uh, get rid of Fox and Friends. That'd be brilliant. I, I didn't see that one coming, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It is exciting, though, as a fan. It is exciting to imagine that they would get the, their hands on those tools again. Yes, I agree. It requires recasting of a many of many of those characters. Yeah, and as, and, as, and as we discussed, I really grew very fond of Jackman as Wolverine. I'm going to have a real hard time seeing anybody else in that role. It's a real tough nut. I do agree that it's time for him to stop, but I also don't know what you do. Yeah, I mean, it's like passing. It, it's the same kind of challenge as passing somebody as Han Solo. I don't know what, how, maybe like Indiana Jones. Or if they pull yeah. that off, man, I don't know what to think. I know they're trying hard, and I'm going to be in. I'll be in, but it's a really tough sell to do a young, young Harrison Ford like that. Yeah, I mean, the, the closest that came to me was in Indiana Jones, where they had River Phoenix. Um, yeah, doing that in uh, Temple of Doom, right? Right. And um, he actually did a very <laughs> remarkable job at it. And it's too bad that his time on planet Earth was cut short. But uh, was he? Did he? Uh, did he play Indy in the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, or was that another actor? That was another actor. That that, that was. Um, Another gentleman that I think came to an untimely demise as well. See Thomas Howell? No. <laughs> that was... That That's was, actually a Punisher reference, by the was, way. That, that was karma. <laughs> <laughs> He's alive. Go on. Oh, see Thomas Howell. Soul Man. Oh. Soul Man. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> you know he's got that poster in his house somewhere. Can you, imagine, like, can you imagine trying to do that film now? Can you Holy. imagine... <laughs> Could you just imagine him at, at parties and engagements and stuff? It was okay because I had a black friend. <laughs> I don't remember his name. <laughs> he was a really close friend of mine. He was my optometrist. Yeah. Oh, and, and I knew a Jew once. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, God. My attorney. It's terrible. Yeah. The, the, jo- the jokes, the jokes, <sighs> these, these dark jokes are slipping right back into our political theater. And I don't like it. I know. I'm, um, trying to, I'm trying to go. I'm trying to go vertical. You realize by the time this, by the time we wrap up this recording, we'll be well into Judgment Day in Alabama. So, oh, the parallels between Justice League and Alabama are clear. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Kevin Feige or Feige getting a chance to play with those Disney tools. Mm-hmm. It's exciting. There it was is. someone. There was someone in the recent era that I remember thinking could have been a suitable new Wolverine. And I blanking for the last five minutes, I'm trying to remember who it was. It was the first person I could think of that would be able to do it justice. I know who it was. I know who it was not Lee young, Shriver? not young enough for the longevity. of the, Huh? <clears throat> Leave Shriver. Yeah. You did a pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. Non Wolverine. No, you know yeah. who it is. I want Tom Hardy as a Wolverine. I, I can see that. 
I can see that. However, comma. Yes. Um, I don't think in a billion years he'd do it. No. Well, he's so, I mean, inv- he's he, so he invested already, in he Venom. Already pulled off, he already pulled off one audacious move with rebooting Mad Max. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and doing uh, uh, an okay job. I mean, Charlie's Throne stole that movie. Yes. But, but, but that movie, uh, I have to... Well, have you seen the black and white version yet? Yes. Oh. Every time I think I want to see the black and white version, then I realize I want to see the color one again. And Dude, I... I <laughs> My DVR is uh, like chalk a block. Times, <laughs> how many times I've seen that movie? It's uh, um, if it was a VHS, it'd be blank. Do you recall at the time you were a listener and not a star co-host? But do you recall when we did on this podcast? We were doing some fantasy castings here and there. Yes, and we did. I think the two that we managed to pull off because. Because Chris would never follow up. <laughs> so incredibly busy. <laughs> so like, do you have your fantasy casting? He's like, well, drink check. But um, the most recent one we did was Moon Knight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you remember this? Mm-hmm. And I and I said, Baby Goose. And I still contend that that would be an amazing Moon Knight to have Ryan Gosling do it. I agree. You're um, a wise man. But uh, I'll tell you who my candidate would be uh, for that role. Coming up. Um, so that was Michael, Shannon, what? Michael Shannon. Michael yeah. Shannon. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And or Joel Edgerton. I have a irrational hatred of the latter. Well, not hatred. I don't use that oh, word. I don't know. I don't. Something about him rose me the wrong way. He's actually a really good actor. What's your favorite thing he's done? Well, they were both together in Midnight Special, which was fantastic. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right? That, that's like my sleeper sci-fi fave of 2016 was Midnight Special. I'll tell you what. I would – I haven't – I've seen the, the trailer, but I haven't seen the film. But I will say this. I love Shannon and everything. You're right on that, yep. man. I mean, he he is completely stealth mode. He is under the, everybody's radar, and he is so friggin' good. Um, I can't wait for the uh, the Shape of Water, mm-hmm. right? The, mm-hmm. And and that's gotten that Oscar buzz for it, which I'm very happy for Guillermo to have his moment of critical acclaim uh, in all of you know his career arc. So this is just uh, your way of trying to lead us back to Alabama with your Doug Jones comments. Yes, it is because it's all connected. <laughs> Abe Sapien for Senate, man. <laughs> See what I did? You I did. used the name and I meant another name, but word association. Yes. Okay. One last thing before we get to our reviews, man. Uh, something that just came out, and I bring it up only because I had a I had two very strong reactions to it. But have you seen the Battle Angel Alita trailer? No. Oh no! While we talk, just just Google Battle Angel Alita. So you get an image. Do you know what that is? It was a manga title from the 90s. Yes. Okay. I know the title. And Cameron was working on it for mm-hmm. like 15 years. Handed it off to Robert Rodriguez. Just get an oh, image. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. It's really? a visceral response, right? And this is a Cameron thing? Well, it's a it's a Robert Rodriguez thing. Oh, no. 
So they made her eyes big. They really went full in the archetype of that ickiness. It's like, to me, my first reaction, I saw the image. I didn't even watch the trailer. I saw the image and I thought, this is like someone's art school project. Like their, their super cool film thesis. Make the anime girl with the big eyes really a girl with big eyes. It's profound, right? It's terrible. Terrible. And how did they get Jennifer Connelly and Christopher Walls and Michelle Rodriguez associated with this? Okay. And now, Jackie Earl. Dude. That said, if you actually then take the time to watch the trailer, it took me a week to do it. Everything else about the cyberpunk world they've created and her bio, her, her, um, her cyber, her cyber arms and how they've manifested it with this sort of translucent crystalline sort of sheathing and stuff that they've given it. It almost looks like a marionette's hands. Mm-hmm. And then some of the action stuff that you see her do. And, and the fact that she proves to be the only one with those giant eyes, like everyone else is normal. So it's a very obvious affectation. It's like a mutation. Um, it, it's, I, I still can't get over the eyes, but everything else about it starts to look really good. And it makes me think that if they had just not done that gimmick with the eyes, it would look like someone said, you know, they were running down a tandem path of Ghost in the Shell and said, yeah, y- y- well, we could we could still do it better somehow. And this is what they ended up with. And it would have been fine as a dystopian cyberpunk story. But the eyes, I just don't know if I can get across, get over that threshold. Right. No, it, it looks like, uh, what is that? The, the sad cat? <laughs> yeah. Grumpy cat. Grumpy cat. <laughs> oh, no. I just think it's such a strange. I get it. But it's just too much weed to think of that a literal a literal interpretation of the big eyed anime girl was going to be profound. It just looks so wrong. It's just so bad. What is it like cross with a lemur? Someone, someone pointed out uh, just yesterday that maybe the problem is that James Cameron has an inability to see through the uncanny Valley because with avatar, all the time and money that he's invested in avatar combined with executive producing this, it may be that he just does not see the wrongness in the near, nearly human, right? The way mm-hmm. we do. And that's why he's just like, oh, that's fantastic. I love it. It's different. I love it. And he just runs with it and doesn't see the obvious problem that it's not a cool jarring thing. It's just a jarring, jarring thing. Well, and, and it, its roots are kind of really kind of icky. They are super icky. Yes. It really yeah. is. It is. It really is a, um, a real girl yeah. problems. What do you mean? There's something wrong with picking up teenage girls. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Dude, there's even tear wiping off her cheek and everything. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, that. So I love the I love the top stories on Google. Are Twitter hates James Cameron's Alita. <laughs> <laughs> James Cameron's like, wait a minute, you haven't even begun hating my my. <laughs> Come to me when you're ready to hate avatars three, four, and five, or whatever it is, two, three, and four. Just wait till you get to minute forty-two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> With that cameo by by Roy Moore. Yeah, right. <laughs> Dude, that is so unfortunate. What on God's green earth are they thinking? Then again, there was universal backlash right. against ScarJo in Ghost in the Shell, and she was amazing. Absolutely, but she didn't look like, you know, the prepubescent sex object that, oh, God. So, Blake, did you make a refreshing beverage update? You, I did. 
what do you, what do you have in there? More of the same? I'm doing the the uh, the rosé spitzer with lemon lime Gatorade. <laughs> it's not just for catheters anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's horrible. <laughs> so, my friend, I have a question for you. Again, I will endeavor to answer. Do you want to aim high or aim low? <clears throat> I shoot high, aim low. That's how I play. This, how I I'm roll. talking about your bathroom problems. I'm talking about. Oh, I'm sorry. well, I guess maybe I am talking about your bathroom problems. Do you want to this, talk about a movie head. that is it has been lambasted in the press, or do you want to talk about a movie that um, took everyone by surprise as being wonderful? First, do you want to end high or end low? Is what I'm asking you. I want to end high. All right, then. Justice I want, League. I want to go straight to the gutter. All right. <clears throat> so we'll say up front, we're going to talk about Justice League now. And I'll say up front that I'm going to play the role of the apologist and try to find redeeming things to say. And you are going to play the role of the guy that throws the match on the steaming, <laughs> the steaming, garbage, steaming pile of methane-infused garbage and watch the world burn. I think we can agree to start that it is bewildering that they fucked up Justice League. But utterly predictable. But I have to be honest. I went in. So here's my deal. So I came in, I came to the city early before taking my lovely wife, or rather my lovely wife taking me to see uh, Guns N' Roses, which was a challenge for me, but that's what we did. It's another, in the meantime, pop-infested blanket ritual. Oh, it just wasn't. Uh, anyway, the point is, okay, so anyway, I got to the city early enough, and the traffic wasn't what I thought it was, and so I ended up having some time to kill, and I looked at the schedule. I looked at the schedule and I was like, wow, in five minutes, Justice League starts across the street. So I said, what the hell? So I ran across to the Westfield Center, accidentally found myself. I didn't even know they had done this, but I found myself in their little premium theater, mm-hmm. leather seats. Everything's great. I had two. I had two IPAs and I sat down and said, you know, this is a bonus movie when otherwise I would be sitting in traffic. So let's be optimistic. And let me tell you what. I did have some fun. It is by note from a potential standpoint, it's abysmal, but it didn't, I didn't hate it the way I thought I was going to hate it. I just didn't think it was good, but I didn't hate it. So can I, can I tell you my experience? Oh yes. All right. Cause I was in Mauritius. Yes. On business travel. And <clears throat> I went to the theater that was yes. right, um, by the hotel and they had the special VIP theater. Yeah. Okay. And I bought a ticket, and I was the only one in the entire theater. Those photos were great. (laughs) I had the entire thing to myself. Um, It it only seats like 200 people, and it was me by myself. And it's a good thing that I was by myself because I was screaming at the screen. And it's the first time since uh, Purple Rain when I screamed at the screen positively that I had uh, done such a thing. And... um, Oh my God! <laughs> what what an abattoir of cinemat- cin- cinematographical twaddle! It, I can't tell you the vitriolic bilge infection that I had from that. It was um, oh, dude! My theater wasn't empty, but I was surprised when I walked in and sat down because I was early. 
but I sat down and here I am in this theater in downtown San Francisco for like, a, I grant it was 4 p.m. on a Wednesday or something, but even so, there were seven people in the theater. And, I, and that was my that, first that, moment that, where I thought that that's the, six too many. the negative hype leading up to this, because it's negative hype leading up to the film. If that hype hadn't been there, if the public didn't know how the sausage was made, enough, enough that the mainstream got a sense that there was a problem. People would have just gone to it because of the names on it, and, and it would have made a ton of money. But the fan awareness of how tr- how troubled that production was bled over into the mainstream. That kept people away even before even before all of the Rotten Tomatoes and all that other stuff came out. And they did like the shenanigans about delaying the 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 results of the you know the ratings on Rotten Tomatoes and all that stuff. Aside, bad movies have great first weekends. And then they have shitty second weekends, right? The first weekends, everybody, all the mainstream people that were fooled by the trailers or the general content and the fans who were obsessing about it. And then Mm -hmm. after that, you have that. Everyone has the 50% drop, but the bad movies have a terrible drop because no one will go back and see it. No one tells their friends to go see it. All that. It doesn't get momentum. And all the movies that do well because they are good have repeat viewing momentum. Or they break out of their demographic and 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 appeal to to mainstream families whatever this movie didn't have that it didn't have the opening weekend hit that is what baffles me about how they managed to bungle this so badly how they managed to bungle the how do they how did they bungle the message to the mainstream viewer in the year and a half leading up to this to tell the average american with a family of five with a bunch of kids, maybe you don't want to go see the Justice League with all their, your kids' favorite superheroes in it. Yeah. How do you do that? No, because it was it was a tidy bowl. It was it, no, but regardless of how bad the movie actually is, how do you make it well, so I'm, bad I'm, leading up to it that people won't even go to find out how bad it is? I'm trying to understand your point here. Like it it sucked, but it could have made so much more money, even though it sucked. So now you're talking like yes. now you're using the the apologist Transformers thing that no no oh of course it sucked but it made a lot of money Transformers so. is a good example though Transformers is garbage film but five of they them. mark yeah five but they market them. them successfully enough sell the toys get the kids excited it's garbage but the mainstream viewer and the international audiences are what keep the Transformers stuff going even though it's trash yeah it's a it's a Justice it's a League should be an order of magnitude more popular than any Transformers out of the gate. And that is what I found so astounding. It's the opening weekend failure, not the repeated, not everything after that. I totally get that. Especially I just can't believe you couldn't even get that. Especially coming off of the success, surprising success, but well-deserved of Wonder Woman. Right, right. And, and, and I will, so first and foremost, I will say that Wonder Woman was what all these DC movies should be right. in terms of the human content, in terms of the, cinematography in terms of plot narrative and in terms of making it really compelling both visually and uh it's marvelishness it's marvelishness um because it's captain america first avenger but with a beautiful woman you know that and i'm not putting it down i'm saying its draw is that it was playing off of a i mean it's very very similar to first avenger yeah yeah 
but yeah, it was amazing. It was much better than anyone thought. And frankly, all the pre, all the stuff buzz leading up to it was that inter- the story was that internally the executives were panicking that they had seen a cut of the film and it was bad and they were, didn't know what they were going to do and that Jenkins was shitting the bed. And then it comes out and it's fantastic. Which tells me that the executives in charge of the ship shouldn't be in charge of a garbage cow. Well, and they no longer are, right? Right. They've, there's been some restructuring, but so let's talk about that because there's, you know, so so the, the you know the the fact that the Justice League movie didn't work out is infamous. Everyone knows, but you know the story now is that executive meddling had a lot to do with the final product and and some of the reasons why it doesn't work. And I think I think it's worth discussing because you don't think that's a cop out. I think no, that's a cop-out. no, no, because I want to talk about the I want to talk about the the sort of the choose your own adventure version of this problem. So, so Snyder's out for a combination of legit personal reasons and a, a, a horrific and catastrophic personal horrible. reason. Yeah. Horrible, not, but I have to believe that they were also let, this was a convenient opportunity for them to make a shift because they were concerned after BVS. So I'm not, but I'm not going to go there because I think they actually did it because of human things. No, because, I, I agree, but I'm right, saying, I'm not, I think that yeah. they were, because they didn't, they didn't hand him the keys back. Do you know what I'm saying? It was an opportunity to change the guard, and they hire the guy. They hire <laughs> one of the guys that is has has the dual <laughs> reputation as being a a mega successful Marvel director and a guy that pulls together ensemble teams with a combination of adventure and comedy and pulls it off in right. other projects too. So they tried yeah. to fix it with a guy that would make it more Marvelish. And the result is that it's really fractured, right? You're watching two movies at the same time on like left and right sides of the screen. They're different, right? And that's one of the biggest problems is it's not very, it's not subtle. The transitions between the Snyder stuff and the Whedon stuff. Now, a lot of the comments are that that is because the executive shoved him into place and said, fix it. He shot a bunch of stuff. And then they said, yeah, but that's, and then they just kind of picked and chose from what he shot and then kludge it all together post-production, and there you go, because they're racing it out the door because they wanted to get their bonuses in before the end of the fiscal year. I think that that's a plausible reality that could make a difference between saving the film, or at least making it salvageable, versus it just flaming out the way it did. Yeah, yeah, but, but, but I also think it comes down to just a, a fundamental error in strategy. That, they didn't have a story. <laughs> Well, that just came back to haunt them. I think they were trying to play catch up, right? And and trying to rush to the the Uber team thing, where they could have done what Marvel did, and not and not saying that you, you just take success and take that playbook and do the exact same thing. But I mean, it, the way that they forced everybody together, the way that Batman versus Superman just set it up in just not a good way. Um, well, that's and, half the problem, though. Half the problems with Justice League was the ham-fisted BVS lead-in. Absolutely. If you pretend that BVS didn't exist, and in some ways it almost it almost plays that way because the reaction the film opens with ten minutes of the world sobbing over the death of Superman. When in the last canon film to cover these mater- these characters, the world was against him. Yeah, the, the world hated him. Right. Right. It was so they were available. rewriting the continuity as they went. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And they did the same thing in Suicide Squad, right? Right. The 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 opening theme is like Superman's dead, and now 
double gun it. Right. Also, you know, but I just I think it the the problems that plague Justice League were not were not those necessarily of tactics. I think it was just the lack of vision about how all these things could fit and be compelling. I think they're really trying to have a, a, a desperate Hail Mary to try and catch up with the peer status with the MCU, and it just fell apart. Well, there's nothing in the tin is the problem. Right. And like you said, there's no vision. Everything about that film felt like it was loosely mapped out on paper, but it didn't have a meaning. It didn't have a reason to exist other yeah. than to be what it was. Yeah. And it, there's it, no way. I mean, people in retrospect, people act like the Avengers movies were these fantastic things. They weren't. The reason that Avengers is a bra- have bragging rights is that they made the the team superhero dynamic that we've been waiting for as kids grown up. They made it real. They made it fun. They made it exciting and they pulled it off. But the reality is the main stories weren't great. Fighting the seas of generic people is not fun. And you know, they, they they aren't as good as they feel like in retrospect, they are good based on being buffered by all the other Marvel stuff that led to them because they didn't come out of nowhere. Every Avengers film was built on all of the phase whatever phase it was other projects that led to that film and then on to the next all the other projects that led to the follow-up of that film yeah and then the bleed into using captain america as an avengers movie and the way that they you know basically you know decentralized their their team dynamic storytelling it's absolutely perfect because you're building on a history of these characters together and that justice league they had a powerpoint (laughs) and they made the team and that's it but it it, was not earned at all Right, right. But to me, I thought the Avengers worked because of the personal dynamics mm-hmm. that were built and the relationships that were built and the connectivities that were built over the span of a serious investment in time and effort to, to make the, the, the thing to me. And it's still true, I think, even in the comics that um, the, the why I had such an affinity for Marvel over DC when I was growing up is that it was all about the these humans that were struggling through being thrust into this limelight that they never really wanted um, for the most part. They were in conflict with each other. Conflict with each other. Actually, from day one, battling each other. Right. And and trying to reach equilibrium to come together to do the right thing. Whereas in DC, it was the, the you know, the superhumans masquerading as humans, except for Batman. Right. Right? And and that's why Batman is still my favorite character in the DC universe. But it's um, it was still a pantheon of virtue, right? And and the, and they're they're kind of like these immortals. And even even the history, the the origin, even in Wonder Woman and and you know Steppenwolf coming back and all these side segues and everything else, that these were basically immortals. And I I just couldn't freaking believe it that they fell back into what was that horrible movie um, about Ra. And they were back gods of Egypt, gods of Egypt, right? And that the gods were like ten feet tall, you know, big dudes. That and, I didn't and, see it, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, right. But but so the difference between the gods and the humans were that the gods were all ten feet tall, standing over. And the same thing in, in Justice League, where the, they're doing the the foundation piece, where the, the Zeus and Ares and everybody yeah. else, and 
in that common battle scene, they, the, the gods were 10 feet tall and the Atlanteans right. were, you know, something else. And then, oh my God, it was uh, so awful. <laughs> how how clever was it in the Avengers that not only was it a very tense or sort of loose gathering of people to begin with, but they used the chaos created by the stone in Loki's in Loki's spear to create that conflict and tension between them to where they're all fighting with each other. It was a it was a throwback to how the Avengers always fought with each other, right? But also, just looking at the concept of superhero movies in general, they didn't explain it. Right? They didn't sit there and have everyone turn around and go, "That gem's making us piss into each other." They just left it there and moved on. And repeat viewings, you look at it, and you can see how that scene grows tenser and tenser and tenser as it goes, and how the camera pans from one to the other with the staff in the background in center frame. And then, and then in Banner's hand. <clears throat> and then in Banner's hand. I think that was brilliant in a way that it, that it pulled some of that imagery from the comics, but made it make sense in a realistic-esque Marvel story in yeah. the film. And and so that's the kind of that's the kind of nuance that the DCU hasn't even begun to figure out. No, and 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 the, the mishmash way that they threw all these folks together, it seemed like, that was um, terrible. like a uh, like a it was like an episode show. of Amazing yeah. Race or something. Yeah, it was hit like, the checkpoints. Right? And then and to me, so the the one redeeming thing that that was in Justice League was the the Wonder Woman arc, of course, mm-hmm. um, and the flashes as there's comedic relief, but. Aquaman, the way that they treated Aquaman and portrayed his character, and oh, it was just wretched. Like, <laughs> I thought it was fun, dude. Come on, like the the whole right. shout backstory of the Atlanteans, and then he's you know fighting the the Steppenwolf aliens up in the sky, and and Cyborg. Oh yeah, total afterthought. He's like my man. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but they were playing. But I mean, they've they've drawn a char- They've drawn an Aquaman that was not from Atlantis. He's from Atlantis, but he's been on his human side has been his whole life. Yeah, and he's, so he's very begrudgingly right. returned to his roots. But he's not Namor. But the he's problem like, is they didn't her. explain that though. Right. They, it didn't come through in the final edit. You can tell that the seeds were there, that he was supposed to have gone back, that that his relationship with Atlantis is a fractured one. He doesn't like that part of himself and he's begrudgingly and so he's just this, you know, this whatever the cool hipster on a, on a Harley guy, but, but he's begrudgingly comes back and accepts his birthright in order to fight this bigger evil. But we didn't get that in this film. No, we no, got a bunch of showboating, right? Right. But he was and, still fun though. And the trident, that's not a trident. Oh, the five didn't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then. <laughs> okay. Okay. But it's so like, it's like Aquaman was out hanging out with the cast of point break. Yeah. That's true. And Gary Busey, like trying to learn how to, you know, be a real man. And then he comes back and does this. Like it's just on Monday, James Wan tweeted, That's not how we're doing underwater talk underwater talking, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a heading off that in the past. Yeah. So okay. Uh and, all right. So Wonder full Woman. Disclosure, full disclosure. I am not a Momoa hater. Yeah. I really like him as an actor. I think he's he's, he's Well. No, no. Um I saw one indie film with him over this past summer that really changed my perspective on him quite a oh, bit. Oh, with the with the sweatpants. Yep. And um, oh, he looks like he's a he seems like he's a good actor. Projects like this, though, 
my problem with it was that it felt like they were allowing him to just play a version of himself, but heightened an exaggerated version of his, of his personal celebrity in this role in a way that people have criticized Mickey Rourke in Iron Man two as being all they did was just point up camera at his normal wackadoo stuff and give him a parrot. And there he is. And <laughs> right. And yes. it, but so, so for example, like if, can you imagine if he was not anything like this, if he didn't have a Twitter feed that showed him constantly doing bow and arrow hunting with his kids and drinking pints with this person and that person and walking around with no shirt all the time? Can you imagine if he was an accountant like type guy in his personal like life? Yeah. Like yeah. I don't know. I guess what I'm saying was they were trading on the coolness of his personal mystique and they gave it to the, the, the lamest justice league character. And I'm fine with that. Because I have absolutely no interest in Aquaman whatsoever. I'm going to say there's something awful. I think like they couldn't get The Rock, and so they just went. <laughs> it, went. <laughs> All right, so Wonder Woman. So uh, Gal- they made a point Gal-Gado. of making her Gal Gadot. Huh? By the way, Gal Gadot. Yes, is, is like the one bright shining light in the entire DC universe right now. And if they don't take advantage of that, well. They, Complete idiots. No, what they need to do is just uh, drive the drive all those trucks from Die Hard Three out of New York <laughs> and to her house in Israel, and just dump all the money that they have, and yeah. and just let her and Patty Jenkins make oh. everything. And they should just give Jenkins the reins, right. just like Star Wars gave Ryan Johnson the reins. Mm-hmm. They should just give Patty the reins and say, "Go forth and do whatever you want." I absolutely agree with you. Right, um, I think I think that would be the smartest thing they could do right now because it is just in tatters. Her her um bank her bank uh terrorist attack foiling at the beginning of the film. Um I did have some cognitive dissonance, like I was pulled out of the verisimilitude when she threw the bomb up in the air and it was supposed to be enough to level at four city blocks and she tossed it a hundred couple hundred feet in the air and, and there wasn't the uh the air dispersal method of, of, of explosives happening. Right. Yeah. But, and, and also they had said that there were other, there were four or five other agents doing the same thing. And I don't know how they were all diffused, but yeah, the scene itself was super fun. Oh, absolutely. But... Uh, it was a good reminder of how fun she can be in various circumstances beyond just what we saw in her film. They made a point of a, a couple of script references suggesting that, Oh, I never gave up on, humanity and whatever and don't worry about what we said before i'm a team player the interesting the dynamic of bruce wayne being the one to gather the justice league in the wake of superman's death based on his visions it it makes sense only within the framework of the story that they've created here by accident but it's such an uneven dynamic from the justice league that we've all batman was always a reluctant member no, he, and, and he was who, always halfway there just to make sure that he could take out anybody who was on that team. Well, and, and just to keep aware of what they're doing right. and the, their weaknesses. He was right. there to get intel on what made them tick so that if push came to shove, he could take them out. Well, and that's, I mean, this is classic DZEU, right? They skip to the end with BVS, which is an, an, wow. an Elseworlds future tale, right? And that's how they introduced the guy. So how do we now have, so now how do we now have us have, have a story component of him, uh, you know, having files on how to defeat all his teammates. We, yeah. We've already, we already went from a point of zero trust and went backwards. And they even had the balls to, I give them credit. They had a balls to reference this as sort of a MacGuffin in the Superman revival moment when he says, 
all right, you know, bring out the secret weapon and you think it's going to be, you know, he's going to bring out a crystal, uh, like a kryptonite javelin or something. And it's, you know, it's Lois. It's Lois. Right. Yeah. So, so it was, it was a bait, it was a bait and switch, but, but, but I, you know, I still go back to BBS where, you know, Bruce Wayne was so malevolent and plotting everybody's failure that he actually did branding and pilot test screens with the uh, logos. Yeah. That do for, no, a, no, he didn't. Lex Luthor did. It was Luther. It was, it was uh, Lex Corp that did all the PowerPoints. He, he actually looked at the PowerPoints and then wrote emails to Wonder Woman saying, who are you? Is this you? What is this? What right. are these? You know, who are you I, really? I think, I think Bruce hacked and he does the, but, uh, oh, and then the beginning scene with the lanterns. Oh, yes. So that was just a, like a little nod. So there had to have been in the Snyder version of this film, they had to have been planning on releasing a lantern. Or introducing a lantern because the the marketing from a year ago was unite the seven. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> and then we come into the film with five until the third act and then we get Superman back. Right. So, you know, and, and, the, and the way they brought soup back and the whole angst about. All right. right. Okay. Okay. But wait, 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 let's talk about the team first before we get to that. Okay. So. <laughs> the, so as cheesy as it was in the trailers, the more extended version in the film of Bruce Wayne going around and collecting all these people still felt really weird and uneven. The Aquaman scenes didn't make a whole lot of sense that he was barking into this crowd. And then there's one guy in the back saying, you know, fuck off. And he's like, no, no, but which one of you really is the superhuman Atlantean? Give me a freaking break. There's like a bunch of Russian and Polish fishermen. Yeah. There's and, and Inuit, and then there's the one guy who's seven feet tall, right, with with like crystal blue eyes yeah. and dreadlocks, no shirt, drinking whiskey. Right. Yeah, right. Yes. I know. And and a, and a and a trident over in the corner, you know, for you know Balin Hay. But some beautiful cinematography. No, in the fjords and whatever. The fjords. It looked uh, like it, okay. It looks like they stole the scene from Prometheus and just like went over the Icelandic landscape and did that's, the same thing. That's fair. Uh, the Wonder Woman Batman dynamic was interesting. They're sort of interesting that they're 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 like they're equals, but at the same time, she's a reluctant. She's like a, a, at sometimes she's a, a reluctant participant, and at other times she's kind of egging him on. That sequence when they're talking about the lead up to should they revive Superman, I did think it was interesting when he goaded her into reacting when he brought up Trevor. Yeah. That was kind of a cool scene. I liked that when she popped him. Um, but that leads to a fundamental problem I had with Batman in this movie. And that's not that Affleck was tired in all the film, in all the scenes that people complain about. It's a fundamental problem with using Batman in a story about all of these super, super humans where there's a combination of gods and larger than life powers and everything else. He should have been written as a very clever, very prepared, extremely agile fighter. He had to he had to be the absolute best human, non-powered human that was around. Such a skilled fighter that he and having having predicted what everyone's going to do and have backup plan after backup plan for everything. That was the way to make him hold his own. And like the best of the comics, he needed to be the deadpan core to everybody else's larger than life stuff. Mm -hmm. You need to be just all business. And they softened him largely with the weed and stuff, but they softened him into being more vulnerable and making some quips and these other things. 
And I never felt like in any of his action or in his speeches that he felt like this compelling leader of this team or as a human that was holding his own with them. So, and, and I'll say that this, that the most telling personification of that is when Flash asks him, so what's your superpowers? And he says, I'm rich. Right. Bill Batman would have never said that. Right. 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 And, uh, and, and that, that was just it. And, and more than that, he's like a rich dude that is looking for a way to go off to the retirement home. And he doesn't want to do this anymore. He's trying to get the team together so that he can bail. I mean, that's how I got that. Like, he was just, he's like, I'm going to create something better than me. And then they'll go off and do everything. And I'm too old for this. And I'm out. Yeah. And that, 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 that is antithetical to everything. He built, that I lar- he built huge irrational things and crashed them. Yeah. Repeatedly. Yeah. And his, and his fighting, he spent, this is a guy that fought Superman to a standstill, admittedly with, with God powers, you know, the kryptonite stuff. And then he can barely hold his own against one parademon. And then later he's knocking him out like nothing. Yep. It was completely uneven how they how they showed his reactions to thing, but things but there's a lot of times when his his physicality and his fighting think about how in bvs like the best thing in that entire movie was him launching himself into that warehouse and taking out three floors of thugs mm-hmm. and, uh you know d- uh pool diving off of the front end of his little bat plane into the thing going from behind using tricks uh using misdirection Beat mm-hmm. the shit out of everybody. That was the Batman yeah. I thought we were going to see in Spades in this film. None of it. And and he really wasn't. He didn't do much, and it, that was a weakness to me. Yep. I and also then, had and then Cyborg. Well, wait. But the other thing about Batman is I had a fundamental problem with the fact that he was making this passioned appeal that they should use apocalypse fueled technology to resuscitate Superman. When his entire arc in the last film was that he was fearful of Superman because of his alien nature, his God powers and his and Batman's persistent visions of Superman leading a parademon army on behalf of an otherworldly invasive force. So there was absolutely made no sense whatsoever that he would now be arguing to take his body down and dunk it in the Kryptonian ship. And, and oh, by the way, does anybody remember BBS where they they took one dead Krypton, Krypton <laughs> and they put him in, and he turned out to be Apocalypse? Like, well, and they well, they, but they were trying to trade on that in this. But hey, the, look, but, they're but, doing but, the same well, thing, and it might have the same result. But why would he go there in the first place? Tech surprise! Like, hey, this worked out so well the first time. Let's do it again. And so, at, at that moment when we were when I was watching this in the theater, my feeling was that that was a critical failure in the way that that script progressed and that the direction they should have gone was that someone else on the team, Wonder Woman or whomever should have convinced them they need to resuscitate Superman. And they did it against his, without him knowing. And he comes to them as they're doing it to discover that they've done it. And that's this huge betrayal about everything that he believed or even after, <clears throat> or after, after the fact, right? When the, when they had the first scene where Superman comes to, you know, being and he's all freaked out and starts lashing out against people. Imagine if Superman thought that he was still in the thick of the battle against Batman yeah. and just right up right there, thinking that they were still in the heat of it. Yeah, 
I, that that would have made a much more powerful thematic element than than what we got. And you know, the before we get to Superman, so I think we can both agree that Cyborg was not very well developed. And they apparently they had a lot more footage from the trailers. They had a lot more footage of him and his story arc that was chopped. Developed. I mean, the, the, he was a prop. I will say that I didn't like in all the promos. I didn't like his design, but in the film, his at least in the film's continuity, his heavily faceted look was at least something to differentiate him from every other chromey cyborg looking character out there. Absolutely. I agree with that. <clears throat> Until the end of the movie where he streamlined himself to look like yeah. the comics. <clears throat> yeah. He was not very, his, his storyline was fraught with problems and it didn't make a whole lot of sense. And, and yeah. yeah, he did. But I, I will, really I will say that Zach brought back Billy Crudup to star in yet another train wreck of a yeah. Yeah. <laughs> movie. That was great. So flash, I actually really liked. No, I see your face. You're turning red. No, I just like the flash. So, so I liked him, but again, I thought it was. What's wrong with having an inexperienced? I mean, I know it's no Spider-Man, but he was not playing the Spider. Spider-Man was a unique thing in Civil War. He was enthusiastic, naive and enthusiastic, but not an idiot. He yep. was very confident, and he was wide-eyed about the people he was fighting with and against but he was still very accomplished in what he was doing. He just didn't have tactical experience, but he was very, but he, but he, but he held his own. This flash is a guy who's very, he's just backing his way in. I'm totally in. I'm great. Which was fun. But when he got into it, he didn't know what to do. And I thought that was interesting. Huh? He was totally overwhelmed. I don't fight people. I just touch them and they fly away. I thought it was great. I thought that, that I thought that the core of the idea of that scene, that he's like, I don't know what to do. I don't fight. I don't do anything. And Batman's saying, just, save that guy. Right. And that's all his, and that was his only piece of advice and the idea that he would put it together. <clears throat> I save people one at a time and suddenly I've saved everybody. I, that was interesting. It was a vulnerability. It was, but so to me, I and think he was funny. Were, he was very funny and he's a good actor. Um, and they did, they did the effects with him the best out of anybody in the movie. They were interesting. Yeah. I mean, um, cable looked like, I don't know, Plastic man in a lot of the shots. All right. but, I want to talk about him last because he was the most yeah. egregious. But um, to me, that they were trying to replicate the Batman Robin idiot type. That's a good point. I didn't. I didn't it, really think of that. But yeah. the Batman Flash, you know, proxy. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I resented that. <clears throat> and and especially like in in the the DC universe that I know and the Justice League that I know, Flash when he was coming in was an established. You know, he, he wasn't some wonderkind. He, he was very confident. Most, he was one of the most mature members of the Justice League. He was like one of the glues that held them all together. Right. And so the, to me, it was just a clash of um, that. That's my main issue on that. It's just like they're trying to give Batman a sidekick for some comedic value that um, wasn't wearing the Robin outfit. I really wonder how much of Flash that we got was Whedon Flash and not Snyder Flash. That's a really good question. And I, because everything yeah. we saw from Snyder's footage earlier, all the BBS references, he was serious. The early looks of him appeared to be serious. And then in the, in the final version, we get him as being very, um, he, he's, he's the narrative in, right? He's the, he's the everyman reacting to all this stuff in a, in a normal way. This is crazy, right? Uh, that's Whedon's MO, right? 
that's you take the, you make the normal person, then you put him in the center of all this craziness, and then you make them rise above it all. Well, and, and you make him a goofy fanboy. Yeah, or a, or a hot girl who's also a nerd. Right. But they they didn't do that with Godot. I mean, so they, you know, they're trying. There to were a lot it. more upskirts in this movie than in Wonder Woman. Yeah, and it's totally unnecessary. <laughs> There was a little bit of sexism too. There was a weird there was. creepiness was. to how they act, they they acted about her, but at the same time, that's a very modern, real. I mean, that's the that's the real event, real world events, coloring how you see a dynamic that, at its core, is a bunch of dudes around a god a god woman who's incredibly beautiful and incredibly powerful. They but are going to be kind of dipshits around her. But wait, in in Wonder Woman, they had the same. You know, situation, but they and respected they her, off, and, and they put it off so much better. Like, and then, especially when she proved herself, you know, she wasn't just some pretty young thing on the side, um, right? I mean, that there was the respect. There was this. It was that's who was directing it, right? But then, and then he didn't even notice the outfits because it was, it was superfluous to the plot. Right. It was just right. It's she commanded uh, even even though uh, Trevor was hot for her, and people were like, "Whoa, she's amazing." She commanded respect throughout the Wonder Woman movie. And in this film, she was a desirable object because we're back into the male gaze. Very clearly. Very yeah. clearly. I would agree with that. And the way they did, the way they did the love story in Wonder Woman uh, was tasteful. One of the most tasteful I've ever seen. Right. And uh, it wasn't some damsel in distress or anything like that. It was it, it, it was really satisfying to see that that um, archetype played out in such a, an environment of respect and uh, professionalism. It was really, and passion still. So it was really well done. I enjoyed the scene when Batman pushed her or uh, Wayne pushed her into reacting Mm -hmm. by bringing up Trevor, pushing her buttons, getting her to react. It was an interesting scene. However, it also reminded me of the fact. What? It was one of the most interesting scenes in the entire movie. It was, although it reminded me, though, that the most compelling argument towards Batman being a dick is the loss of Robin. And we got a hint of it at MBS because he just looks at the costume and walks away. But that was a missing link in this plot that would have been really useful. Yep. Is him being motivated, having challenges in getting a group together because he's worked alone for so long because he lost someone that he had roped into things that trusted him. Well, and he and, should have been reluctant to be in this role and not wanting to lead. And the Trevor thing should have been a right bounce back to him and his experiences with Robin. Yeah. And so they just ignored so, it all. So to me, they, they had the roles reversed, right? So wonder, uh, wonder woman was this reluctant hero yeah, right. because of yeah, loss, yeah. right. And, yeah. and not wanting to, go out there and lead because when you lead people die mm-hmm. actually you know a, love, a verbatim line from the movie yeah that's batman's line that the reason why he <laughs> really operates by, that the reason why he operates by himself is because every time he tries to bring others in and and leads everybody dies <laughs> everybody dies and uh i mean ugh. okay superman we gotta talk about superman i can't handle it anymore this is this goes back to the executives rushed it and they had to get it out the door. Oh. Uh, the the battle between uh, and we haven't gotten to step in WB and and Paramount is legendary at this point. 
Yep. The Battle of the Mustache. I mean, there's obviously, obviously, they would have made sense. They should have not only paid for the artificial mustache, but they should have thrown any amount of money at Paramount to allow it to happen. And actually, in reality, and this speaks to the whole scheduling thing, they should have just delayed the film. They should have delayed the reshoots long enough to allow it to be done right, had a little bit more time to set it up, put it together the way it what needed to be, edit it in the time it needed to take, and push its release another year. Yep. That there's no one in the editing room, and there's no executive looking at this, saw that footage and thought, yeah, that'll pass. It, there's no way around this was cash it in and let's get some butts and seats. Let's have a gangbuster fuse first few opening weekends and make a bunch of money overseas and get our paychecks. Because there's no way you could look at that and say that that makes any sense whatsoever. It was jarringly out of place. It was just, uh, it was awful. Those yeah. er, That early awkward little thing that Whedon wrote where the kid's interviewing him and it was really uncomfortable and lots of pauses and just didn't make sense. It was such an enormous backfire because the whole thing was framed around it, having a lot of time staring at Superman being awkward and smiling for no reason with a no lip. Like it just it didn't make any sense. The last thing you do when you have a missing link like that is put the camera right on it and just stare at him and have him fumble around for a while. You put him in motion. You have him talking while doing things. And the close-ups were the worst. Why was why was that entire sequence not shot kids eye view, mm-hmm. chest down, yep. or something, or like silhouettes, or like head turned half the time, or, Keep, or just like or just like somebody would filming on an iPhone, right? Like right. jarring, like jerky you know, cam, jerky cam. You can't miss anything except maybe just his eyes at the end. Uh, we right said there. that's how they could have made Leia more successful in Rogue One was yeah. give her less sta- staring slow motion at the camera and smiling and more moving around and the image of her more than the direct shot of her. That's what oh, no, they could the, have done the, here. The nerdophiles are just trying to show off, you know, the size of their CGI skills. But they did. But they had no time. It's so obvious. Well, it didn't. It wouldn't take. It wouldn't take much to make <clears throat> that effect work if they had the time and the resources to do it. Obviously, because it's been done to great effect in other we, films. We put heads on other people, other people's bodies. We de-age people. Kurt Russell in Gar- in Galaxy, right? Gar- right. I mean, even back in the eighties and nineties, when actors died mid-production, and they continued Pink Panther and Crow and whatnot, where they just continued on with trickery and camera angles and stuff to make it work for the story. Yep, it was. Oh. And then we haven't gotten into Steppenwolf mm. and the battle scenes and the CGI there. Okay. Steppenwolf always looked like a computer generated character. I mean, he it never was. moved like a human. He, his reactions were, were slow. The only thing I will give it is, and, and yeah, he was a monochromatic blob leading a bunch of monochromatic blobs. But the one thing I'll give it is that I like that his helmet and his face blended together into what looked like an evil beard, but it was actually like weird bone structure off of his jaw. That part was interesting. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he looked like a hipster at 4 a.m. down on Skid Row. Yeah, right. <laughs> anyway, there's nothing to say about him because he didn't do anything. Even the story of him collecting the boxes and like, why didn't he go and collect them at any other time in history? Why did any of it matter? None of it made any sense. Yep. And I, and I, and I really don't understand... You know, the Kryptonian reference, because 
remember we said now's the time no lanterns, lanterns no kryptonians no lanterns no kryptonians uh uh the kryptonians and the super thing wasn't real until you know 30 years ago i don't right. understand you know hearkening back to the day of yore with aries and zeus and you know, right what are you talking about They're, right it was like the words coming out of a super like a, a super villain a minor super villain saying what he's dead let's go <laughs> yeah right oh those meddling kids are gone let's go get the dakota ring I was astonished that they didn't give us at the end of the film some big, big reveal of Darkseid himself. I know that they were up against the fact that Marvel was doing it with Thanos and doing it better, but all this lead up and then they didn't even show it. Well, I don't understand why they even did. They did Steppenwolf to begin with. I think they, they could have picked so many better um, villains to, to lead off with. It would have been so much better. But... Well, before Infinity War was a glimmer and they were still sort of loosely plotting this out. I think that they thought Steppenwolf would be the first act. They would kick his ass and, and then overconfident and then Darkseid would come and wipe their asses entirely. Yep. And then have that classic hero story of being beaten down in the second act and then coming back against all odds in the third act. Yep. I think that's what they thought they were going to do. But then so, the, and the other thing is I, I just think they, they use the, the, the other issue I had is that Superman shows up. I mean, basically got their ass kicked. And then Superman shows up, has a little moment of crisis, and then realizes he is a superhero. And then, and and then he cleans up. And then he cleans up, and it's like, well, why do we need a Justice League? We just got Superman. That's all we need. Right? <laughs> it really was. You're like, okay, great. You just proved the, the, the banality of the entire enterprise. Well, and but the problem was he couldn't work in the team because he never worked with the team. So what are you supposed to do with him? And if we need him so desperately... Why do you need the team? Right. It, to me, it would have been... It would have made more sense if they were to say, we need a heavy hitter like you to distract Steppenwolf while we do the sneaky shit and was a killing blow. figure out his weakness, blow. right? Yeah. You, we need you as a big, a big decoy. And I guess they kind of did that with Cyborg and pulling yeah. the, the, the boxes apart, but it was still Superman that came down and did the killing blow. Yeah. With his mustache. It's also irritating that... Uh, it's also irritating that we didn't see the black suit. I'm no fan of the mullet and all that other stuff, but he, but Cavill did sneak. He did send out a tweet that showed the suit, and then people, eyewitnesses, said that they saw them filming a bunch of stuff with that. And I really look forward to seeing that come out because. Oh, where would he get the black suit? The from morgue? a ship. From the morgue? I don't know. From a ship. The point is, in in BVS, no, no, in Man of Steel, when he goes up against Zod, and you see that Zod and his whole crew were in those weird black versions of the Kryptonian suit. They were the coolest, looking, by the way, much huh? better looking version. They, yeah, they but... looked badass. Yep. So my thought was he was going to be in a Zod type suit and he was going to look great. <laughs> Cause Zod yeah. looked great. Zod looked great. I mean, the, the entire regimen of that, that, that crew element looks so much better. Even Russell Crowe looked better. And, and they never explained the blue and red, just like suddenly that materialized like, okay, you're a dandy. <laughs> You're you're a tea merchant in Venice. All okay, right. so I only have one more thing to to talk about with this movie, and I still I still say I I did enjoy it to a point. I didn't, or, or or at least I didn't hate it the way I thought I would. I just didn't think it was good, but I still enjoyed parts of it. But what? How did you feel about the stinger with Luthor? I. Uh... In terms of its impact, in terms of its merit, in terms Just of anything what? about it. I mean, how did you feel about it? 
I thought it was a it, it was just trying to nail down a loose end from BVS. I thought that's all it was. I didn't understand why he had to wear Gene Hackman's outfit and be on Gene Hackman's yacht, but I but I did like the idea that he that he finally executed his breakout when it was convenient for him, and I liked the bringing in of of Deadshot because or uh, Deathstroke. Deathstroke, yeah, because we had known. It was very interesting because we had seen so much build up about the aborted Batman direction with the solo film that and and Joe Mantaniano, whatever his name is, had even posted photos and talked about how he had been produced producing material for it and all this. And you see that and it's exciting because it it's in continuity with what was going to be in the Batman movie before it got changed. Yeah. And, you know, I guess I just would have liked to have seen Ned Beatty. <laughs> no, but hey, Mr. Kryptonite, Kryptonite Mr. gems Luthor. on giant chain necklaces. Mr. Luthor. Weird shallow pools with weird lighting. Oh, exactly. that scene is awkward. How um, does your brain generate enough energy to move that body and feed that mouth? Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> that scene in in uh, Superman did not do me any favors with my fear of drowning. I will say that. Mm-hmm. And I am Italian. I do have a predisposition for concrete shoes. I should be careful. Yeah, well, you know, wear your family lineage with pride, young man. That's right. Uh, I I think that the thing I liked about the Lex Luthor reveal at the end of the film is that it's something that I've wanted to see in one of these films that we have yet to see, with the exception of sort of a hint of it in Civil War, and that is I want the supervillain team to go up against the superheroes. And we have yet to have a supervillain team Correct. on any of these movies. Correct. I want a team engineered, put together to fight the good guys. For whatever well, motives they have, and we well, have not yet to have that. And they could have that in DC. It could be one of their saving graces that they they had the Suicide Squad, right? And they, they could actually have Luthor come in and manipulate that in part of the military industrial complex, and then say. And in the comics, the Suicide well, the modern Suicide Squad came out of Luthor's. He was leading it, or right. who appeared to be leading it anyway. Right, because you could really tap into the the current conversation around xenophobia. Yeah. Right, which was the one good thing that I I got from the BBS actually is you know it yeah. was at least it was topical and current in fear of the other, and um, that Spectre was cool at the beginning, right? So they they could tap into that again, and the fact that Suicide Squad was run by the military industrial complex makes it even easier. I know how how simple and ballsy would have been to just pit them as the villains in another film. <clears throat> the way that they rushed Suicide Squad. And the way that they rushed Justice League, they might as well have just done that. Yeah. Right. Especially if Luthor knew um, about the boxes and, you know, their power and was trying to bring Darkseid down. Right. Well, at the same time, though, the the same problem that they have with Avengers, which led to the the legion of monochromatic robots and things to smash. The problem, again, with putting together like Suicide Squad and putting up against Justice League is Justice League is like four fifths super superhuman demigods and there's no one on the suicide squad that could even last three minutes. It it would be potato pancake. So you would have to have an interesting story in which Luthor has engineered a scenario where they undermine the, each member of the justice league through playing on their weaknesses, pitting them against each other, doing all kinds of other stuff. It's all the stuff you do to bring down a God and bring them down, you know, Reduce them to a human scale as you you know you will away at them. Oh, you, There's you, a whole you, movie there. Just do you, that. Tragedy. You just just do a fellow on them. Trick them. Yeah. 
And, you know, the battle I would really like to see is Wonder Woman versus Superman. Right? It's not too late. I, I, I don't I, What? It's not too late. It's not too late. Because, you know, Batman, you know, now that the kryptonite is out of the bag. So God versus God. Right? Just like yeah. Thor Hulk that we'll get to next. Um, how do you kill something that can't be killed? Without using your cheat tools. Right. And Wonder Woman and, doesn't have any cheat tools. So that that would be a very compelling thing that if Luther got into their heads and and then the rest of the Justice League is just, I mean, the rest of Spectre is just picking off, you know, the mortals and Flash, whatever. Aquaman, you just throw a beer at his head and he'll be fine. Um, <laughs> a salmon steak and like... <laughs> a salmon steak. Yeah. You throw Pollock at him and he's outraged enough that he gives up. Right. Okay, here's a krill build. <laughs> hey, check this out. Have you ever come home and, you know, you came in the door and you looked at your house keys, your car keys, and you're like, I I don't know what to do with these keys. I don't know where to put them. If I put them on the table, they might get lost. If I throw them on the ground, the cat might steal them. I don't know what to do. Should I put them back in the car? Guess what? There's a solution. You need to go to a sweet, sweet website called deeplydapper.com. This may or may not be the site of our dear friend, Chris of the Robot Kraken podcast, but let me tell you what they have. Some sweet key hooks available for sale. Featuring a variety of interesting fandoms, you put the hook on your wall, you put the keys on the hook, and then when guests come over, they'll stare at it when they first come in the house. You know, they'll just stare at it entranced while, you know, holding their coats in their hands, and they'll be confused. Like, how could you have found such a cool, interesting, yet utilitarian object for your home? specifically with regards to where you put your keys. So think about that. Think about how much you need a key hook that you never knew you did before. Go to deeplydapper.com, pick from one of the many selections there. And while you're at it, you may find that you need some reasonable means of carrying a portable amount of liquor or fluids. And guess what? Sweet flasks are available. You may also find that you need some reading material or some sweet art or various other things, maybe even a curious and interesting soap with which to clean your own self, guess what? DeeplyDapper.com has them all. So go to the site today. Go spend all your money. All right. So anyway, the the polar opposite of Justice League appears to have been Thor Ragnarok, which even I said you know, eight months ago that I was a little bit concerned about all the 80s imagery and all of the, the tinting and the the lunacy that seemed to be trading on the imagery of Guardians of the Galaxy, but possibly in a in a in an overly stylized fashion. And then we got the first trailer, and I was like, "Yep, I'm done. I'm, it's great." <laughs> Boy, Dude, was it! I, I, I gotta say that um, I was completely blown away. I went in there with very middling expectations, um, and so I've now seen it three times. No kidding, really. Yes. Uh, well, after I saw the um, the uh, Bukaki party that was Justice League, I uh, <laughs> when I came back, I had to see something that reaffirmed my commitment to humanity. Yes. And so I went to go see Thor Ragnarok again, and holy crap, that um, that is a great film. Now you make me thinking about the Bukaki version of Thor Ragnarok and. No, don't do that. Hulk do that. and everything just really makes me very don't uncomfortable. Well, but there is a great scene where Thor sees yes. Hulk, uh, you know, yep. in, in Gratis. Like, 
Oh, I'll never Durante. get that out of my head. Yeah. <laughs> It reminds, me, it reminds me of the Billy Crystal skit when he's talking about seeing Shaquille O'Neal in the Lakers locker room. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, that's a baby's arm. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, after that trailer, I was still prepared to not be, I didn't want to be disappointed. I told myself, it looks like it's going to be amazing, but maybe the trailer is everything good about it. It barely touched the surface of it. <clears throat> so like much like your experience in Mauritius, I saw it. Mauritius. Mauritius. Delicious Mauritius. Delicious Mauritius. Yeah. So after we had last recorded, I pressed off, ran out the door into the rain, spent 20 minutes getting around the roundabout to over, to get over to the sunken plaza that had all the, you know, the big mega mall underneath the towers. Wait, there's a little bit of an oxymoron there that sunken plaza doesn't really, you know, build consumer confidence. It does in, it does in a typhoon region. That's what they do. They put the towers and they put those big, uh, big mega mall plazas oh, around the podium and then below grade. So it, it had five below grade levels and the food court and all that stuff was at B5. And then the theater was at like B3. And, you know, anyway, some of the tsunami hits, those would be the, they have the, storm walls. Yeah. Those, those would be the swimming pools. Yeah. Those would be the jacuzzis of uh, the after. I just plan not to be on B3 when the tsunami hits. Anyway, that's a good plan. So I went, I so went through this, you know, Indonesian mega mall went to the theater and it was kind of surreal because it looks like a Western theater. In fact, it was the first time that I had seen the, what I now see that, um, that, uh, um, Westfield does, but, and Lowe's cinema does, I think, but the first time I had encountered it where they hand you a, an iPad and it has the seat map and you pick your seats on the seat map. We've done that online here before. For and you did four real years. time at the ticket window? Yeah, you did it right there. You just like picked it right there at the time. So then That's cool. Yeah. And so then uh also uh you know you have your generic your general sort of western concession stand with all the colors and lights and stuff, except that they were they were serving uh popcorn in these little purses, these little tiny little purses with chain handles, and then roast beast. Right, it was like so bizarre. The smells, the combination of popcorn smells and creatures. So like a popcorn the basket with a meat stick in the middle of no, it. No, no, separate, separate items. But I'm basically it's like saying, you know, those were your options. Yeah, popcorn and Western concessions, and then over here was roast beast, right? And the other thing that was weird is that there was a pre-function space that you you enjoy before you go into your theater. Right. And so it was like its own theater. It looked like almost like uh, bimbos or something like there was tables around the perimeter and in the center. And then there was this huge display. Just so everybody, knows, just so everybody knows in the audience that bimbos is a club in San Francisco and, and we're not referring to a, a idiotype or a stereotype of any given person. Use Wikipedia. So, so it was, wow, way, it to, was way to talk down to the audience. Though. No, it was done up like a supper club. <laughs> it was done up like a super hipster, super rad San Francisco supper club of refute. Mm-hmm. Bimbos. Refute or refute. Mob-backed bimbos. Refute or repute. Both of those things. So, okay. but what was weird about it was, keep in mind, this is Indonesia. Everyone is having cocktails that are mocktails made with ice cream stuff. And, but they're all dressed up. They're, everyone's dressed to the nines to go to the theater. So they're having their mocktails. Except for you. Except for me. Shorts and flip-flops. Uh, so they're having their mocktails and their high heels <laughs> and their glittery glittery mini dresses. So you're running around like Howard the Duck. Totally. 
<laughs> as has often been described. I was I looking you, very man. American. I love you, man. And then, and then this big screen was playing one of those mega megawatt documentaries on Adele, like, do, you know, docu concerts on Adele, right? So mm-hmm. she's up there in HD singing away, and I'm like, this is really weird. So then I went into the, so then at the end of the movie, when I came back out, the same scene, same people, or same kind of thing. People were dressed up, drinking mocktails, and they're looking at an, a completely over the top five thousand megawatt performance from what turned out to be uh katie perry but it looked like i mean she was like in some sort of gold bodysuit and there were streamers and explosions and glitter and all kinds of stuff happening and i didn't even so you thought it was david bowie yeah Yeah. exactly yeah all right so in in the theater almost exactly like your experience with justice league i was the only man in that theater however the difference is that i was surrounded by women in burkas and yeah. I was the only one making noise. And so everybody was very quiet. You couldn't even hear them chewing. But I was laughing my ass off. Like, I was out of my seat laughing in a couple of scenes. And I was very, I was kind of like apologetic. And then the people behind me would just smile. And I looked yeah. around while I looked in the in the sort of the din of the light of the cinema. And I'd see them and they would be smiling. Yeah. They were enjoying themselves. But, but they didn't the have the Western ebullience that I had. Yeah, they're enjoying the moment in their own way, to the yes. same degree that you are, with their purses of popcorn and their roast yeah. beast. That the, they just manifested in a different way, right? Uh, but I could not even tell you how surreal it was to see that movie with Bahasan subtitles. So that's a that's a language that to a Western viewer already looks pretty alien to begin with. When just it's like written, when it's written just, out, yeah, it's yeah, just like Thai. It, it looks. Yeah. It looks otherworldly. There were elements. There were times when the subtitles blended into the the uh, space scripts that they were putting on the walls and stuff. It was it was surreal. It was like watching a Star Wars movie with Arabesh subtitles, right? Not so shabby. Not so shabby. Anyway, I had an absolute blast. And again, it was one of those things where I could have just been in the hotel working again for the 14th day in a row. But instead, I went out and saw this and it was just an explosion of delights. All yeah, those delights. It, it was incredible. It was, um, I, I, I was completely shocked because I came Where in do we this, start with this movie? Um, Mjolnir and Kate Blanchett. Holy moly. And, uh, this movie was pretty much pornography, dude. It, no, come on. Between Kate Blanchett and Tessa Thompson. No, it wasn't. Two powerful, amazing-looking no. women just kicking ass backwards and forwards. It was but they, awesome. They, but come on, it was not a TNA show. It wasn't anything like no, that. No, I know. These are these women of power. I know. These are these are women of power, right? And the, and uh, and I love how Kate Blanchett just relished the role. She oozed in and out of every scene. Right, and and when they interviewed her, because I went back and saw you know saw yeah. the the blitzkrieg of the press brigade and everything else. She loved being yeah. that role. Like, she has the finally, helmet and everything. Finally, there is a female villain that is just oozing ick and malevolence. And she just knocked it out of the friggin' park. I love how they rewrote her character to be the sister. Yeah. And and to paint the dark side of the military Hello. conquest of Asgard and all that. I thought it was yep. fantastic. What a great well, story. The sins of the father. Yeah. It comes back, right? And yeah. and then it, it, gets, it gets even weirder or even more complex when you consider what he did with Loki. 
and how yes. that 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 gave root to just a whole world of hurt. And so Odin, at the end of the day, was a really shitty parent. Well, yeah, well, yeah, and and actually, it speaks a lot to how, you know, a it speaks a lot to how once again how great mommy was, but also. Yes. Before, well, Rene Russo. I mean, you can't. You, there's nothing wrong. You can never paint any ill of Rene Russo in real life or in fiction. Jackie Brown. No ill. No ill. So, before this movie, Loki was the bad seed who was failing the expectations of this righteous super god family, and could do no right, and was the, uh, the adopted redheaded stepchild, no. and everything was wrong about him. And after this movie, Thor's kind of the kind of the one that stands out yeah because loki is very much his fa- his adopted father's son which is really interesting that the, you do anything you, you do what's necessary to succeed and win which is which is odin's playbook and that that's loki's playbook this movie played like a really fun role-playing game to me and a really good and a really great modern interpretation of a shakespearean tragedy absolutely Right, right and, down and, to the right down to the play. <laughs> yes, that play, that play. Oh my god! Matt Damon, barking out the lines, right? <laughs> Matt, Damon, Matt Damon continues. Yeah, I know to defy my 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 typecasting of him. But, but oh my gosh, the guy is just brilliant. Everything. So so it's in Jeff my role playing history, Jeff, I played what? Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. Well, in my role playing history, I played a lot more. I had a lot of sort of, you know, co- comedy gaming, but I also, I, I generally preferred, you know, sort of intense, cinematic, serious gaming. Right. But when the fun, when the comedy gaming, which is obviously very popular, you know, a lot of people, especially adults get together and do sort of goofy gaming. But I got to tell you, this felt, watching this felt like my memories of, of experiencing when those when those games really clicked, when the right combination of people and drinks and whatever hit to make it where everyone was laughing at every thing that was happening, that's how it felt. It felt random and spontaneous and irreverent and brilliant and badass at the same and time. And brilliant. It is brilliant. Like lightning in a bottle. And yet at the same time, the frameworks of the story were, were really solid. The gun yes. on the mantle in scene one being pivotal at the end of the film the narration, the way that the first person narrative was being used, the misdirection about his his way of describing his his circumstance, and you realize that he's you know being self-effacing. Um, all that fun, all those fun reveals that even after the trailer, yep, still impressed me at the time. The, the, everybody thought the trailer was giving everything away. It gave nothing. Nothing. Away. It's exactly what I was hoping for. That it would barely scratch the surface of that story. And, and the, it, it had the perfect combination of sci-fi, gladiators, gods, demons, and it, it was just a brilliant mishmash of all these different archetypical storylines and just pulled it off. Subversively. Like it, right. like it, like it was just a Tuesday afternoon. Yep. It was like a walk in a park on a Tuesday afternoon. Like, this is completely normal. I was never <laughs> – I was aged out by the time we had Planet – planet hulk and all that in the comics and i was never oh, yeah i never interested. i never read planet hulk ever yeah and i was particularly i wasn't particularly interested in any of the stories of the hulk and the 80s and 90s and 2000s i just didn't care about all the things they did i really didn't like any of those developments of evolving him into other things 
Well, I mean, so I never, that was the least interesting thing to me was Gladiator Hulk in this. But I have to say, as powerful as the big battle was, and it was fun, but I'm, I'm too old now to really enjoy them beating, you know, smashing each other under the ground over and over again. It was fun. But the real fun was after the battle, back in, back in Hulk's like pleasure chamber. And, and, and you see that he's prime two year old, right? Yeah, he's uh, he's Thor, stuffed Thor, with pride. Little Thor, little fire, Hulk, big fire. Yeah. <laughs> that whole thing, he's he's stuffed with pride over his his accomplishments in the arena. He's just instant gratification. Doesn't gives a shit about anything. It was so like believable. If you if you have little kids, right? I mean, like it was absolutely picture perfect. These are my dealing toys. with a two year old male child, right? Yeah. Right? who thinks that he's the god of all he surveys. Absolutely. But but but, I, but what I also like is the opportunity they gave Chris Hemsworth to really develop the Thor character in a way that was just unprecedented. Right? I that, totally that, agree. That in the original Thor, it was the the hubris and the pride and, right. and they're coming to grips with it and actually learning to, to care about someone. And then, in, you know, the, the dark world, it was some kind of mishmash agglomeration with it and the, the arc to Avengers one and two. But in this movie, he, you get to see a side of Thor that is very ungodlike. It's fun. And, and, and very insecure. Flawed. I loved how flawed he was. Flawed and uncertain. Arrogant and insecure. Right. And, and, and how easily he can be cowed into submission without a second thought right? like 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 Molnir gets blown up and and like he's gone he's gone and but then yet at the gladiator games when hulk comes out he's like oh it's my friend from work i thought that was just fucking brilliant it's like you know you're, you you're that, that was like a that was a random that was a random like it, i don't remember if it was like a march of dimes thing but it was some recommend like a a, a an offered script element like a little quote that someone offered them and they're like actually that's brilliant we're going to do it can you imagine well, that? A, a lot of that, that, that so the, the, the whole movie was improvised Taika, yeah taika said that over half of the script in that movie that was presented on screen was impromptu yeah i read that it was just shy of iron man's level of improvisation yeah yeah which which was just brilliant well and it really worked because he's he is an improv comedian and he had the right combination of players for that kind of thing and and in done in such a can you imagine all the footage of jeff goldblum that exists somewhere i mean well, we got to see him djing his own birthday party what did we not see <laughs> and at the end don't but, use the incinerator tool whatever it is you know yeah, no no and, and at the end like great revolution everyone you played your part really well i played <laughs> my part really well you know we're all doing great um but i mean tom hiddleston who was a brilliant actor and then, but, but I was really blown away by Chris Hemsworth that he um, brought a humanity to the role that, that to date just hasn't been there. They, they made those characters feel so much. They made in that script, they made Thor and Loki feel more like brothers than any, than oh, ever yeah. before. Yeah. We're not, I'm not going to do the thing. I'm not going to do the cry for help thing. That, that just cracked me up. That All of those nuances, hilarious. the fact that they chose to sh to describe but not show the flashback, yeah, right, 
from childhood. It was amazing. <laughs> it was, um, and and then and and yet the the same powerful moment when they were together with Odin when he sublimated, right? Um, Merged with the infinite, right? That there was still that that um, depth to it and the seriousness to it. It wasn't just all glib uh, narcissitude. It was it was actual brothers, like all all the stuff that makes it human and relatable was really well done. Well, you know, and and despite it being such a fun romp. The Asgardian stuff was pretty brutal. Mm-hmm. He dispatched the Warriors three in thirty seconds. Yep, I thought that was pre- was pretty shocking. Jamie Alexander should be happy that she couldn't do the filming. Yep, <laughs> and then Carl Urban. Yeah, he did yeah. great. A great job. I never gave sh- two shits about that character. I've drawn him once. I have a, a a piece I really like of him and the Enchantress together. But mm-hmm. you know, the character from the comics. I mean, I love si- Simonson in concept. But I and I read a number of those issues, but you know, uh, Curse, the Executioner was never a character that I was particularly interested in. That whole era just went right over my head. Um, he was killing me. But he, he, his yeah. showing off his his collection of of uh, like his treasure trove, and there was like a Vespa and some, like his AK forty sevens and things. It was just so random. I loved it to death. And I like guns. And I like <laughs> go back and get more guns. <laughs> but like everything about him, like like the way Thor showed up and he was like, wait, no, 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 I'm supposed to announce you and I'm supposed to bring you in. And like everything was going not according to plan for him. Yep. Absolutely killed me. And the, and the girls that he was trying yeah. to impress. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Didn't exp- like, what was it? Like Surter Blood or whatever? All over no, the, like the, the serpent. Oh, it was the, it was the serpent. Everyone. Right. Yeah. 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 And then how about... Uh, the only one who played it straight. The only one who played it straight throughout the entire movie was Idris Elba. He was the only one yeah. Yeah, that yeah. adhered to this hoity-toity, you know... Uh, you well, know, Tessa deep. Thompson has been a revelation for me. When she... I know she's been in a number of things, but my only previous experience with her was in um, Westworld. And yeah. I felt I felt in my first viewing of it that she was woefully miscast. I did not feel her... I didn't feel uh, her... Well, I'm just saying, I didn't feel her being compelling at the bar when she was pretending to be a, a civvy, and then her power play at the end. She didn't read to me. I didn't. I didn't have a sense of her. And then by the time the the trailers for this came out, I don't think there's anything you're else. You're talking about Westworld. Yeah. And then and, and then the transition. To- yeah, yeah. So like yeah. like I didn't feel her particularly in Westworld the first time I saw it, and then I guess it was. I don't think I saw her in anything else, but I, maybe it was the trailers and they lead up to this but somehow i fell onto her facebook or her instagram or whatever and then i started following her that way and i was like oh wow this is like a super rad person Mm -hmm. but by the time we got to this movie there was everything about this that i was amazed by how they handled the valkyrie uh uh, yes murders and 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 her hiding out right unlike justice league with the atlantean backstory or you know anything else the the Valkyrie and the dilemma and the and the heart wrenching loss and betrayal. I mean, in the same period of time, real time in the audience, I was more bought right. in to the Valkyrie story than I was into any plot element in right. Justice League. Right. Period. Right. Right. And by the way, how cute was it that in Justice League they tried to equate Dark Ages? humanity with amazonians and 
uh, what are they, uh, Atlanteans. And then yes. a couple couple dipshits in, in Helms, you know? Yes. And and then the only thing about that that was interesting to me was that the burial spot was in in Russia or, you know, some, some, some Slavic place. And then that whole thing where Joss Whedon super inserted his, like, his family in peril to give it some sort of emotional resonance bullshit. Like, it felt so taped over. Like, someone just kind of, yes. like, put the card on top of the script up. Put that there, and that's going to be the emotional core to these scenes. The human element, right? And, right. The, and the Flash and Superman are going to race. They're going to race, save yeah. All the village. <laughs> and like, okay, you go left, I go right. And we got it, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, sure. Yeah. Don't mention cartography. Don't mention topography. Don't mention inertia. Yeah. yeah, we got it. No, we're good. And then going back to Thor, like you said, 30 seconds, and you feel more about her and her plight than ever. And it was great because you know, you know this if you... If you came from being familiar with the comics, you know about the Valkyrie. You know yes. why he was so excited to see her and realize she was a Valkyrie. Yep. And it was so fun to see that she had turned her back on it when she was boozing and she was playing the game of locking him up and taking the money and so scrapper, she knew scrapper a three four eight or whatever she was. But, but, but what was even more interesting is that she knew the the true story of Odin, right, and Hela and the and the whole thing, right, and so. That was very well done. And then I love it when they're watching the, the, the main fight pit when she's going up into her ship yeah. and like in the hood open and then taking a drink and just looking down and just her ship was amazing. The ships in this movie were fantastic. Oh. The colors of them, they're named after various Australian, you know, Australia, oh. like a brand of Australian cars that made no sense. And, and the Maori, the Maori colors and the Aboriginal colors. Absolutely. That, Right, I mean, Taika did a masterful job of weaving that all into a, a, a in a very subtle way to make a very powerful statement. It was, the uh, her her ship design killed me. It was her ship design combined with the effects to make it feel like you were in three dimensional space. I saw it in two D, but uh, I love. It kind of reminded me how I first felt about the Pod Racers when we saw Episode One and how you were riding behind the engines and it was all divorced. Listen, don't give me that look. <laughs> it was a, it was an ir- irrational structure dependent upon a future technology that made that work, but made it feel inherently unsafe. Her yes. ship felt the same way. And when she docked it like that to watch the, the battle and she just opened the cockpit and she just sat there loose on the edge of it. It was sort of like all the scenes of heroes sitting on the edge of skyscrapers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. With her giant, her giant bottles of uh, weird booze. I, yep. Everything okay, and then Jeff Goldblum, and then, and, then, and then the interplay between her and Hulk, and then her and yep. Banner. Yeah, which tried to figure that whole thing out, and like you look really familiar, and you sound really familiar, and and then and that and that Thor thought he could have a move on her, and that she completely blew him off. Yep. But I also love that it, it added that dimensionality to the Hulk, and. You know, Hulk talking, Hulk being around for, you know, seven years, whatever. And and then Banner, his existential crisis. Yeah. Right? And yeah. it... Uh, the I, the idea that Hulk had evolved in his speech and thinking because he'd been in the body long enough to actually mature or have that, that level of development was really interesting. Mm-hmm. And for Banner to be so sort of frazzled. He was really... He was, he was jarringly frazzled. He's always been a reluctant guy who's been fun. Ruffalo does a great job, but he uh-huh. was, he was like disoriented and it well, was really interesting to see. He felt, he felt like he was being pushed out to oblivion, right? Yeah. That, that he's, not, he's no longer going to exist. It's going to be the Hulk only. 
it was like a Rip Van Winkle thing too. Like he just yeah. like he had been trapped for so long. The whole thing about him dressing up as Tony Stark, but he had like a Nagel <laughs> like a Nagel shirt on under the blazer. That's all hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> and and I also love thematically and the color tone how they matched with Guardians. Yeah, absolutely. Right? It felt He's like the same world. Easily exactly. felt like the same. The Marvel space world already feels more defined aesthetically than entire other franchises do. Yeah. And, and it was just, it was just brilliant how they just brought that together. And the, uh, <clears throat> all the color tones of the spaceships, all of it just was seamless. And right. it's going to, it's going to set the stage for infinity war. Everything is going to be space after this. Absolutely. They're going, that's yep. they're going full tilt. I thought, um, the, the choice even to strange, even, even strange. And that was really good. What's that? Dr. Strange. Mm-hmm. That whole sequence with him was hilarious. Yes. Constantly moving through the space and, and dropping Loki from place to place. But it, but it really shows you the, the, the balance of power. Yeah. It, for those who thought that Strange was just kind of this, you know, curiosity yeah. side gig and, oh, he's not really that powerful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was great. And I still can't get over the fact that they didn't just give him, uh, you know, um, Frumius Bandersnatch's natural accent. Because Doctor Strange always read as a Brit to me. In the comics, his voice in my mind is still as a Brit, sort of a stuffy Brit. So it just trips me out when he has his weird English, vaguely I, I, Boston accent. I, I always think it's the, I always think of the character from Dark Shadows. Yeah, the lead. I always think you know somehow my my kid brain doesn't do very good at differentiating characters and archetypes, and I just think Doctor Strange and Dark Shadows is the same dude. It wasn't in the uh, Stinger before but it was in this movie that he kept giving thor an a a an eternally refilled stein <laughs> of beer right <laughs> and he kept dropping things that was something i noticed throughout this movie was that everything had weight yeah. right yeah like him stumbling through that this the sanctum sanctorium full of artifacts and he's just stumbling around knocks all the stuff off the pedestal and has to put it back and then like puts the glass down and it breaks and then you know constantly falling and running into things but do, do you remember um I, I, it was an avengers movie where they go to hawkeye's house right and thor steps on the the, the kid toy and just kind of pushes it underneath the crib yeah like, the, the shame face like doo, doo, doo. so yeah. he's, he's a total clutch yeah right right yeah he is yeah he's he's the bull in the china shop because so, he's a god like yeah. what, what do i care i just walk where i want but you know look at how much of this movie owes to those shorts that he started doing for them. I don't even know if it was Waititi who was filming those. Maybe it was. Someone was doing those weird shorts where it was, Thor, it was those viral things where Thor was, had a roommate and Bob or whatever saying, it was. Why, was. why wasn't Thor in yeah. Civil War? Right? right. And he had right. a roommate. Like the whole thing. Yeah, that was, those were brilliant too. So was it him that produced those or no? I don't know. Because that absolutely set the stage for this movie. Yep. Um, I thought um, I thought that the rotoscoping of Ruffalo's face in Hulk was the best yet. Mm-hmm. He always you always saw it in his face, which compl- which directly linked to her saying, "You seem familiar to me." Because mm-hmm. well, all even, of the Hulks in the past didn't fucking matter, right? Well, even, it didn't matter what Banner looked like. Even some of the language patterns, right, right, and the and the cadence. You hear Ruffalo. This is the first time that Hulk had Ruffalo's voice and not a. Uh, Frigno's voice. You hear like, it. Smash. Yeah, it was um on every level, it is the antithesis of Justice League. 
Okay, Jeff Goldblum. It was everything I ever wanted in in my Goldblum obsession. It was everything I would have ever imagined of him stumbling into a a megawatt, you know, superhero franchise. But, but, so but, so uh, so what we're going to do is uh, you know just. <laughs> but the funny thing about Jeff Goldblum is that he could have been doing a revival of of, of like The Fly or Jurassic yeah. Park. Or well, he is the, now, but no, no, but uh, yeah, of all the choices he had, he oh, no, did this. Or he, or he could be the dude. No, and he would be doing the same shtick. Right. Like, it was like you took the you took Jeff Goldblum from Portlandia and the salesman. And you put him in charge of this extraterrestrial uh, gladiator camp. And it's the same syntax, the same everything. And it's just Jeff Goldblum. Well, and that's what's wonderful about him now. He is the same as Harrison Ford has been for a long time. And Sean, uh, 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 Sean, uh, what's his name? Ken? Trebek. Connery. Sean Connery, where they're just playing themselves. Connery hasn't been in a film for 15 years, by the way. Do you know that sad tale that there's a whole bunch of rumors that he's in advanced dementia? He doesn't even remember his name. And he's, oh, yeah, I hadn't heard really, that, but it's really effed. It's really effed. He's then again, aging is, is fucked, man. Yep. Watching what happened to my father. Listen, I totally believe it. Yep. Which is why Cheers. I, I drink to freedom. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I see where we got here from there. Sean Connery, Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum at this stage in his career is completely trading on some variation on his own uh, personality. You watch him read the answers, you know, answering questions about the films. I've watched hours of this now, right? Just talking about stuff. And this all, he owes it all to Wes Anderson. Yes. Right? Yes. If it not for Life Aquatic, we would still have Jeff Goldblum acting serious in movies like Independence Day. But oh. instead or the fly or anything else. But instead after life aquatic, we got him being able to be random Jeff Goldblum about anything he wants at any time. And like rent.com. when he's just like, <laughs> I didn't even see that. You've seen that, right? No. You haven't seen that. So he, he's on a TV ad where he's just being like the Jeff Goldblum. Like, so you want to move somewhere in town, but you don't know where to go. Uh, just go over here and go. There's a web service that'll help you find a place. And if you don't like that, then you can go find live in the street. It's a this yeah, is an actual commercial or it's a movie. An actual commercial. Oh my god, I have to find this. Yes, this is where you go and buy it. Send it to me. I, I'll send you the link right now. <laughs> it, it is really, and I am a like I am a Jeff Goldblum fanatic. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, so the last thing I was going to mention about this uh, is that. Uh, Initially, I was really turned off by Korg in the first minute of him being there because YTT used his own timber of his voice, right? Yeah. And I thought that it, had he dropped it an octave and had a gravelly voice, it would have been more consistent with the way the character looked. Mm-hmm. But within like a minute, I was completely accepting of it because it was as surreal as anything else in this world. And he was like the breakout star of this movie. He yes. was so much fun. And that last thing where he was like, oh, no, he's dead, you know, and then and then his little pal moved again. The guy that used to be in the weird little cyborg armor with the chainsaws and all that stuff. He's like, oh, you're alive. OK, like everything about him in that was just absolutely hilarious. But that that was such a, a throwback to um, things that we do in the shadows. Right? Yeah, I can where, see that. Right. Where 
and and it, that that's a great movie, but it was um, the syntax, the the language, and it was kind of almost an homage to um, District Nine. Yeah, like, I could see that. Potential, you know, if we're going to throw humanity in a very weird way to you, but it was well. Uh, he and he's and he's referenced the fact that he was channeling bouncers in New Zealand, right? These big Maori guys who were very very yeah. happy and good natured, but they looked incredibly. Um, you know, it, like sobering, but scary, massive bouncers. But then they're like, "Hey, what's up?" You know, yep. which I can totally see. That sounds great. And can you believe yeah, this was a Mark Mothersbaugh soundtrack? By the way, this guy's oh, a chameleon. He is. I love him to death, but I cannot believe that this is the same guy that pulled off, you know, all the Wes Anderson stuff. But the, so you, but he's struck upon a, a core here that the. the uh, the Wes Anderson connection. Oh yes. And the Wes Anderson approach to filmmaking. That's right. Right. The, the, this was if Wes Anderson did a superhero movie. This this would, this would have been it. And frankly, yeah. it's amazing that there wasn't a Devo reference in this movie. <laughs> it seems like he could have just been like the, the like thug number three in the in the scavenger <laughs> scenes, right? Yep. Maybe he was. I mean, who even knows? I was just astonished when I was watching Yo Gabba Gabba with the kids at first, and I got two or three episodes in, and I'm like, holy shit, that's Mark Mothersbaugh drawing. <laughs> You've seen it, right? You yes. watched Yo Gabba Gabba. Oh, he's, like drawing, he's drawing a car or whatever on a whiteboard. Yep. I've watched oh. Yo Gabba Gabba with and without kids. That's right. <laughs> that's how I am. Yeah. <laughs> Well, anyway, yeah. So anyway, okay. So this yeah, this movie was that, the. But before we leave, okay. The 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 thing in the character arc about uh, I refuse, Thor, which is also very important, yes. is the loss of an eye. Oh yes. And then realizing very Odin son, very Odin son, and then also realizing that he's the god of thunder, not of hammers. That was badass, actually. It was really I, fun. And talk about all the trickery to avoid that in the trailers and all that other stuff. And the best use of a Led Zeppelin song in a movie soundtrack. Ever. How good was that? I, I can't tell you. I felt like it was designed for that movie, wasn't it? <laughs> every time, so three times I've seen this movie, every time the hair on my arm stands up when, when they do that. Like, it's like whoever invented off. Zeppelin and slow mo. I mean, you know, 60s and 70s metal was all about these big fantasy heavy metal magazine and all these fantasy, fantasy imagery and stuff. And I, I'm just waiting for when are we going to get the film that has like Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner in the soundtrack? You know, like I want that sort of like, you know, because that goes back to my childhood reading comics and listening to, you know, fantasy metal from the 70s. Right. That's that's what I grew up on. You already have that. It's called heavy metal. Yeah, well, I guess but that was a sucky movie, though. Yeah, but and you don't want to do a reboot of that because every time they try it, it just gets worse. Have um, you, did you watch Valerian or no? No, I have not. That's where I went with that in my head, and I yeah. From all from all signs, it's it's a DVD. Next episode, let's do Valerian because it's on the challenge. Yeah, and and I am just a sucker for Luke Besson, but I think this is just the train wreck on steroids. Well, uh, I have to say. On the heels of Ragnarok, the biggest question I have is, can they rope him into doing something else? Because I would I, love to see him do another, another frin- like a fringe character or some, some other corner of the universe. So what I'm praying for is that he will do Deadpool 3. 
Holy shit. Could you imagine the mayhem? <laughs> wow. Please, God. No, but see, yes, no, yes, I agree. But I want, I, but, but Deadpool is already primed for lunacy. I want him to do another seemingly serious character and take it crazy. No, Ryan Reynolds, YTT, that is like the, the six and a half seal of the apocalypse. Like that. <laughs> Six and a half. <laughs> Those two folks coming together <laughs> in a creative arc. That's like a Nova, like, like a neutron star. Because what you're saying, like Moon Knight? No, no. So, uh, some, you know, some property that is ripe for, you know, frankly, they're doing uh, the uh, Spider Man or Doctor Strange. No, Squir- Squirrel Girl. Squirrel Girl is being adapted in that in the in a in TV form. But it's something like it's that sort of thing because there have been there have been stories in the last ten years or so where they've taken characters and given them a wry humorous sort of tone to them, mm-hmm. and I could see him doing taking. I feel like it could be like a one of those challenges, right? They like flip like I used like I do with with drawing redesign challenges, right? Flip through the Marvel handbook, stop at a page, point at it, and say, "Do a feature film on that guy." So, stilt, stilt man. But, but I'll throw two out there. U.S. agent. Challenges. No, the two challenges that have been irredeemable in the public domain, either the Hulk or the Punisher. Yeah. If you could do either one of those, right? Punisher. How dare you? Or Daredevil. Well, he's either. done Hulk. I mean, he's, he's, do- he's done it. No, 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 but a, a standalone Hulk film that's actually successful? It's not possible. Exactly. Until like <laughs> Maybe like Excalibur or something. Maybe Excalibur. I, I, I mean, I feel like he... You give X-Force. him some... If you get, yeah. You give him... You maybe X-Force? Yeah, actually. That gets you your Deadpool plus... Yeah. The others... <laughs> Well, they're supposed and to be cable. You can do, you can do cable. Well, if uh, if the if the Disney deal goes through, it'll be interesting to see how much of the, you know, Fox's Fox has been has been, you know, claiming, oh, we're going to make this and that, just like uh, Sony, right? Like, oh, I have eighteen movies in development. We're going to do a a movie about the Beatle, you know, or whatever. It'll be interesting uh-huh. to see what was already in production that they'll let go into completion and what they will kill in its infancy, right? Like Venom will probably continue. Well, that's Sony anyway. That's not going to make a difference. But like, Dark Phoenix is going to happen anyway, even if they buy the properties. But Gambit is probably doomed again. Well, if they, if they follow it up with X twenty three, right? I so want an X twenty three solo film. Yep. But I, I but this guy is just uh, a genius. And, did you read uh, what his sister did with Moana? Uh, she funded the complete translation and re-recording of Moana in Maori and then issued it for free in theaters in New Zealand. See, she sparked that act sparked a interest an interest in Maori culture in a disaffected youth that had completely given up on it. Yep. Astounding. The, the, these are the people that give you that restore your faith in humanity. 
and they and they come from nowhere. And he wears the man the the what is it the romper to the to the opening of his own movie, <laughs> his short shirt combo thing that he had. It's brilliant. And I also love that he goes. He had his opening thing for the movie, and he had his big uh, Q and A, and he got lit on whiskey and was just like, "I'll direct any fucking thing they give me." <laughs> and everyone's like, well, "That means he's going to direct all the things," you know. But I, I love how he's going to do what we do in the shadows, you know, part two with the uh, oh werewolves. Yeah, yeah. Werewolf. I um. Uh, someone made some reference in that interview or in that Q and a session and, and made some suggestion to black widow. And while I can imagine a black widow that he would do where she was fairly straight faced and everything else was crazy. It's still not what I want from that property. I want a solo black widow film. That's straight out of winter soldier. I want it to be edgy, dark espionage. I want them to stop fucking around with atomic blonde and these other things and just give us, give us the black widow movie that we deserve. So here's, here's the challenge. You're waving a finger at me. Vision and Scarlet Witch. Yes. If he could do a super, uh, right? Yes. I'll take it. With those two, I'm in. Be, I'm totally in. That would be a total genre bender, right? Have you seen the Vision miniseries? Did you see that? Or not miniseries, but it was an ongoing series. I have to get that. Oh. To, I have to find that for you. It Send that link surreal. to me. I'll, I'll watch it. It was, you know, it's like a, it's a comic. It's a surreal, tragic 12 issue or something or eight issue comic. You have to read this. Okay. It is gru- gruesome as hell. He he goes to suburbia and he creates a family. He builds an android family, sets them all up, gets a house, tells them to live normal lives, and it's and of course it doesn't work. It doesn't it's, go over it's, very it's, well. It's terrible. Yeah, it, it it's a complete disaster. But it is such, it's filled with so much sort of somber somber weight and comments on uh, American culture. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's both terrible and great. I love it. The other thing, the other thing I like to see him do is uh, Kitty Pride and uh, Logan. Well, that's what I was thinking with Excalibur. Ah, got it. Kitty Pride yeah. and Kurt Wagner and Megan and Captain Britain and oh, Captain the Star Jammers and all that stuff. Yeah. Can you imagine yeah. him with the Star Jammers? Oh, yeah. Which I never liked, but I only liked yeah. the Star Jammers when Brett Blevins was drawing them because he knew how to draw certain female things very well. Or if the Legion ever goes to the big screen. Oh, man, I don't want it to. I want it to stay exactly where it is. It is really brilliant right where it is. So, have you seen The Gifted? Have you watched The Gifted? No, I haven't started it yet. How could you have watched The Gifted, but you haven't seen Punisher? Because we complement each other. Oh, I see. I've only seen two episodes. So you like it so far? Joao really likes it as well. I'm I'm still on the fence. Well, that's a this is we've segued right into our planned plundering segment. So you've been watching Gifted, mm-hmm. which I need to check out. What else? What else is What else is on your radar right now? What else is on my radar? Oh, what are you reading? I'm still finishing. I'm going back and reading the whole Ian Banks mm-hmm. novel series because um, I'm rediscovering like use of weapons. Um, matter, surface detail, the algebraist, um, because he, he passed away like three years ago. And um, I haven't read I any of it. I don't know if, if he'll ever, if they'll ever see the light of the screen, but um, I'm, I'm rediscovering that whole anthology because it's like 14 books, 
that yeah, wow. And um, so I'm rereading that. Um, the other thing that I'm really excited about is The Shape of Water. Oh, yes. With uh, Guillermo and all the Oscar buzz that that's getting. Um, and that will be intriguing. And I'm really happy to see that Guillermo is moving away from the total, well, somewhat from the archetype of every movie that he's done since The Devil's Backbone with the same kind of cinematography and special effects and there's something that's really more relatable and human and and uh, tragic yeah. that I hear this is. How do we uh, get away from Abe Sapien in this project? I don't think you, I don't think you can. I think it's it's almost like it's an Abe Sapien solo. It is an Abe Sapien standalone film. That's what it is, right? And Michael Shannon again. But but so the the thing that I find intriguing is the mute uh, character. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And and the fact that she's uh, isolated, she's basically in an isolation tank, talking and falling in love with someone who is in an actual isolation tank. Yeah, absolutely. And and that is um, that's that's an intriguing thematic element to me. Do you think in that movie that she will actually be in the tank, swimming around, having this under underwater intimate thing? Or do you think that that is stylistic imagery of what she's imagining, but she's always on the other side of the glass? Because that's what I think it is. I, I think it's going to be all about romantic longing and yeah. and, um, and loss and the other and never really being able to connect in the way that you want to connect. Yeah. And then and then how do you deal with that under very adverse circumstances? And and it's and it's a it's a theme that he did in the Devil's Backbone to very great impact. It's uh, mm-hmm. the first film I ever seen by him, and it, that blew me away. Um, and the baggage that we all carry around with with us that is a is a reflection of our past, and also kind of a condemnation of our future state. Yeah. And 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 Michael Shannon, I think, is going to be very emblematic of that. His character is going to be very emblematic of that. That he is predestined to be this archetype that. He probably knows is wrong, but he cannot control. Right. Right. Uh, thinking, uh, thinking a little bit about some of those ideas and then also thinking about YTT tangentially and what you mentioned earlier about gifted, how wonderful among all the other wonderful things in gifted, how wonderful was Jermaine Clement's role? <laughs> Not Jerm- gifted. I'm sorry. Uh, Legion. Legion. Jermaine is a golden resource for the planet. Oh, absolutely. You have to conserve and but, maintain. But he shows up, but he shows up in a lounge suit drinking martini, <laughs> like beautifully no, no. shot martinis. And then he's got a deep sea divers helmet. He shows up in a deep sea bellwether. Yeah. Outfit first, right. And then he becomes a man of leisure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> everything about it was just like, it, what's happening at a, a tiny glass room. Yeah. A little ladder that comes out of it. And then the, have you seen Legion all the way through? Yeah, yeah. So you and then and then the kick at the end where he becomes, you know, possessed. Yeah. By the thing that he helped expunge from uh, the oh. other character, <clears throat> Jermaine Clement from uh, Flight of the Concords on, even even in the, the the diabolical train wreck that was Men in Black Three. I didn't uh, see it. Well, he's in it. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure he doesn't own it. Well, he made Rio better. Yes, but he is—he's just a a genius. So yeah, my plan—my plan plundering involves anything with Jermaine Clement. Mm-hmm. Also, 
Uh, I watched the tr- the few trailers, the, the trailer and the few virals of the new Altered Carbon series for Netflix, and I've yes. just been yeah, yeah. just popping out of my skull about it. I have the book, and I've never read it, but I've read about it enough. And to see what they've realized, it looks like amazing cyberpunk for Netflix. Netflix, right? I mean, it's Netflix or Hulu, one of the one of the two, or Amazon, whatever it is. But it's you know big budget TV, and it looks absolutely incredible. And I love Kinnaman, Joe uh-huh. Kinnaman, Joe Kinnaman. Yes, um, even from, even from the rain, the raining. What was that? Um, the what? The raining. The raining, the the show that was set in Seattle, where it, he's a uh, the sidekick to the main lieutenant uh, character. Um, hold on, you you, obviously you made this up. I did not. I don't think this exists. The it's raining. Not, no, I'm making the show up because it was it was set in Seattle and everybody called it the raining, but it wasn't that. Um, Oh, the killing. The, the killing. killing. Yes. I didn't see that. I saw him first in Robocop and felt he was terribly miscast, even though well, he really wasn't that bad, but it was just, it didn't work to me. Oh, but it's just like Carl Urban as Judge Dredd. I mean, what the fuck are you doing? Although with Robocop, I remember thinking at the time, if they kept him matte black through the whole movie, it would have been fine. Mm-hmm. Right? It was when he went chrome that I didn't like it anymore. The matte black version of him was badass. Yeah. That said, uh, his role in House of Cards is what cemented it for me. I just could not. Really? He, I thought he was amazing in that. Will Conway. It. Good old Will Conway. The, um, Will Conway. Yep. But the killing, you should go take a look at it. He okay. is good. He's a, he's a cop that's a, a, a meth head addict uh, reformed and very oh, wow. and very tortured. And he does an incredible job with it. Is it is, he's got a lot of depth as a, and skills as an actor, obviously. He didn't do bad in his last-minute fill-in on Suicide Squad. Although, I felt like that actor should have been doing something other than flag. Like, that was a, it was a... It was a... I don't know. There was no rewards to that role. And he could have been something... In a superhero well, film, he could have been something totally different. But they, they tried... With the sorceress, right? Yeah. To, yeah, yeah. To, to try and get a redemption tale, and that they were in love, and you know, the, the, these Romeo and Juliet on acid with demons. Um, but it, I mean, it was a it was a one dimensional character in the comic book series. Yeah, sure. And, oh yeah, he was so, just Sergeant Fury. Right. Right. No, I mean, he was he was there to be the hammer. Yeah. Right. To be the catalyst to keep the scenes going from alpha to beta. Look, if you can find a librarian type who also conjures up thigh tattoos, you'll do whatever it takes, just like he did. So one thing no about comment. Suicide Squad you cannot argue with. Yeah, I have no comment. I have no recollection of that event, Senator. I mean... <laughs> All right, so, okay, what else is in my plan plundering? Uh, so it's that. Um, I'm ramping up to trying those Star Wars novels that I have on the shelf that I haven't started. I don't know. I've heard they suck. So I haven't like aftermath novels. I don't know because I finished, I finished all of the, uh, all of the awesome expanse stuff while I was in Jakarta. Down to well, the shorts. What, so that's what we need to do next time is have like a love fest just of expanse. Like let's a do that. Hour expanse. Dig. I lived and breathed books like three to six plus the shorts all while I was on my trip. Like I just burned through about two thousand pages. 
Yeah, and so that, that's what I did as well. I just I just total did total immersion for like three months. Like I didn't I, know what to do with myself. And then of course the shorts, which I ended with, is with all the shorts, and they are all very abrupt. Like they tell a moment in time and then they're done. So then you feel like even more overwhelmed by the loss of anything more. Yep. That's a deep cliff when you when you finish your expanse stuff, right? It is a steep cliff because there's nothing left. You're you're, you're in you're, what they call it. You're in the sci-fi hole. So you started watching Gifted. Um, I've been watching in tandem Punisher, which is a cin- very cinematic show. Uh-huh. It is probably the most cinematic of the Netflix Marvel stuff after the original Daredevil season. It feels very big for the small screen. Uh-huh. It's very compelling. It has an emotional core and a, and a very troubling sort of real-world component to it that goes well beyond the vigilantism that they already explored in Daredevil Season 2. In this one, they've gone uh-huh. right past that, and they're talking about it's largely a story about what happens to soldiers when they come back. It's his PTSD, but also, you know, there's a major component of the story as a is a is a, is a is a help group for vets, right? Mm-hmm. And how they're reacting to the world in different ways. And there's a disgruntled there's a disgruntled ex-military guy, and then there are people that are being roped back into private military contracting and all the this other stuff. Thing. Yep, <clears throat> and it's. And then there's a lot of focus on what happens to families of missing soldiers and killed soldiers or people that have who have lost their lives in one way or another and how the family has to move on without them. Or you know, um, even worse, or even worse, the, the they come back. Right. Right. But they're still MIA. Right. And but they're and, still gone, but they're absent. Yeah, yeah, and they've paired they've they've created a framework for the story where Frank Castle is involved in dealing with a family of a family that's lost someone while he himself has lost everyone. And he has a very compelling reason to not, he's integrated with them and he's helping them and he feels for them. But at the same time, he can't be with them. And it's a very interesting story. And they do a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff from the Punisher comics that I never, I didn't like Punisher as a kid. I didn't give a shit, but there's a lot of stuff. I'm on the other end of the spectrum. Like Punisher was so Punisher and Batman were like my two favorite because they were the ones that were operating from pain. Yeah, I get I get that. Punisher right, to me was a he was a well, I'm old enough that Punisher is still the guy that they introduced at the beginning where he was a fucking vigilante and he was an, he was not a hero. He was a villain. He was a an antagonist to the characters before he became an anti-hero in the 90s. Okay? So oh, yeah. so to me it was still he was a, he was an adversary. And well, he was he was he was the a person who was doing the right thing the wrong way. Right. And I haven't seen like you guys previously, or I don't remember if it was you, but definitely Chris, maybe both of you were lambasting me for not having seen the Thomas Jane Punisher, even though I love Thomas Jane. So the Thomas Jane Punisher. So the movie, and then also the short that he did afterwards. Right. Are, are really kick-ass, but right. you know, I'm not going to debate who should be the better Punisher because Thomas Jane just belongs in expanse now. No, I understand. That's right. That's right. But so what I'm saying is I have no frame of reference to any of the other Punisher's uh, stories, but I know the Dolph Lundgren Punisher. That's all I'm saying. Oh yeah. But I'm aware of a lot of the constructs from his solo series in the comics. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the ones that I picked up and read were even like the worst of it. 
Punisher as a zombie, Punisher ha- having alien artifacts, all horrible stuff. But what? Yeah, it's later stuff. But I, I didn't, I didn't see it. But I was aware. But I was aware of the Punisher stuff from the eighties when he got really popular, eighties and nineties. And they have brought. I remember in, it, was, it was it was the height of even the the, the subway shooters. Yeah. And, and others like the vigilante, the Clint Eastwood, Dirty Harry thing, that was in full vogue back in the eighties. Like uh, even. Um, uh, uh, a walking tall, mm-hmm. right? Like, like standing up against the system and well, and uh, and uh, um, the Michael, Ke- the Michael uh, Douglas one. Uh, that's what I was exactly thinking of. It, it wasn't falling uh, down. Falling down. Right? Walking right. tall was Tom, Tom, uh, uh, Everett, Tom Everett Scott, and uh, the and Dwayne Johnson, right? Yes, it wasn't Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. So I'm aware enough of all these characters from the Punisher comics. I'm aware enough of these characters in the Punisher comics. And I was highly incredulous that they were going to pull off a Punisher series because he was much better as an antagonist in Daredevil. I liked him there. But let me tell you, man. John Barenthal, he he fit that role very, very well. He's fucking amazing. And let me just leave you with this until you watch it. They've managed to make a Punisher series... Where micro is microchip, micro is mesmerizing. You cannot stop watching this guy, really, and his story. Really, can you believe that? Microchip okay, with the van. I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna watch it just for that. It's unreal how good they do it, and how how painful everything is. So wound tight, painful. What you see in this series and how how it plays out. It's so good. There's so many things about it you'll love. So now I know another movie that I want to see YTT do. A reboot of Blade. Oh. I don't know if I can get the stink of uh, Wesley? His name off. Yeah, Wesley Snipes off of that. Like, I never enjoyed it. Even at the time, I didn't enjoy it. Oh, dude, I, I relish it just because it was like, a, it got a kick in soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> the Millie Vanilli? <laughs> Oh right, 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 right. It was a, it was kind of a grindhouse for its time, right? Yeah, absolutely. What else? I had one other thing that is going on. Uh, so new book. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. So I'm debating going getting into the aftermath series because I have them all on the bookshelf. They're there waiting uh-huh. for me. The problem is, so is my stack of. I have one more. So I have one more Gibson book that I don't yet have, but I need to get to. And then I have a total of three Stevenson books to read now. So it's like, do I, do I slog through Star what, Wars Aftermath? Wait, 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 so what Stevenson books? Well, I still have to get through the back half of Anathem, Anathem again. I think he just abandoned ship. <laughs> that, that's a bridge too far. And then I have, and then I have Rimdy. Rimdy. Yep. And then yep. I have 7S to do so just just stop everything and go to seven eaves seven eaves yeah that's a, that's a palindrome i didn't realize until i was looking at it on the bookshelf the other day yeah seven eaves it, it is um so just full disclosure it's my favorite neil stevenson book since snow crash wow but you and i is always you and i have always differed i actually need to go back and reread snow crash because i thought cryptonomicon was the best and and i thought snow crash snow crash was a little super, superficial at the time i read it and you just lose your shit about that book yep i think it i think it's right up there with um neuromancer with bill gibson i think is there a snow crash film in development 
No. Why is that? Why is there no Stevenson stuff out there? I don't. That's a really good question. It's the same thing that I have with Ian Banks. I don't understand why nobody's doing this. Um, well, and then CJ Cherry is the same way. CJ yeah, Cherry wrote the best deep space hard yeah. SF opera stuff ever. Yep. I mean, to be fair, Expanse trades heavily on CJ Cherry. Absolutely, but it also treads heavily on Isaac Asimov. It tries, yeah. I mean, right? I mean, the the whole uh, AI planet, other mm-hmm. uh, assimilated culture, evidenced by <laughs> technology integration. That's that's what Asimov's all about. Actually, it was also what H. G. Wells was about. But um, it's uh, it's I I don't know any rhyme or reason why things why certain things get developed and other things don't. Hey man, uh, I don't understand why Bitcoin, you know, <laughs> I just don't understand Bitcoin. It's a currency that's not a currency and yet it's worth $18,000. It was meant to be a, it was meant to be a super light footprint currency and has become a bureaucratic, speculative, heavily footprinted economy. So the way that I see it is that it's a way for day traders to, Stroke each other off and make money off of other day traders. That's a that's a movie on its own, right? Uh, I think it was Wall Street, but um, there, there's a great thing out there. There's a meme about uh, Chuck E. Cheese uh, entertainment coins and Bitcoin, and the comparison between the two. That's really funny. Yeah, I can and, see it and, now. And one of those, you can't buy black tar heroin with it. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when we last talked, you were planning on taking your lovely wife to see Blade Runner, your second, her first time. How did that go? It went great. How did she, she like it? it? She loved it. The first five minutes or what? No, all of it. She stayed awake for all of it. No, come on now. All of it. You got to understand, she's at the core. She's got a lot of geekdom. No, I understand that. But it's been, it's, it's infamous with us for 20 years now that our wives will sit down in front of an amazing film and fall asleep in 11 minutes. Yep. She was there throughout awake the entire time. And so she had the same reaction we did. No, she loved it. She thought that she thought it was a great extension of the Blade Runner mythos and the soundtrack. She agreed. It was Vangelis on basalt. I, <laughs> when I was, I'm editing our last round. Of stuff. <laughs> no, remember you got penalized for bullshit the last time and you had to do the wah, wah when you, uh, when you had to admit that you were wrong about something, you had to do that sound for, I have no recollection. Of that. You had to do it for 33 minutes, but I edit it down to just one. No, I don't know that. Uh, you, so, that's really interesting. You know, the last time we talked, you um, you said that that soundtrack made you tense in traffic, and I mentioned that yes. I use it as a daily commute, and I still do. I, I I still listen to it on the daily commute. I just love getting tense and angry. Oh, I understand. Fair <laughs> enough. You you do work for the government, so. Yeah. All right, man. Well, listen, this has been fun. It's been great. It's been super real. From my intestine to yours, thank you. My colon speaks your colon. Okay. And... Uh, <laughs> We'll we'll reconvene after Last Jedi so that we can just do that thing where we just twiddle our fingers together and go, oh my god, it was so great. It, I just gotta say, this one last thing. How great is it to be alive at this moment in time when all these things are becoming manifest realities? Well, it does seem like for the last, I know we've talked about this before, but the last 15 years or so it seems like someone just peeked into our heads from childhood and just said, we'll take that idea, throw a bunch of money at it, and just make it like it's normal. It, like I never, the young Tom would yeah. never have imagined any of this happening. 
yeah. in terms of yeah. entertainment media. Also, real-world stuff, which is terrible. But in terms well, of entertainment media... Well, it's the only counterbalance that keeps me sane. That's true. Well, sane is, a, sane is an overstatement. I don't think you should go crazy. Let's, let's rein it back a little. It's what keeps you on, on this side of the ledge. Let's put it that way. Uh, 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 oh, I see. Uh, 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 <laughs> swirly, swirly drinks. <sighs> I, can't, I still can't believe that my Blade Runner glass got jacked. Mine is still pristine. You son of a bitch. Greetings, friends of Robot Kraken. I have a question for you. Do you love sweet, sweet art? Do you like ads in the middle of your podcasts? Well, good news, because here's one for you. You need to go to thirdraildesignlab.com. This may or may not be my own illustration site, but let me tell you what. There are hundreds of 11 by 17 museum-quality prints available for sale covering all kinds of fandoms. Your favorite superheroes are there. Your favorite crazy robots are there. Your favorite film and TV properties are there. And if they're not, well, you let me know, and maybe they soon will be. You also have the chance to uh, commission original art, and there are a number of art books that are also available. So if you need to find something great as a gift for a loved one or a friend, if you need to wallpaper your house with some insulated material and you want it to look great, Go to thirdraildesignlab.com and find some sweet, sweet art today. All right. That was an ad. It's over. Back to it. So it is 10 p.m. on Saturday. Something. What? January? I hear a party in the Best yeah. Western. Do you hear that? Small children. Small. It's a, it's a children's party at 10 p.m. <laughs> I thought it was just young fans. Could be. Trying to... Are, are they your believers? My believers. <laughs> so this is our what? This is our first, our day one post mortem of Walker Stalker Wizard Fan Fest. Oh monkey. my word! I, I don't. Know Every time I have to tag man. that when I post something, I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> I guess heroes and villains Fan Fest Walker Stalker. Comic. This is a Walker Stalker show, right? Or is this uh, a hero and villains show? It tags both at the same time. I mean, like it's, if you do the location thing, it says. Heroes and Vill- and, uh, and I got emails from both of them. That's true. Heroes and Villains and Walker Stalker with different guest lists. Well, and it was weird. We were talking to that security guy, and he was like, oh, this one's, that other one's a fan fest. So maybe that's something else entirely? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, it's they need to add another weird. word to it just to make it yeah. flow better. They, well, they already have Portland and the date added to it. Spanatorium. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> Fest. If the date was part of the name, that would they be amazing. Comic Con to the end, just to <laughs> fuck with San Diego or something. I don't know. So we are here in Portland, Oregon, as the Mainers called it. Oregon, oh, yes. Oregon. Uh, so I'm tired. Yeah, it's been a long day. So yesterday, so you drove. From Idaho, and you got here when yesterday? Well, no, we drove up the, the day before. Oh, that's right. And got here super late on Wednesday. Well, like Thursday. what? Like like late at night or what? Yeah, like like eleven p.m. Oh, okay. Checked in. By the time I got to bed, it was like one. And you, meanwhile, were huh. down in San Francisco with your family of of howler monkeys. Howler and monkeys, yeah. <laughs> Well, so in order to, so I had a flight out that was a Dawn Patrol flight at six. Right. And in order to make that flight, you have to be there. They close the gate at, or the yeah, they close the gate at 
20 minutes before, so that would be 5.40. But then you have limitations on when you can actually check in and if you have check bags. If you're right. just going to run in with a, with a go bag, it doesn't matter. Just right. beat, beat the door and you're good, right? But if you're going to check stuff, you have to be there earlier. Plus, I have travel time coming from Marin to, San, to right. SFO. And I go all the way through San Francisco to get there. And then yeah, I had... not an insignificant driver. Right no, there. and then on top of that, I had parcels to check more than ever before, including... Um, <laughs> Uh, non-mobile ones because I was not didn't nothing not everything had wheels right so that all led to me feeling like I had to really leave early enough to have contingency if I could yeah. work because you know in in this era you can't just go and drop off stuff at the curb and say I'll be back right it's that's, a bomb, that's a bomb problem yeah. so <laughs> I didn't know what to do I had a truck but I didn't know like how am I supposed to get the stuff to them and then go park and whatever right so I left at three fifteen. Got to, and then also some of the worst fog I've ever seen. So there were good sections of that that I was driving 15 miles an hour for, like, miles. Ugh. Up and over the hill and over the bridge. Yeah. And so when I got there, I, I took a chance and I tried the the arrivals, uh, you know, drop-off area. And there was a guy who had just stepped out to Alaska as one of the ones that have a, 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 a pre-check area like that you can put your... Bring your luggage in at the curb, right? And uh, and I asked him what was, that? and he said that he was, you know, it's easily an hour before it, he's supposed to start, right? And I said, oh, okay, I just have a bunch of stuff, and <laughs> you know, I got to go park the truck, and I wasn't trying to do it, and and because I was nice to him, while some other guy was yelling at him to help him with his dogs, right? Uh, he's like, tell you what, and he just really quickly logged in, and he processed me, even though it was an hour before he was supposed to open that thing. That's awesome. And in doing so, he didn't even weigh my parcels that I had meticulously balanced out the night before. I had three 49.8 pound parcels. Jeez. Anyway, so I had some time to kill in the. In the but it, it, so the parking's like a mile away, right? And right. The bus in. So it all worked out, but there was time associated with that. So between that and then the flight and then, come, and then getting the shuttle and coming here and everything else, it was eight hours and change yeah. from leaving my house. To being here in Portland at the hotel, and that's when we realized that between all of the the, the junk I'm bringing, yeah, the logistics of all of that, and the fact that by the fall I'll have a lot more stuff, right? It makes more sense to drive. Yeah, so now I think does. next time I'm going to drive. Yeah, like we like, I mean, we were on the road for uh, eleven hours, but you know, we stopped and had a good lunch in North Powder at this little cafe we like. We, I mean, it was raining the entire time, but, I mean, that's it. I mean, we listened to podcasts and drove for 12 hours or whatever. You listened to some sweet robot cracking. Oh, well, of course. <laughs> robot cracking. My my wife, who came with me for this one, um, and is pretending like she's asleep right now. Sure. Uh, we, she picked out a podcast called... Slow Burn. S- slow burn mm-hmm. that's a kind of a deep dive on the Watergate thing yes. which is a good it's a it's a pretty sweet podcast it's a true crime mm-hmm. and the only thing I complain about is that for the first couple episodes they would do this snarky little this happened does that remind you of some other president ah, yeah Whoa. that's a little overkill thing also you don't sell it well when you say it's true crime and then you air quotes well <laughs> well yeah you know 
Should, um, it's a semi-true crime. It's, I mean, it's, it's dramatized a little yes, bit. Sure. I mean, it's it's through interviews with people that were involved with it and stuff, and you know they're telling their side of the story. Right. But you know, Watergate's kind of fascinating, and so it's it's a pretty cool thing. You know, the, my problem with it though is that they're like twenty-minute episodes, and there's like fucking three to five minutes of buffer on either side. Yeah, it's like, no. This is brought to you by but world i don't remember yeah. what website what but world? world yeah I, I don't think it's but world it was it was a regional ad yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah they have their own apparently podcast, you were the target bro. market though so that assigned <laughs> you a but world slow ad. burn from but world <laughs> brought to you by cholula <laughs> join our deluxe version and note here this ad we need to elevate this this is very low 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 class hey, podcasting. You were sitting on a bed without any shoes, holding a beer on your crotch. What do you expect? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's I don't even January. have a beer because I have one at the the bar. So and a Jello shot. Oh yes, Jello <laughs> shots are for favored locals only. Apparently, I, th- I thought they were for woo girls. Woo girls. <laughs> I guess not. Well, I mean, I don't know. Not for if you if you if you if you proportion it out. We had about. Thirty-five percent woo girl in our yeah, that's true in our party. So, <laughs> so yesterday I got here and ate something really quick, and then we got to go over there at noon. We went yeah. a little early. Yeah, the they had a firm check in at twelve to start with the vendor uh, setup, but they were they were very concerned about it. They kept sending out warnings. Yeah, no earlier that so we were there at eleven. Right, but, but <laughs> guess their assholes. problem was that so so heroes and villains. Their whole deal is that they actually transport their infrastructure from show to show which right. is I think pretty pretty atypical well right? Wizard, I don't know that's a Wizard World Wizard model does. I mean that's yeah. how they've always done it like they move their entire crew all their tables everything with them. well unfortunately at this point they were doing it in a in a country that's been ravaged by severe weather yeah so they were missing a truck so a and lot the other of the one setup, was super late. Yeah, the, so yeah, they were they were basically starting to set up the pipe and drape well after 12. Yeah. And then the truck that had a lot of the the, the miscellaneous stuff that you can't pinpoint but is absolutely necessary. Right. That's the one that was super late that was going to come in at like middle of the Well, and, and that was a truck that had all of Neil Adam and Rob Pryor stuff on it. Right, sure. So that was interesting. I was going to swim by fun for them. Adam's table and see how happy he was with the fact that they set up at midnight last oh, night. Oh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> But yeah, so, it's, it was it, all things considered, they had a pretty decent setup considering they were running so they behind. worked fast and also yeah. points to them for starting in our corner. Yes, yes. <laughs> right Excellent. in the setup. Excellent. There was like there were like tumbleweeds <laughs> on the other side, and ours and our booth was set. <laughs> They're like these guys have been here since fucking eleven. Maybe we yeah. should set this up. <laughs> <laughs> They're serious. Yeah, <laughs> but also uh, the you know all, all things considered, it was a real crapshoot. We thought because yeah. we we show up and we're. We had seen the map in advance, and we thought there's some problems here. Yeah. By the ma- by, the graphics of the map, it looked like we were we were boxed in by columns, mm-hmm. which isn't great. Yeah. The- we were in the far corner of the per- like the perimeter of the of the space, which was not great. Yeah. And we had pre-booked these spots early and paid for corner placement, which is like a superior. Yeah, we got a double yeah. ten foot corner. Yeah, that's, and that's a lot of space. Yeah, we did not, like you pointed out earlier, we did not pay for we didn't pay for a placement optimization, but. Mm. One figures if you buy if you pre-order and you buy the deluxe version of a table that you're right. going to get um, a good spot and we particularly thought, if you're a repeat vendor sure. at a show and but instead of being a corner in the middle of the rows we were a corner at the end cap right up against the food court and so yeah. we thought well this is either going to go well or terrible yeah 
And I figured, you know, as we always do with our shows, if it doesn't go well, we'll draw and screw around, drink exactly. rum and cokes, and if it does go well, we'll sell some good stuff and drink rum and cokes. Yeah. And so either way, we would be good. <laughs> Win-win. And that's what we did. Yes. <laughs> it was very busy today. It was a busy day. There were a lot of people at this show. There was easily twice what we had last year. I think so. And they said that... Uh, so the problem with the show is a two-day show. Mm-hmm. So on a three-day show, you get a day to warm up, and they are warming up too. The people yeah. are wandering around getting their getting their sea legs, yeah. and then Saturday they buy all the stuff they want, and then Sunday's supposed to be the the panic catch-up day. Right, right. On a two-day show, vendors feel like I set up and I got to take it down. Yeah, and then also that warm-up time is eating into prime buying time. Oh, like absolutely. It's it's really hard to imagine. If, if you're the type of, of customer that goes for multi-day, mm-hmm. which in and of itself is an interesting thing to me. Because yeah. as, a, as a private, you know, whatever, as a, as, a, as a layman, I would not go to a three-day three day convention. I would go for a day. Well, but I don't think... But, but those part people, of it, though, is that we haven't attended a modern convention as guests, as attendees. That's true. Ever. That's true. And the amount of interesting panels and that kind of thing that they have. That's true. Facilitates a three-day show. I think you're typically. right. It's the panels and stuff. That, yeah. There were like screenings and panels and stuff I could see. Right. I have trouble imagining from the from the customer side that you would get up, get the kids, whatever, wrangle them up, and go to the convention center, stand in a line, walk around and looking at vendors and costumes and panels and things, go home pass out and then get up and do it again. So you're you, saying as a parent. As a, as a parent. <laughs> but I love that they do. And yeah. for that segment, which is the vast majority of the people we talk to are, are full weekend pass people or VIPs and stuff. Right. Uh, to me, a two-day show is like not enough time. Yeah. And the one thing we really like about Heroes and Villains is that the ratio of vendors to celebrities to guests is very favorable to us. Mm-hmm. There are less vendors. Yeah, there's meaning like people, 60 yeah. booths, if yeah. that. So people have peanut. much more time. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, one of them is selling fidget spinners, and one, yeah. of them, one of them is PETA. Yeah, so like the idea that it's that that ratio means you have more time for deep dive at the table and right. go stuff, which is really great. Um, but two days is two days. Yeah, it's it's fast. Like I mean, today. But that like first said, few hours, we were like, "Well, this is not great." Yeah, nine to noon, people were still getting their sea legs. They were staggering around, looky Lewin. Uh, and then it Stalker, switched. It switched though. Go yeah, ahead. yeah. Walker Stalker's one of those weird shows where, like the the demographics breakdown is not something you can pick. Yeah. It's not something you can necessarily pinpoint even. Like, the stuff that people are into at these shows is not a standard show. It's really odd. Like, but it's really variable, though. Yeah, it's, it is. It's all over the place. You get those people that don't seem to give two craps about Walking Dead at these shows. And then you have some, a lot of people there that literally the only show they've seen is Walking Dead, which is ostensibly kind of a horror-tinged soap opera. Well, what we saw, especially last year, at the first Heroes and Villains slash Walker Stalker slash yeah, yeah. here in Portland was, uh, and it affected me a lot more than it did you, was that this, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm coming with a largely supers-based right. stuff. Okay. Like, unlike almost any other uh, fandom con, these are very specific fandoms. Yeah. And they are fandoms that do not necessarily equate to a general nerd fandom. 
Absolutely. thing. Yeah. So there are people, we saw that last year, that there were people that were 100% walker stalker types mm. that had, did not care about supers anything. Yeah. And then there were people that were all into the Arrowverse, which to me meant automatically they loved comics, they loved superheroes, they loved all the stuff. No. They yeah, wanted Arrow stuff from yeah. the TV show, and that's it. There's not that overlap. It's we strange. saw a lot of that last year, that yeah. there was this, like, it, if you do not have stuff for Arrowverse or Walker Stalker, they would glaze over. Mm-hmm. Unlike a general superhero type con, or even right. a gaming con, or whatever, where there's overlap. Yeah. This year, I felt like there was much more tolerance, certainly based on the attention at my booth, much more tolerance for... Uh, other stuff. You know what it felt like? Is it felt like last year we got those people that you were talking about that have that that narrow focus, that right. narrow interest range, and this year those same people were there, but we also had eight thousand normal general general attendees. Up. Yeah, it was like the first show was maybe like the anchor the anchor fans that were the ones that were being marketed to, right? And now it's it's a convention. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, so those first two hours, like we said, there was no one there, and we thought, right. this going. This is going to be one of those shows. It's not going to yeah. be a good show." And then all of a sudden, the floodgates opened, and at the same time, it had been like there was a trickle of people at the food court. And I was yeah. like, "What's even happening? If there's no one at the food court, there's no one in the in the hall, right?" Right. All of a sudden, the line was a mile long. Yeah, because they only had two or three food places, mm-hmm. and. Tons and t- and people and I would start to hear this. It was devastating. People would come in and say, "I was in line for two hours to get in." Yeah, and then you I'm, find out they were all here in the morning, but they couldn't get in. I'm really curious what exactly that. Well, I was. heard a thing. What I heard was that they had a promotion by which you, if you wanted to do a bulk thing, you could buy you know like three for the price of one or those kinds of bulk deals. Okay, but when you did it, you had to pick up at the. At the will call. They didn't send them by internet or whatever. And so apparently the will call line was around the block. Wow. And people who were buying cold could walk in. Uh, okay. Which is sort of like when you... I've seen this at like the Academy of Science at, in San Francisco where you're a member. Or like the, the MoMA. And right. the member line is long because there's so many members. Right. Supporting the museum. And then the guest line is short. Huh. Right? So it was, yeah, it was that sort of thing, I think. And then so all of a sudden at noon... It was packed, and everyone was starving, and they're hypoed out. And right, and I saw so many people who would stagger, and I heard three different groups say, "Okay, first I got to do is get some food, and yeah. then we're going to start walking the floor." And you're like, "Well, that's another hour line." Just right. To, it was like I saw people in that line that stood there for like forty minutes. Yeah, the food the lines point. were obscenely long. Yeah. And so I'm curious tomorrow with everybody having picked up their tickets and their bands yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I assume that that's going to be a much quicker ingress for everybody. I hope so. I hope so because there's less time. I will say this for the for the promotion promoters. Uh, yeah, you shouldn't you shouldn't screw up picking up tickets. Mm-hmm. They people were saying to us that they weren't even checking IDs. It's like oh, you, they weren't checking. Yeah, it, it hit they a just, point. Yeah, yeah, they were just like yeah. getting the bodies in the door. But I will say, I don't think that you should mess up the, you know, as a designer, flow is mm-hmm. really important in event spaces. Yeah. You need to open the bottlenecks. And if you have problems with the logistics that close the bottleneck, yeah. you ruin the show. Right. So that said, and we've seen that with the layouts of bad shows in the oh, past yeah. where we're like, why did they lay this out this way? There's yeah. no flow for people to walk through and see anything. But what I, what I would like to say about these guys is that they acknowledged that there was a slow entry 
And so they were coming around. The manager of the show floor came around mid-afternoon and said that they were keeping the show open another hour yeah. to try to help with that. And, you know, whatever. It was yeah, a slow I, hour. I, I think I got, like, yeah. one sale but, during but it. But the point is they chose to do that to make up for that. They, they were acknowledging that there was a problem and they wanted to give people more time, particularly the one-day right. ticket holders. Right. I thought that was a really upfront thing for them to do. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, in a way... It's frustrating. Phoenix did that to yeah. us. And we'd already made dinner plans. We were meeting people. Oh. And then... Oh, I can see that. All of a sudden, yeah. oh, we're there an extra hour. Well, there and were plenty so, of people like, who left at 7, so I'm at, not... Or you 6. Know, and that's the thing, too. Yeah. Like, like in Phoenix, that meant we were staying there until 9 instead of 8. Mm. Here, it meant we were staying until 7 instead of 6. 6 to 7 is not that big a deal. But, like, 8 to 9 in Phoenix, by the time we got anywhere to eat, everything was closed. closed. So, on shows that... I mean, you as a 25 to 30 show a year guy, Mm -hmm. do you have many shows that run late into the night? No. Um, The Vegas ones do, right? Like the Star Trek? No, not even... Well, I mean, Star Trek has 24-hour stuff going on, Uh, but the vendor's room closes at, like, 7 or 8, usually. I was wondering whether it made... I guess it doesn't pan out, but I I was wondering if there was something viable about a later having those halls open later if there were people that are getting off work or <sighs> I, you know gives them more time after panels or something I have wondered about that myself but like even like some of the gaming shows I've done the board game shows in particular they have some later shows going and if they're open past like 8 you don't see anything like like people are done buying past that point so I think like eight is really the latest you should ever be open for the most part. Interesting. Yeah, like as much as I'm personally down with it, I think you hit that certain point where like between seven and eight, if you're open till nine, half the vendors are going to be packed up anyway. Yeah. No, I see. That. And that's where it starts to really hurt things. And that because, sucks the life out of it as soon as right. people start leaving. Yeah. Or like other shows we've been to where people weren't seeing the results they wanted and then they gave up and left their table. Or, yeah. Or shows we've been to where they didn't show up for their table. Right. It is box office poison, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyway, so from like 12 to 6, I felt like it was it was packed. Oh, you were slammed, yeah. Right? Yeah. There were, like, I, I found it was the first time I've ever had where I was like going, I gotta go to the bathroom, but I gotta wait for these people <laughs> to right. leave. Like, you know, you know, at other shows you have lulls and you can go and do things, go get some food, go to the bathroom, go see a friend that's at the show. But right. This was a show where I had a constant stream of someone to talk to at my table. Yeah. And and by and as it is with you and me, order of magnitude, you had three people at the table at all those <laughs> right. times. But. Yeah, there was there were a couple of times where Lindsay would have to run to the restroom or something like that. And I would have somebody at the buttons, someone at the soap, someone at the prints, someone at the other prints, and someone at the, the wall yeah. of like goods and stuff. And I'm like, I cannot handle all yeah. of these people because you know the nature of the corner is great. It gives us a lot more real estate. But it versus two horizontals where yeah. you can cover that a little easier because you can kind I of wonder build about it that. in areas, it's a lot harder. Because, I really wonder about that. Yeah. Because a corner table... So, yeah, the two two regular tables would be more expensive than a corner table. A lot more, but, yeah. But the corner table, even though you get more real estate, you're still, you know, you're, you're geometrically bottlenecked by that. Right. So right. I wonder, I wonder how, 
you know, I wonder how they how they differ in, yeah. in, in how you deal with it behind the table and how, how it is with the customers, too. I don't know. Yeah, a lot of shows, if I can afford to, I would much rather have two horizontal tables in the row than have a corner one. Just just from a, a full logistical layout, like yeah. handling somebody that's to the left of you and someone that's in front of you, it's just harder to give them all the attention that they need. I have to say that I've come to the conclusion at the end of last season that I would rather pay for two tables and make very little money if mm-hmm. it, may, it meant that's what happens. Right. Rather than have the one table and be frustrated that I can't get can't enough eyeballs everything. on my stuff. Yeah. And, and I've already reached the point. I'm at a tipping point, as we talked about a little bit at the beginning. I'm at a tipping point with the amount of stuff I have, and it's only going to get right. worse. Right. Um, and I started going for two tables wherever I can, except for, you know, our next show together, Silicon Valley Comic Con. Mm-hmm. I got two tables, but you're going to come, and so we're going to be down <laughs> to two six foot tables. Did. Yeah. Uh, and then you know, Rose City, I got two tables. Mm-hmm. You, but I think you're. Taking I, one I've got a, no. I've got the Maker's Mark. Oh, good, table. good, good. So, so I, I yeah, will have my got two, two tables. tables there, okay, great. So um, and San Francisco Comic Con, it's a limit of one table. Yeah. Which is weird. Yeah. So you know. It, it's nice to be able to to have a module in my layout that I can afford. I can I can do a six footer. Yeah, I can do the big the big corner. I'm going to figure out a double table spread. Yeah, but I definitely I think I benefit from having the ability to spread it out. Yeah, having and that having module ability room. is huge too. Well, and if you have like you know you have twenty of this and like five of this, and you're standing there or you're sitting behind the desk eating a burrito, mm-hmm. a six foot table makes sense. Right. I have four bins of deep dive. Yeah. I have four hundred and something prints at the show. Yeah, that's crazy. You need the room to be able to spread out and put stuff down and go through right. it. And 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 like we talked a little bit about after tonight, I'm even starting to think that we're. It may benefit me to split up my like actually have double prints mm-hmm. prints on either side so there's two sets of prints to people to go through, right? Because there are enough times when someone is elbow to elbow with someone else or someone's waiting for someone else. Mm-hmm. And I had two times today where someone said that they wanted what that other person would just bought, and I said, "Oh, I right. have another one." They're like, "Oh my god, great!" Yeah. So there's a certain amount of that overlap. Yeah. That's happening. Yeah, and there's definitely it's it's. It's a urinal mentality, too, where oh, yeah. if somebody's looking through one 12-inch bin, somebody doesn't want to be right next to them looking in that same 12-inch yeah, yeah, yeah. bin kind of thing. Yeah. And I thought you were saying something about the quality of my work. Well, that, too. Right. I mean, yeah, when when later they take them over to the corner and pee on them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the customer, so the tone is has been typical today of what I've expected from the Portland stuff from last yeah. year. Yeah. It's a great con city. I and the fan Love base Portland is people. great. Yeah. They're invested. They're interested. They want to talk to you. They're kind of funky. Yeah. And and there's very little attitude. And they're not. these shows are not selling their tickets on Groupon, so you mm-hmm. get a bunch of looky-loos. It's like people who want to talk about nerd stuff. Yeah. I love talking about super nerd stuff that I don't even know. This, I don't even need to know the, the, the fandom that they're into. Oh, yeah. I just want them to go off. Yeah, Because absolutely. it's so much fun. To talk to people who care about something, right? Yeah, yeah. That's what fandom is. That's what's so great about fandom to me. Someone actually, you know, at the end of their busy day and all the other things they and all their stresses and problems, here's a thing that they are so into that they're excited to be there, excited right. to talk to someone else about it. Feel free to do it. Mm-hmm. 
and they just let it go. Yeah, I and love these that. guys are all, I mean, for the most part, they're Seattle, Portland area, mm-hmm. and like, this is kind of, we started building a little bit of a fan base here, and like, we saw a lot of people come over to our tables that have been here previously, like right. the, the dude that didn't make it back over to your table and right, picked right. up some stuff. He was, yep. Yeah, he's awesome. And like, I had a whole passel of people from previous sure. shows come by, and it's just, it's so fun seeing all these guys that we've built a relationship with to a certain extent. They follow us on Instagram or yeah, they, sure. they comment on things. Like, come by, even though they aren't necessarily going to buy something from us, they check out, they see what's new, they say hi. And I just, I appreciate that kind of thing. Even if they're yeah. they're not spending another penny on us, just knowing that they still, like, are excited to see us there and that kind of thing. Well, you, you've tapped something that I think is very important. We you you've told me for years about how you have a fan base in each of the major cities you mm-hmm. go to. They come back to you, and you and you sell a consumable. Yeah, at least yeah. part of what you sell is a consumable, meaning that they're going to come back and say, "I need more soaps." Right. Plus, I need to get them more gifts for other people and whatever else. Right. You have a reason for them to come back, but it's a thing you always described: the repeat customer that knows you and follows you and is excited. And I look at your your Instagram, whatever, and people are like, hey, are you going to bring X to the show or whatever? <laughs> right. That's great, right? Yeah. So I'm at the point now in my con stuff where I have a group, I have a number of clients that come back and see me. Mm-hmm. And like you said, sometimes they come back and go through and find more stuff they want. Right. And sometimes it's like, well, they've been through it all and they found what they wanted, but they're coming to say hey and show off their costumes and talk. Right. To me, that's really good. It's not just good marketing, but it's fun. It yeah. makes it fun to oh, have yeah. familiar fun faces who, who give enough of a shit about what you did mm-hmm. to want to come and talk to you. Yeah, it's right? huge. That, In this like, whole con, they want to come and talk to you because they like that drawing you did last year. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like we, we stand the entire day. Neither mm-hmm. of us sit down. My knees are killing me by the end of the day. But it's because we're standing there... And it's a lot of work to make a new customer a friend. Oh, it really and is. And like a loyal person, we, we talk our asses off, we, we push things, we show them things, we dig through bins with them. Sure. But that second time they come around, year two, they know you, they know your stuff already. You can just be like, hey, how's it going? What you been up to? Kind of thing. Yeah. And it's... It's something that can be just like, it's not work at that point. It's you chatting with people who like your stuff and like you enough to come back by and say hi, but you don't have to kill yourself. If you were off-putting, as as many of many con vendors are, if you were off-putting, they're not going to make the point to try to talk to you. Yeah. You've got to be genuine and actually happy to see them come over. Well, like you said, we're, I, I don't think that that's particularly common compared to what I see because I look and yeah. everybody sit, is sitting down. Yeah. They're either drawing, which I understand because you can mm-hmm. get something done, or they're shy and they don't want to deal with people or they're tired or whatever it is. Yeah. But most of the people are sitting down. And one thing that you did when we first started that I was very aware of and I've done the same is you just committed to stand up and you're at, you're, your job is to... Inter- your job is not to draw while you're there. Yeah. Your job is to interface with people. And you right. have to bring them in. And it took me a while to figure out the the sweet spot of how to not be a barker, mm-hmm. but you want to incur you wait for the eye contact. Right. And you look is it is it sketchy eye contact where they don't want to deal? Right. Or is it like interesting? And and you and I both have a wall of stuff behind us. Mm-hmm. So if you see someone lock in on something, yeah. then you know you could talk to them. Right. Or if you see them lock, lock in at something on the table, then you can say, hey, what caught your eyes? So what, yeah. oh, what caught your eye? Yeah. Let's talk about that, right? Yeah, or I absolutely. like your costume or whatever it is. I don't know. I'm not 
I'm not a salesperson. I don't have a background in sales. Mm-hmm. In most of my jobs growing up, I didn't have a sales job. But, right. but I'm an extrovert. And as someone who's just kind of whatever, a little bit weird, like to talk about random stuff, yeah. I have a very low tolerance for small talk. Right. I have a high tolerance for weird talk, interesting yeah. stuff. And so my whole life I've spent you know, in an environment, if I'm in a room full of people waiting for a traffic court or I'm dealing with a new client in my professional life or whatever it is, I like cutting past the bullshit right. and, and going into some sort of very specific thing to bullshit about. Yeah. And that's what I do at these shows, too. I look for something in their outfit that is a connection. Mm-hmm. Or I or we talk about something that's, you know, the, you know, regular things that we can relate to. Yeah, totally. But, but I try to deviate from the typical stuff, and I certainly try to avoid a hard sell. Yeah. I want to just talk about nerd stuff. Yeah. And see if you're having a good time. Yeah, people and come over, why. and they can go through every single piece of art I have on the table and smell every single soap and walk away, and I'm never going to be like, hey, are you going to buy something? Right. Kind of thing. I don't care right. if... I mean, obviously, I want you to buy something because I have bills, and this is what I do for a living. Sure. But... I don't ever want them to feel guilty about walking away from the table without buying something because those people won't come back. If they feel guilty about leaving without buying stuff, they're going to feel guilty every time they walk past your table. And instead, I want them to feel welcome to come back by and be like, hey, look at this photo op I got. It's so cool kind of thing. Well, and then as creators, I mean, I'm sure it's different for the sellers who are just selling merchandise, their (laughs) their wholesale merchandise and those kind of things. But, you know, for, for us as artists... We need constant adoration well, and improvement. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> artists range from liking compliments to desperately needing compliments right. for their validation. But the bottom line is we like, if nothing else, even if you don't need someone to rah-rah your stuff, mm-hmm. you feed off of someone being interested in your stuff to Absolutely. talk about it. It can be inspiring and if you're a commercial, help us be productive. Yeah. And, and I'm sure there's plenty of sellers here who are like this, but if you're treating it like commercial art, you're like, I'm making a thing and i got to yeah. be out there and I'm just going to put it on the shelf. Yeah. Then that's one thing. But if you're if you're creating, you have some passion and some inspiration in what you're doing, right. the whole point is it's... it's you know, there's 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 energy that's been embedded in it. Yeah. And when someone wants to talk about it, even if they're not buying it, but if they want to talk about it and say, "Oh, I love this because it reminds me of that thing I loved," right. which reminds me of this time that I had a good time. To me, that's what art's about, right? Yeah. I mean, I we we're both a member of a group on Facebook that's all aspiring artist alley artists. Oh uh, yeah, right. And they always are like like there's constantly posts on there that are like, "I want to do." to do artist alley what should I draw kind of thing yeah and my first response to every single one of those people is draw what you love sure don't draw something just because you think it's going to sell don't draw right. something because these people sell it that sell though that could and be why I'm not at the two orders of magnitude higher sales is some of our <laughs> people that we know at the shows who are also selling prints like well me. I mean the thing is though is like my best seller at this show has been my Princess Bride print, mm. which is my favorite movie that I've spent the most time on. That's right. And that I've obsessively added dumb little details because I love that show. And if somebody looked at that and it had been drawn as a commodity just because I thought it would sell, it wouldn't have that little bit of a soul in I it. I think you're right. And I feel like that's really important. And I do think some people... And that's not for everybody. Right. There are people out there that literally see Daryl Dixon buy it yeah, kind of yeah. thing. It has nothing to do with who drew it. They don't even care if you drew right, it. Right. And I think that's where some people who are just selling a commodity are making the money is they're appealing to those guys. Right. But you and I, we have a table 
where people know what we draw has our soul in it. I think and right. they connect with it on more than just a gut instinct level. They connect with it on an emotional level. When you encourage me to start making prints, part of the... I mean, part of your, both of you, part of your argument was, well, you have a lot of stuff. You have a lot of art sitting there. Mm -hmm. Why not commodify it? Which is great. It's true. It's true. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, the other thing you pointed out was you have weird stuff. Yeah. But you drew that weird stuff because you wanted to draw the weird stuff. Exactly. And I was very, I was initially incredulous that anyone would care, you know, that why would anyone want? A, a, a print of, of dupe crossed with Slimer from Ghostbuster. Right. I've sold four of those, I think, in yeah. like... You know, so y your your point to me was if you have it, put it out there. Because something, some weird thing is going to be the right thing for someone. Yeah. And it's all about the, the overall argument of the burden of choice. Right. When people are faced with a sea of options... And largely, they don't match what they're the criteria they're looking for, and they get tired of searching. It's just like yeah. the internet. It's like anything. Yeah. Looking for a blouse, looking for art, looking for a car. If you're not seeing anywhere near what you're looking for, you glaze over it. Yeah. But if you offer a variety of weird or interesting things, mm -hmm. you suck them into thinking, well, this is weird stuff. I'm amused because it's not like what other people have done. Right. I'm going to start looking. And that's entirely my customer. Mm-hmm. It's the one that might find that the really dive. wrong, strange piece that I have because right. I did it because I was interested, not because right. You know, yeah. I, I mean, still like, don't have a Superman in my thing. I have a red sun and I have a bunch of other things, <laughs> yeah. but I don't have the mainstream stuff because I drew what I was yeah. interested in. That's yeah. it. I mean, like that 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 weirdly esoteric, real genius piece that I did at yeah, that right. 80s Val Kilmer thing. I did it because I thought it'd be funny as hell, and I, I had a good idea for something that I really liked. And I've only sold a couple of them, but the people that bought it, like, oh my god, this is amazing! I love this movie, and this is so perfect, kind of thing. That's satanic exactly mechanic. it. Yeah, satanic yeah, mechanic, oh, my yep. satanic mechanics huge for me, and I drew it because I wanted to draw it, and I loved right. it, and had a lot of fun with it. But it speaks to people; they see it, and immediately they run over to the table and buy it, kind of thing. Well, and 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 you really nailed it with. It's it's that you love doing it, and they can tell when you talk about it. Yeah. Again, the console that's sitting behind the table just chilling. Yeah. Is not engaging every fan. It's more like just when you're ready to check out. Yeah. Tell me. Yeah, and that's but we're exactly actually, it. I mean, you and I both. When someone comes to the table, we ask them what they're like. The first thing I do is say, "What is your fandom? Yeah. What are you looking for?" And it's not just like, "What can I sell you?" But it's, "What are you looking for?" Right. And sometimes that just means it's a conversation. <clears throat> you know, it's something I don't have, mm -hmm. but we're talking about that fandom. Right. And then sometimes that side that leads to something else that I can point to, and then it gets them excited. Right. Sometimes it slows them down enough to decide to flip through, and then sometimes it's just a, it's a it's a fun talk, and that's yeah. It. I mean, that's one of the reasons we do the soap is that it's super interactive and it creates an emotional response, whether that's a, ooh, I don't like that smell or, oh my God, I love this. Yeah. It's an emotional response. It's a connection in some capacity. And like, like I mean, the, we had a couple that bought one of my Princess Bride prints and then their friend bought a Princess Bride print and like they, they had me personalize it. They got a selfie with yeah. me on it. And that kind of thing, to me, is more valuable than selling five prints to somebody else. It's just like, give me that one, that one, and that one. Yeah. I'd much rather make 20 bucks off of somebody and have it something that they genuinely love and that they're right. going to put up on their, their wall and enjoy than some dude that's just blindly buying it because it's the Funko Pop of art kind right. of thing. I have, I have three anecdotes 
Uh, one, I had a customer, you mentioned this earlier, I had a customer who, who showed up within the first two hours of the, of the morning who was a customer from previous shows. This mm-hmm. is the guy that didn't, he didn't get back to us on the third day of Rose City. Right. He had been a customer at Heroes and Villains. He had been a customer at Rose City. He had me hold stuff for him, and then he didn't come back. Right. And I was like, oh, what a bummer. <laughs> okay. But it happens. Well, and, and in particular, Rose City was weird. I had like five or six packages of things that people <laughs> were going to come back for that they didn't come back for. And I right. and that was like, I walked away from that saying, from now on, I think I'm going to push a little harder on getting you to put the money down because maybe you'll remember to come back. <laughs> yeah. But okay, so he didn't come back. So now, but he was a repeat from previous shows too. So right. I wasn't worried about it. So he shows up right away. And not only is he like, hey, I still need, I still need those prints. But he even br- he even brought me a walk uh, a Walking Dead a cover a sketch, sketch cover, cover yeah and said here this is for you to 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 work on and sell and I'm like what a nice guy yeah what a nice thing we, why is a customer bringing me a gift because they didn't make it to my table on Sunday the right. last show when they were exhausted and in bed yeah for fuck's sake right so that was really great my second anecdote was <clears throat> um, a woman who came over. Who said that she she was going through the stuff and she recognized my work because her daughter had given her a piece of mine <laughs> from like last year, but she couldn't remember what it was. She couldn't identify it, but she knew it existed. <laughs> but she recognized my style enough to know that I was the one. Nice. And it's like at Rose City, there were two people who said, "I've seen your work online and I liked it." Right. And I was like, "What?" <laughs> right. <laughs> not for the, not judging the network traffic on my website. And right. Sure. <laughs> you know. Well, so anyway, she was digging through and she ended up figuring out that it was the bombshell Supergirl that she had from mm-hmm. before. But she and her daughter end up buying another couple of prints and talking for a while and walking away. And I thought, my gosh, what? How is that not like the best kind of repeat customer? Yeah. One that never you never even met that just recognized your stuff Absolutely. enough to come over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and like we've got we have a couple of people like Shelby and and Madison and stuff that came to the table and like these guys are so awesome. Like not only like they don't usually have a lot of money to spend at the tables, right. but they come by. They're super genuine and excited. And like they'll repost our stuff online because they know it helps us out. Yeah, they're like, oh, we I can't saw buy that for anything, you. but yeah. I'll post something for you and promote you for you because because we want to help you out and stuff. And that's like so that's freaking cool, man. I mean, that's that's awesome to have customers and that like support you that way. It's We're so in cool. a culture where people cannot be. We've talked about this in the years prior when we were doing our art art group on a forum basis and then it, even before that was on a list server we went from a culture that was in terms of internet content we went from a culture that was uh you know pull down right and then we've moved to a culture that's push and now we've and then we got to a point where it's like you know they may or may not even respond at all. Right. It just goes right, right into... They, they expect all the content to land on their laps and they may yeah. not even look at it. Well, and then the only comments you get so, on things are like... Yeah, criticisms top, and things. Top thumbs up. Oh, and sure. it's obviously bots kind yeah, of Yeah, bots or, or criticisms, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so my point being, when you have a customer that is willing to post on your behalf to say, hey, here's a cool vendor, you should go check their stuff out... We're in a culture that people are consumers of the internet, right? They just click through yeah. and flip through, and they even like let Facebook algorithms yeah. 
pre pre curate all the stuff they're going to look at. They don't even barely lift a finger. Yeah, no, not at all. Yeah, and yet here are customers who are re are like posting your sign and talking mm-hmm. about you on your behalf unasked because they're trying to support you. That is yeah. amazing. Yeah, you can't ask for cooler stuff than that. Like that in in and of itself makes me want to continue like creating and producing things and stuff because it's just it's so cool to know that there's people out there that are that into what you're blindly throwing out into the world yeah. for things. So my third anecdote is a little bit on the other side of things, but I think it's worth saying because it's very con. Okay. <laughs> and I told you about this before. Okay, so some people came over. People might show up with a certain cosplay and I'll and I'll and I'll show them the cosplay. I'll show them their look in my in my prints and say, hey, check this out. And sometimes they buy them and sometimes they don't, but it's if nothing else, it's just a conversation thing. So some people came over and we're talking and I and they're talking about what they like and it's oh you probably don't have this X and Y and I said well actually you should look because everyone who says you probably don't have this sometimes it's there yeah if anyone would it and would I, be you and I've had a few people who have asked me for things and I say actually I don't have that and they're like oh well and I said well but I got to tell you I have a lot of weird stuff right so there was a good chance you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> anyway I had a scenario where I had one customer say that their favorite character was Iron Man. But the silver centurion design from the <laughs> early aughts, or, or no, late, wasn't that late like, 90s. like Secret Wars era? No, no, yeah, well, no, yeah, it's post Secret Wars, but it's Iron Man 200. So this okay. is like Obadiah Stain. Okay. And all that stuff. The red and white armor with the shoulder pads. Yeah. And then uh, the woman said that her favorite was, and she was dressed as Teen Titans Raven. Right. And I said, check this out. And I go into the stacks, and she's like, well, you're in the Marvel. I'm like, hold on. And I pull out a piece I have, which is the Silver Centurion Iron Man armor fighting the Teen Titans Raven. And I said to them, I said, in the history of the world, have you ever seen a Venn diagram that is so perfect as this? And they laughed, and they cried, and it was much better than cats. And 20 minutes later, they walked away, and they didn't buy it. (laughs) You're never going to get, you're never going to get a more perfect piece. And it was such a, it's such an, as as you said before, an esoteric, such an esoteric piece for me to have done. I only printed it because it's random. I mean, I have a set of four of Iron Man beating up on things. Literally the one person that would ever buy that. Right, and they didn't buy it. And I'm like, wait a minute, man. I would have given it to you in in exchange for kettle corn or something. Yeah, really. You you know, that series, Iron Man fighting, like, Raven. I have an Iron Man fighting Assassin's Creed guy. I have Iron Man beating... Beast from Beauty and the Beast using a rolled up flat man from Great Lakes Avengers. <laughs> so I want to find that Venn diagram. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and wait till I get to the when I, wait till I get to those the other other uh, round of those championships. Yeah, where I yeah. Because remember when the one there was one guy who came With, over like Wasp and Iron Man. But, 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 and, but yeah. there was right there was that one where the Wasp had stripped him down. But but also there was a guy. That came and he was I, I rate that he couldn't find any TMNT art anywhere and I said oh I oh yeah and he was with his kid right and I was like oh oh I have a team well and then I backed off because I remembered what it was it was from that same sort yep. of battle royale right and it's Iron Man chasing Wasp in a sewer tunnel trying to <laughs> smash her with a dis, with a with a severed TMNT arm 
<laughs> he was patching with like a club, like you're swatting a mosquito, right? And I was like, I don't think you're the target market for that. Yeah, weird stuff. not so much. Yeah. Anyway, those that, that, those kinds of Venn diagram alignments are what really make it for me. I think it's so amazing. Yeah. Even though they didn't buy it, it was such a con moment. <laughs> really? That yeah. they even found it in the first place and then walked away. Yeah, you know that, I mean? that makes it even better. I think, so, anyway. I think that was day one. Yeah, that was day one. Yeah. And so day one, and we've already had pizza at our favorite place yeah. twice. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, Pizza Mia has been, been our, our location of frequent. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they gave us they gave us friend, they gave us the secret friends jello shots, which yeah. was very sweet. Yeah. Not and, poisoned uh, at all. Maybe. And then, uh, so tomorrow is a shorter show, mm-hmm. nine to five. But we got pack up afterwards, which makes it longer. It's a long day. <laughs> Double the Roman cokes, mm-hmm. but uh, but it's going to be I you know I'm I'm optimistic. Yeah, I mean if if tomorrow is anywhere near the rate of people and sales as today was, it's mm-hmm. going to be a good show. Yeah, and we both have art that we need to do, so yeah, we, do. we should get to work. We should. So that was day one. Yep. Stay tuned for day two plus more. This was Chris and Tom. We did not introduce us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So. Here we are with Robot Kraken, and it's been day two. Day two of a con. What do we call this? This was the Heroes <laughs> and Villains Fan Fest Walker Stalker. Stalker Con Convention. Rocker Talker. Rocker the Walker Talker Con. It feels like that. Like yeah. <laughs> and uh, so we've what we've broken down. We've had some food. Had some now Mexican we're back. food. Ooh, it's yummy. Lots of tacos. Lots of tacos. Many tacos. <laughs> and here we are. Doing our postmortem of the second day of the show. So, how'd you find it? Good. It was a good show. I had a great time with it. I'm exhausted. Yeah. But it was fun. I I, I had a really I. Uh, it was definitely more people and busier than last year. Um, made more money than last year. Always a good thing. But we also had a lot more like. Repeat customers come by the table, which is awesome. Yep. Yep. Some good cosplay. Some solid cosplay, considering, compared to last year, remember how disappointed we were in the cosplay for the first year of Walker Stalker? There wasn't much. Yeah, there wasn't. And what there was was almost all Walking Dead related. Right. And, oh my God, there were so many Negans here. Oh, yes. But Baby Negans, oh, female Negans. Baby female Negans. <laughs> That's right. But there were also a lot of like solid non Walking Dead cosplay this time. That's right, and I think that's that a testament to the the difference in demographic compared to last year too. I think we got a lot more like general Comic Con interest nerds at this show. I think that the um, yeah, I think it's like you were saying earlier. The first year it was very focused on the two fandom. Mm-hmm. Two fandoms which don't necessarily lend themselves to any other fandom, right? Superhero or otherwise. Yeah, very but true. This time, it had expanded out to include a wider range of people that yeah. would have come to other shows. Yeah, like even you know Norman Reedus was there, obviously for Walking Dead, but they had. Uh, Della Roca and a couple of other guys from Boondock Saints there too. Right. And so, I mean, like, even if you were there and a Boondock Saints fan, there was kind of that aspect of it. And, you know, they had 
Shane from The Walking Dead, who also happens to be the Punisher, and Eborn Moss was there too. So I think they did a good job of doing some overlap stuff where, technically speaking, we're still talking Walking Dead. Right. But they also like, if, hey, if this guy's also in this popular thing, we'll get this guy from that popular thing. Right. I thought that was pretty cool. I thought so too. I also thought that um, uh, the the vibe in the morning for today was a lot different than yesterday. Yeah, where it was dead, it was dead yesterday at first, and then it was because there was this huge line of people. There was a huge <laughs> line. Uh, that was that was our good buddy Blake saying, "I'm ready, but I'm never subtle." So you tell me when you're ready for me. I'm that's, coming that's, in on. That sure as hell was not subtle. That's for sure. <laughs> um, okay, so but uh, you know, so yesterday it was the the line was jammed up with people who couldn't mm-hmm. get in, and then when they could get in, it was the hot mess of people also being hungry, and so it was right. these two lines of people going from one line to the other and being completely blown. And then it got really packed. Yeah, the food lines were never as bad today yeah. as they were yesterday. Yeah. Today, it was slow to start, which is typical of a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And it and it built gradually. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it was there was a good rush yeah. where there was a good amount of people. And then I feel like it was one of those deals where the panel started and then we started to see the room empty out a bit yeah. and then come back. But not as much as in other shows where the panels were in different rooms around the place. Like, when I do San Francisco Comic-Con and I had to go prepare for my panel, I had to go up two escalators, two escalator runs, go down a massive hallway, find the room I was in and, you know, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard not to be aware of how much you lose your, your audience when, when the panels are on. Yeah. And And typically, Heroes and Villains, we saw that a lot last time. Yes. Remember? Yes, because they had it at a different place. They had to go in and out of security. Right. And this time they they moved to the panel room. And normally I hate this, actually. The panel room was on the same floor, same room, same area as the vendors. But they did a good job with it this time. Like, you could hear the the screaming when somebody big came out on the stage. But for the most part, they considering it was not that far from us. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of of burnoff with the the stage being there and them doing their panels and stuff. I agree, it really wasn't bad. And um, uh, the other thing is, you know, having at least for me, having done this show once, then doing Rose City, well, mm-hmm. actually Rose City, then this show, then Rose City, and now this show again, and this show's opened up. And there's more cross, uh, I don't know, contamination, but there's more interaction <laughs> between some of the people that might have just gone to Rose City before mm-hmm. and that are now coming to the show as well. There are more people I knew. There yeah. are more um, previous customers, more fans that were familiar with my work, and more cosplayers that had been to my table before and had more friends now. Yeah. So that was really cool yeah. between those people that came today and new friends that were met um, that were deep diving into my stacks. Mm-hmm. It was a day filled with a lot of that very satisfying interaction with people. Which yeah. is half of what I do it right. Yeah, absolutely. The um, uh, it and it was also another um sign that the system I have now with the vertical, the vertical stacks going through the the records at the record store type yeah. thing is working. I'm getting yeah. the right kind of person for that. I definitely found like multiple times I'd look over and you'd have two or three people standing at those stacks digging through it while talking to you and like almost absentmindedly looking at them as they chatted with you kind of thing. And it was cool to see. It was yeah. like totally that, that old school long box comic con right. look to yeah. it, which I thought was really sweet. 
Yeah, I, I definitely want to give a shout out to the pe- the the staff at Heroes and Villains. Like these guys did a good job, and like they they pulled their shit together and turned the show into something pretty nice. And I feel like the vibe with the attendees, we felt that. Yeah. Like like yesterday, they waited in line for hours. And we didn't have every single person complaining about how long they were in line right. and stuff. That's right. Which blew me away. Yeah. Like, normally you hear all about that. Uh, Lindsay waited in line to meet, to try and meet Jeffrey Dean Morgan. And she found out that the general admission people never even got into it. I talked to one of the staff members and she said he was still there at five tonight signing the VIPs that were in line this morning. Yeah, that's nuts. And yet, not once did somebody come by and be like, "Oh yeah, I wanted to meet Jeffrey Dean Morgan, but I couldn't meet him, and this shit yeah. sucks." Right, right. Kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. The fact that the complaint level or the dissatisfaction level seemed to be low. Yeah. Given the fact that there were multiple issues that at other shows people would have made a would real been, mistake yeah, if it about. Yeah, been Wizard World. That would have been a disaster, and everybody would have been bad. And they wouldn't have cared. And, and they wouldn't have cared. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, uh, the other thing I was going to say was we, we talked a little bit about how we have to be, we have to be able to adjust our, our table layouts based on the amount of space we have at a given show. Right. And I've made the six foot table work before, which is hard. Yeah. This was another time where we had two corners and then the best part is bridging those two corners with a table that yeah. you bring. So we're actually getting like six, 10, 10, six kind of right. Or yeah. six, 12, yeah. six, 10, maybe six, 10, six, six, 10, 10, six. And I really felt like if I were to do it again, especially if I could get a little more room or in a situation like Rose City will be for me when I have two tables of my own. Right. I think I'm going to have two stacks, two sets of mm-hmm, print mm-hmm. stacks and then the books in the middle. I think that's a because good call. I, there were multiple times I saw people waiting to get into the stacks. Yeah. Or someone was sitting there talking. Like you were saying, so they get... They get distracted. They just want to talk, and I'm mm-hmm. being ebullient about it. And I want to talk to them, and so and I know I could be sacrificing sales if right. I'm distracting them. But we're going to talk, right? I see someone waiting. Yeah, that could be in there. No, I think that's a great call because, like, for this show, I experimented by having both the flip through book and the stacks right. to dig through. And at multiple times, I'd see somebody look at the book while someone else was browsing through and go yeah. over to the stack and dig through it instead. I watched a I watched a couple standing behind the person at the stack. For a while, they looked at me, they were looking up at the display for a while, they looked at me, they looked at that person, and then I saw them walk away <laughs> before I was able to find a way to segue the other person out of the way and get right. this person in or whatever. There were a few interesting cases today where um, there were like a couple cases where someone seemed heavily invested, pulled a bunch of stuff, were really excited about it. And then I got distracted with another customer, and then I turned back, and they were gone, which was odd. But I know that a lot of things happen at shows. Someone you're with says, oh, you got to come over here, or or you feel like you have to go to the bathroom, whatever it is. And that's just the nature of it. The fact that those kinds of events happened and I still had a good day Mm -hmm. was a good thing. And I wonder with that, I wonder if part of that might actually be the fact that you have to, like, because you have multiple copies of the print down in there. Yeah. needing to stop and pull them out and give it to them and bag it and hand it to them. Mm-hmm. Whereas if they could have just pulled out six and handed you 80 bucks and walked off, you would have been, I wonder if that might have made a difference. Well, certainly if, um, certainly if I, I'll tell you one thing, if I do prepare so that I could have two sets of stacks, mm-hmm. I could pretty much get 
at least two single prints in, you know, two copies of a print in a bag and board, mm-hmm. right? One yeah. for each of those sets. Yeah. Um, and then if, and then any overflow would be behind me. Yeah. And then if uh, I had to go back to the single table or a smaller setup, um, you know, well then now I'm back to just, okay, someone pulls that, I replenish it. Right. Right. As long as I'm in a scenario where I'm driving and I can bring all this stuff. Yeah, and that's I the can big that. thing. Yeah, with you flying, there's no way you could have had all of those back and boarded. There was just no physical way for you to do that. I do have some good news for you. What's that? This was my best show. Nice. By $5. No way. <laughs> I, I thought it would have been better than that, actually. Well, I, but that's okay. That's funny, though. You no. Know, I mean, there, were, there was only one person that left stuff with, with me that didn't come back to get it. And, and there were... Two heavily, you know, very interested commission clients, and and then right. someone else that really wanted to get together and get. I had actually two or three people who wanted stuff for a future show, that kind of thing. Right on. So I mean, all in, you know, that was pretty good. And if I consider the fact that there were a, a countable number of times that a sale almost happened and didn't, right. or someone looked like they or they were, you know, like if I had done something differently, that might have been a sale. Yeah, I think it would have put me way over the top of that too. Yeah, I could so. See that. But anyway, I thought that was great. I, the, the first few hours today, I was sure that it was going to be a slower day. And then, yeah. and then it caught up, and I was like, well, actually, that was my best Sunday. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> so, anyway, so I guess that's our day two wrap-up. Yeah. A fun show. I really hope it comes back and is in the same venue. Yeah, me too. Yeah, we talked and to some of the staff, and said they made it sound like they're definitely planning it. But, but yeah, it's, it's always a crapshoot with these cross-country multiple show places that yeah it may decide not to come back each year and stuff but yeah. Uh, but yeah great fun it was a good show and also this show's also a further crapshoot because you can't pre you can't pre-buy your yeah. table so you never know you all you, you never know whether they're going to be there the next year and you don't know whether they're going to whether you have, can get in have a space for you but it's yeah. but i'm okay with that yeah so yeah, I will be next in Portland for Rose City in September. You will be next when? Uh, we've got uh, Wizard World Portland in some month <laughs> before that. I don't know. Like I think it's April, something like that. Yeah. Um, and then I'm doing Cherry City in Salem. Also be up in Seattle for Crypticon in May. Um, but we go next, uh, February is a crazy month for us. We've got four cons in four weeks oy, oy, oy. and we're doing uh, five cons in five weeks technically because we're doing, um, uh, planet comic con in Kansas city. And then we're staying out there and hitting a little Texas show and then heading back up to St. Louis for St. Louis wizard world. Oh my word. And then we're heading back over this way and we're doing uh salt con in Layton, Utah and some other show. I, I can't remember. It's, yeah. it's going to be a crazy couple months. Oh my word. <laughs> By the time. So when I next see you, your hair is going to be different. It's going to be your skin color. Will be different. Right way, you'll yeah. Show. I'll, I'll be I'll <laughs> massively overweight from tacos and pizza. <laughs> I will not help with that. <laughs> All right. Well, that was great. That was uh, so. It's been a fun weekend, and um, yeah, we'll look forward to the next one. Huh? Indeed. All right.
Bom, 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 bom.